this weekend, time for racing's second jewel of the Triple Crown. We're going to talk all about Pimlico for Saturday right here on this episode of That's What G Said. That is presented by Better Than Vegas at BTV Bets. So we'll have Pimlico for Friday and for Saturday. We'll talk about the later part of those cards and the stakes portions. And uh, so for Friday, we'll have Pimlico Racing and also some Santa Anita Best Bets. Then for Saturday... We will talk all about the Preakness. We'll go horse by horse. And then some best bets throughout the card with Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali. And then we get to Pimlico races 8 through 13. The pick six that ends with the Preakness. We talk about all of those races leading up with Matt DeSantis. He's going to be out there at uh, Pimlico this weekend. Then Saturday, Santa Anita best bets. We go full card for Louisiana Downs, and we finish up with This Week in Wrestling with Chad Cooper. We talk about the news, SmackDown, Raw, NXT, and AEW. We'll have uh, an episode coming out uh, on Friday that will talk about some NBA with Eric, everything going on in the conference finals now. We'll also have an episode of Moon Knight recapped on that one, and then we'll get into... Uh, some other racing moving forward. So you'll have Friday, Saturday stuff, everything you need for Pimlico, Preakness, wrestling here, Louisiana Downs for Saturday, and then Santa Anita Friday and Saturday. And as we said, it's presented by Better Than Vegas. Give them a follow on Twitter at BTV Bets. We have a live stream schedule over there of content to try to just give everybody information, help you when you're making your wagers on horses, on sports, on any different games, contest. If there's something big happening in the world of sports, we are talking about it. Everything going on in basketball, daily baseball shows, uh, USFL shows right now. We just had a big show previewing the PGA Championship. Um, anytime there are big tournaments going on and football season's coming up, we'll help you get all set up for that. Better than dot Vegas. Give them a follow at BTV Bets. We're going to get right into the horse racing and we're going to go Friday first. Then we'll dive into everything going on Saturday over at Pimlico with a couple different guests talking all about the Preakness. First up, it'll be some Friday racing. Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years, studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF Mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to DRF.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF past performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. 
one click to formulator for charts for replays if you get the formulator version and even on the classic past performances you get the home screen with horses with odds with buyers you get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph you can rotate your phone for the best view and any horse that you click on you'll see the running lines you can easily move from horse to horse the same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances you get an interactive format which is very similar to the DRF classic version that you're used to on the desktop every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches and so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone cross device functionality you can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices on the go handicapping and wagering multiple formats to view you got the overview page with recent speed figures current days odds easy access to expert selections and analysis you got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse and you got those traditional drf past performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones they are constantly upgrading improving and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at drf.com better you want to spread your pony knowledge Download the Stable Duel app and play today. For Friday, Pimlico is going to be the focus for Stable Duel. There's a $50 game with $4,000 in prizes. There's also a top 10 game that's only 4 bucks to enter. Four different tracks with games and six different contests. There's a free ride at Gulfstream Park. And uh, the focus on Saturday. You know it's going to be at Pimlico for the Preakness. There's a free game and then a $100 game with $15,000 in prizes. Gulfstream Park has a few games and Santa Anita as well. Then on Sunday, Gulfstream, Woodbine, Golden Gate, and Santa Anita. Four tracks, five games ranging from 5 bucks to 150 to enter for some of the bigger players. That's over at Stable Duel. Get your entries in and play, race, win. Let's do some uh, some play race winning on Friday. Let's talk a little bit about the Pimlico card that ends up with uh, the feature of the Black-Eyed Susan. Let's start in race number eight. And we'll talk about the uh, the stakes races that lead up there. This is the Grade Three Alar Dupont Distaff. Honestly, I didn't. I just started with this race because it was sort of a, a nice starting point. But I could see any one of a few horses winning this, and there none none of them are big enough prices for me to really love any one of them. Exotic West into Vanishing Super Quick Frost Point won't be horses that I'm going to be betting a whole lot on. Any one of them I could see winning this race or running really well. So not the strongest opinion in the world. And I think they put some of these races a little earlier on because they maybe weren't quite as competitive like the ninth race, the Hilltop that I look to. And you'd imagine Pizza Bianca is going to be really, really tough to beat. She's going to be a short price in there. The others that I would look to play if I wanted to beat her would be the six Diamond Hands. A couple starts back was in a race behind Hottie. And Hottie was third in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies turf where Pizza Bianca won that race. And Midnight Stroll was sixth in that race who is uh, going to be running in uh, in the big stakes a little later on against the Phillies. 
So nothing too crazy in the ninth race. Eight, six, and four, all horses that wouldn't shock me. Now as we move along, start to get a little stronger of opinion. In the Miss Preakness, race number 10, I like the number eight gimmick who has some speed, but she can pass horses. So she's going to be on the outside. She beat two next out winners when she broke her maiden. And then she went into a stakes race at Monmouth Park. She finished third that day. She comes back, and that was in September. She didn't run from September to February. When she returns in February, she runs into Matarea, who won the grade three Beaumont next out by eight and a half, and then won the grade two eight bells. She... From a pedigree standpoint, she's actually a half-sibling to grade two winner following C, who was third in the Breeders' Cup sprint. I like the eight gimmick in here. Um, I'll be using with the two and the three under the stars and Lady Scarlet. Moving to race number 11. It's the very one. Five furlongs on the turf course here. I thought the number 12, Adelaide Miss, was a little interesting. She broke her maiden going five furlongs at Colonial on the turf course. She can pass horses. She can sit. And if you're able to toss her last race where she ran into a horse named She Can Sing, and that one went on to win her next start, $100,000 stakes at Fairgrounds, beating a horse named Clara Peters, who we see Adelaide Miss beat a few starts back. Uh, So Clara Peters was third in that stakes race behind She Can't Sing. Adelaide Miss is the play for me, hoping she can kind of tuck in and doesn't have to be that wide from the outside. Twelfth race is the Pimlico Special. Mile and three sixteenths here. I'm I like going to the six horse here. That is uh Capo Costello. Second start off the bench. Hadn't raced from January to April, and January was the first start off a long layoff. Hadn't raced from May of twenty twenty one prior to that in Panama. This is an eleven time winner who's a group one winner in Panama, has two races in the US and ran into some good horses. Olympiad, who has won four in a row. Third finisher of that race also came back to win next out. This guy got pinched out of a spot early on in between horses. He was in like the five path. And he got squeezed back to last. It was in a small field where the winner, Fearless, sat a very close third. Capo Costello closed late for second. Now have have another race under his belt here in the U.S. For this barn, Flavian Pratt is going to jump aboard Capo Costello. The number six is the play for me in race 12. The Pimlico Special, 6, 10, 1, and 8 would be horses I'd be looking to use in exotics there. The 10 Mischief Afoot got squeezed back early out of a spot, was last, was almost 10 off, and started the roll and angled out, really closed a ton. Two starts back was behind Scalding, who's won four in a row, and Cody's Wish, who has won four of five. No problems using that one either. 6, 10, 1, and 8 for me. A very wide-open Black-Eyed Susan where... I'll lean towards favor from the outside. I thought she actually ran pretty well behind Echo Zulu and Hidden Connection. She kind of was in a little bit tight, and she was trying hard late, not beating a whole a whole bunch. I think she should sit a pretty nice trip in here if she doesn't get hooked wide. Adair Manor is probably going to be pretty tough. After them, there are so many other horses that I think you could use, but they're probably the, the top tier for me. I've always been a fan of Divine Huntress. No real knocks for Luna Bell. Miss Yearwood of the Price Horses. She can run all day. Maybe she picks up some pieces. Interstate Daydream is one who's you know going to take a ton of money. This is a, a contentious race. There's not a, a lot of nice fillies that are kind of a cup below the top, top tier. 12-10 for me will be uh, the horses who I use in most spots there. That's Friday over at Pimlico. 
Remember, we'll have that Friday morning stable dual live stream. Come join us 10 o'clock a.m. Eastern time on social media. Give me a follow there. It's me, Gino B., Matt DeSantis, and Barry Spears will be joining me. And Matt's going to be joining me on this show in just a moment. We're going to first get into Preakness Contenders. And we're going to talk all about Saturday, Pimlico, in a moment. But we have a little more Friday for you. Let's finish up Friday talking a little Santa Anita with some best bets. For Friday at Santa Anita, a couple plays in races 5, 7, and 8 if you want to get your past performances out for May the 20th. So the fifth race is a five-furlong turf sprint. I'm going to the outside with the 8, Koalinga Road, who comes off of a, a race where he ran down the hill against First Level Allowance Company. He got bumped around a little bit. He settled fourth on the inside. He was about three, four lengths off, and he got shuffled back a couple lengths. He tried to move in between horses, and, and he moved down inside. He closed well for fourth. He was chasing lone speed that day, and will now go third start off the long layoff. The number eight, Koalinga Road, is the play for me. Six to one on the morning line. Anything over four to one will be worthy of a win wager there. In race number seven, we have our next play, and that's the number four, Shut Up Michael. This is a six furlong turf sprint. 60 to $75,000 claimers. Shut up, Michael will take the blinkers off and drop in class. And he's just run into some trouble in his last couple. He's due for a, a bit of luck. And if you watch his races, just up on the heels, trouble again, up on heels. The blinkers come off. He turns back. I think they're going to probably just try to take him back and then make one big late swooping run. Shut up. Up Michael, 7-2 on the morning line. Anything over 3-1 to will make a win wager, possibly like a, a single in late exotics there. The 8th race on Friday, maiden $50,000 claimers going a mile and an eighth on the turf course. I'm going to the 8 Squillions, who had trouble in his debut, or her debut. She came back, she had trouble in career start number 2, and the third finisher came back to win next out. And then in her third start on April the 17th, she had some traffic early, she just did not seem comfortable. She got caught in between horses at the rear. She had to back out of that spot. And she started to stretch her legs nicely late. And it looks like distance should be no issue for her. The blinkers come on. I think she's trending in the right direction. And she's due for just a, a smooth trip. The number eight, Squillions, is eight uh, six to one on the morning line. And the value line for me on this one was seven to two. So that's the least we would need. Uh, anything below that would be uh, a little too short for me. 7-2 to two or over, though, will make a win wager on the 8 squillions and one that you want to use in all your exotics there. So that is Friday over at Santa Anita. And uh, we gave you Friday Pimlico. So now we turn the page and we start talking about Preakness Saturday and we'll talk about Saturday Pimlico first with Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali. They're going to give out a couple of their best bets on the undercard, and then we get into all of the horses in the Preakness. So some Saturday best bets and the full thoughts on the Preakness with Andrew and with Darren. They set me up here. In one of the races, they liked the same horse, so they had a little bit planned, which was funny and uh, really, really popped me. So good stuff from Andrew and Darren having some fun on That's What G Said. Let's talk Preakness, and let's talk some of their best bets on the Saturday Pimlico undercard. It's time for racing's uh, second jewel of the Triple Crown this weekend. It's the Preakness over at Pimlico. DZ, Darren Zocali, and Andrew Champagne join me to talk a little bit about the Preakness field and to dish out a couple of their best plays 
earlier on the card. Before we get into talking about the uh, the races, DZ, there's been a lot of chatter this year uh, and in the last few days in particular because the Kentucky Derby winner, Rich Strike, is choosing not to run in the Preakness. And we are seeing now the way that the thoroughbred horses are they just run less and less. They don't run back quite as often. So we don't we don't get as many horses running back in the Preakness. If it was just the one race, I could understand. And I, I understand why maybe people would want to move the week because the week or the day because it's sort of becoming a lot more than the race. Like the whole undercard does feel like it gets impacted by the fact that it's two weeks after the derby. What feels like it happens is a lot of really good horses. Maybe start their season or they prep Or they prime for a big race on Kentucky Oaks or Kentucky Derby undercard And then they don't wheel back Two weeks later but they do come back Five weeks later and run in a big race on the Belmont undercard so I guess the one Of the three that does sort of get the, the Short uh, end of the stick feels like Pimlico and the Preakness Yeah it's actually a good point point. Um, and Like you're saying it's not just the Preakness But for example you know there's not a single Philly from the Kentucky Oaks that's running back in the Black Eyed Susans. And I, I mean, obviously, look, the, the Kentucky Oaks to the Black Eyed Susan is is not it's not an equal footing. It's one of the most prestigious races uh, in the in the country for the entire year for three row Phillies uh, going to a race that is, you know, very rich in history and tradition and certainly had its fair share of of Kentucky Oaks performers come there and, and do well. Uh, Silver Bullet Day certainly does come to mind. And I, if I remember correctly, I think Serena Song even ran in the Black Eyed Susans after she ran in the Kentucky Derby. But you're talking about now 20, 30 years ago uh, or even 35 years ago. Um, but yeah, look, trainers now, they train in a way that they circle a race on the calendar that they try to have their horse fully cranked for. And a lot of those races are on Kentucky Derby weekend. And then maybe the next time they're going to have them fully cranked is going to be six weeks later, two months later, three months later. It's certainly never two weeks later. And it's not just the triple crown horses. It's all horses. Um, and the interesting thing with Rich Strike, um, look, I'm not going to sit here and say, that's it. The Derby winner's not running in the Preakness. We got to change everything. Uh, just because of this one year that's an anomaly and an outlier. A lot bottom, of other people are. There are. And, and and you have to expect it. Um, but listen, the Triple Crown doesn't exist in a vacuum. It doesn't exist in a vacuum of one year. There are arguments to be made to expand the the schedule. I don't think Rich Strike not running in the Preakness is the best argument. Uh, I do think, Gino, you brought up a point of the undercard races. There's a lot of divisions that share races on Oaks and Derby as we do Black Eyed Susan Day and Preakness Day. That, I think, is is a better argument because it's one that's going to happen every single year. Whereas Rich Strike, I believe that I believe the connections thought there was no chance in hell that their horse was winning the race. I don't care what they say in an interview. They were happy to be in the race. They got into the race. Their plan the entire time was to run in the Peter Pan and then run back in the Belmont a month later. They were not bringing this horse back in two weeks. It's not how they train. That was the end of the conversation. It's an anomaly. It's an outlier. It shouldn't be the reason you make a change. There's plenty of other reasons that you can bring up. Uh, and to be honest with you, I don't. I, I used to be on the firm side of don't change a thing. Don't you dare change the tradition of the Triple Crown. It would tarnish everything. 
now that I've seen two triple crown winners, that part of it really doesn't stick to me as much. I don't want to change the distance of the races, but if these races were now four weeks apart, you know, and they went from the first Saturday in May to the first Saturday in July, for example, would I really care that much? No. Am I a staunch advocate to do that? No, I'm, I'm more indifferent to the entire process now. So Andrew, okay. what ends up happening is, um, you know, like on the undercard, we get a, like a mid Atlantic sort of flair, you know, you get a lot of local horses that end up running and kind of stepping up and getting the spotlight. It's not as if the, it's funny because if we would have said two weeks ago that rich strike isn't running in the, in the Preakness, nobody would have hit people said who, you know, nobody would have even really cared before the Derby. So it wasn't like he was the top horse in this division and, and a horse that's going to be a big missing piece. It's just the Derby winner not running in the Preakness always is something that for like national appeal and mainstream excitement. So, uh, you know, give us some of your overall thoughts on this. I think I've said, I, I don't think it should be changed or anything, but I can understand the, the undercard is the one point that I feel like does mi- massively get impacted. That would be if someone was trying to sell me on moving the dates, that would be the thing they would they could sell me on if they were pointing to that. I, I'm not as big on moving the Preakness for just the Preakness, but I do feel like the, the races underneath don't get as big or maybe as deep of or maybe as quality of fields as they could if it was a month after the Derby undercard races. Okay, I'm going to try to be as detached from this situation as possible and explain this as calmly as I can for as long as I can. At some point, I'm going to lose it in this conversation. I'm just warning you now. So we're starting to hear more about changing the Triple Crown. And that bothers me for a number of reasons. One, I'm a traditionalist when it comes to this stuff. I understand the Triple Crown has been changed in the past, and that's one thing. This is changing for a different reason. And it is to accommodate the fact that the American thoroughbred is not bred to run three times in five weeks anymore. And it is easier to alter these great races than to alter the way horses are bred and interfere with the profit loss reports of American breeding enterprises. And it's also making you complicit and and saying you're okay with racing going in that direction. Now, look, if you think for a second that I'm making any of that up, here's a question. Much as we love Into Mischief as a sire, And as many really nice horses as he has thrown, is he getting 250 mares a year if we really care about brilliance and structural integrity? We don't. Like, And that's fine. Just say it. We don't care. Now, my problem with changing the dates has several different layers to it. First of all, if you change the dates of the last two legs of the Preakness and the Belmont, first of all, you force Stronach to alter their entire Pimlico meet, which is already very short. And remember, there is legislation that says the Preakness must be held at Pimlico, that they have to work around. Stronach has been trying to work around that to get it over to Laurel Park, which is where ideally they would want racing year-round. That's another matter. Here's what gets me. If you move the Belmont to the first weekend in July, one of the great open secrets in New York racing is that Naira wants to be at Saratoga more. I think at some point what we're going to see is Wednesday racing at Saratoga going away, then still running 40 days, but starting earlier. If you run the Belmont the first weekend in July, you're running it at Saratoga, which does not house mile and a half dirt races. And if you don't have mile and a half dirt races, 
you don't have the Belmont. And if you change dates, all of a sudden those distances look a little more fluid, which is what we saw folks like Tom Ryan, who is a part owner of a number of very brilliantly bred horses, trying to advocate for a change in distance of the Belmont stakes. And I took great pleasure in seeing that he got resoundingly owned in his own poll. It was something like 89% against the idea of changing the distance of the Belmont stakes. If you want to talk about changing dates on their own, we can have that discussion. And there is a debate to be had about, is it harder to keep a horse at peak form for those two months rather than three times in five weeks? That's a discussion that I am willing to entertain, at least as far as what's easier, what's tougher on the thoroughbred, whatever. Personally, if you want to win the Triple Crown, breed a better horse that can go a distance of ground. And don't bend simply because you don't have that kind of horse because you have been complicit in breeding a weaker thoroughbred. Now, going back to Gino's point, first of all, I'm pretty impressed with myself that I didn't thoroughly lose it there. I got a little... No, no, and that was, and that was fine. And, you, and just... just and just before, like you, you are right, and we don't. Th- we could talk about this next topic for an entire podcast on itself. But where, where I think we all would agree is that the problem is way is is on a way bigger, bigger set. Of course, it's the breeding. Yes. It's the, the, triple, the we, triple crown is a microcosm of the problem. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's not so moving the dates around isn't going to change the way we operate everything. And that's the problem. That's what Darren was hitting on. Yeah. Is that you're sort of like you're. I'm giving in to my son Milo when he's throwing a tantrum, which is quite often right now at two and a half. <laughs> and, and Andrew, terrible and, oh yeah, Andrew used Andrew used a very important word. He used the word weaker to describe yep. the thoroughbred, and I yes. say that that's an important word because what ends up happening now is you hear people say other sports have changed things. Other sports have changed things that go against tradition. Not because the athletes playing the sport have gotten weaker. They've had to do it because the athletes have gotten stronger and better. Yeah. They've extended out the three-point line because Steph Curry can hit a three from 40 feet away whenever he feels like it. They move back the extra point because place kickers have gotten so good that they basically just automatically got a point after the touchdown from where they were kicking it. They changed the kickoff from where they kicked it from because kick because kickers can practically kick a ball out of the stadium. They They've have to go back and forth they, at the baseball because the baseball because, because if they go one way the ball, then the hitters crush it. Right. And then if they go the other way, the pitchers dominate. So, so and none of it is about any of the athletes in the sport getting weaker. It's about changing it to make it harder because the athletes have gotten better it's the in opposite. racing. It's the total opposite in racing. They're essentially saying to you, we believe worse because the horse has gotten weaker. And if you start an argument from a premise of weakness, in my opinion, you have already lost precisely. And look, I just want to point something out really quickly. I sure. mentioned into mischief into mischief is not the only sire that was, how do I put this delicately, uh, lightly raced and gently handled over the course of his career. Putting it another way, you guys remember Sharp Azteca was trained by a guy named Navarro who has since been put in jail for putting a whole bunch of stuff into horses that shouldn't have been there? His first crop of thoroughbreds 
190. Just saying. You can't say you care about producing a better thoroughbred with each passing generation when you reward brilliance like that and your big solution in order to maintain relevance for those horses is changing all these races. To me, that is a sign of weakness, and it's the big reason why I am against that. Now, going back to the undercard, it certainly does affect things a little bit. And one of the biggest examples of that, talk about segues, this is a really good one. For many, many, many years, the traditional lead-in to the Preakness Stakes was the Dixie, which was a grade one turf race run it, I believe it was a mile and a quarter, wasn't it? It was a mile and three sixteenths, mile and a quarter, something to that effect. They've cut it down to a mile and a sixteenth because the turf marathoners just are not there. And we talked about this a little bit when we talked about the turf classic prior to the Kentucky Derby. It is now the grade two dinner party. It is race number eight on the program. And it's just a microcosm of how things have changed because there are people in Maryland that swore up and down by the Dixie is one of the big highlights of the undercard. And now it's this grade two with a seven horse field. And I'm very interested in hearing who Darren likes in this particular race, because that the more I look, I can't get past set piece. So by all means, Darren, if they, if you like somebody else in this particular race, by all means, go to it because you're going to get your price. Yeah, awesome, and, that, and that's what we're going to do We're going to start on the undercard uh, Andrew and Darren each have a, a player too That they like on the undercard And then we're going to dive in and talk about uh, Each of the contenders in the Preakness Positives, negatives, who we may be playing Not the biggest field in the world So we'll be able to get into uh, each one of them But DZ, I believe you start in race number 8 Right, in that race Andrew was talking about The dinner party Yep, correct um, This race for me is is interesting From a handicapping standpoint because while there's a series of horses in the race that like to be forwardly placed, there's no dominant speed horse in here. And uh, when you don't have a dominant speed horse and you have riders like uh, Rosario and Irad Ortiz and Jose Ortiz and Giroux um, in a race on the turf like this, you tend to get a bit of a pedestrian pace. And that's where I think set piece is going to have some problems here because set piece, who's a horse that I've loved for, for quite some time, especially last year at Turfway park, he is a monster closer. And as the races get tougher, he tends to want to come from even farther behind for the most part, with the exception of the makers, Mark mile, which was a race that was run at a dawdling clip. Uh, But in that race, he had, he was forced to make, an aggressive move because of a slow pace, and he was not able to sustain that move. Now, that was his first race off the layoff, and he could certainly be fitter and better and tighter, and I agree with all that. I think in this race, you're better to do with a horse that's going to be laying closer to the pace, and I think you have an up-and-coming horse in Beacon Hill here for Michael Matz, who's second race back off the layoff, who has shown versatility. He has shown a race where he can go wire to wire, He's shown he can run on dirt and turf. He can lay close, rate, pounce, and stalk. Or if the pace is strong enough, he can rally from far back. And the mile and a 16th has proven to be no problem. All the way up to a mile and a half has proven to be no problem. And I think what you have here is a developing five-year-old that's coming into his own, that's still relatively lightly raced, that has not yet emerged on the scene. And I think this is a horse that's going to be a player in this turf division moving forward. And I'm going to jump on him now before everybody else figures it out. Beacon Hill 
as a, a horse to uh, get the trip, maybe get the jump. As a set piece, will take a ton of money in here, but it's going to be coming from way out of it. And I'm going to at least throw in some sort of multi exotics, the one tango, 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 just for the reasons that you're saying, talking about how there's not very much speed in here. I think at the very least, this horse should be able to get a nice, cozy, you know, sitting in the top three type trip. Um, saving all the ground, going third start off the long layup, third start of the form cycle. I like your play with uh, with Beacon Hill here too. Just set piece is going to come running, but it's. I mean, from a class standpoint, he absolutely towers over this horse. You were big on set piece when he was running a turfway and was primed to to run in big stakes there. But I, I, this feels like an okay spot to try to beat him with, like you said, the way the race looks to shape up on paper. Yeah, that that's all it is. I mean, it's it's a short field. Eh. When you take short fields and turf races on the East Coast and you bring down a bunch of the jockeys from New York, th- this this race, I just don't think it's going to set up for him. And listen, is he the classiest horse in the race? Absolutely. But when you take a look at all the speed figures, is he that much faster than all than, than the, the next level of contenders? You have Beacon Hill, who's coming off of three races where he's run buyers of 93, 95, 96. Set pieces last three races are 101, 94, and 100. Is he faster? Yes. Is he infinitely faster where nobody could catch up to him? I don't think so. So the one thing that I will say about set piece and why I think he's going to be very tough, I'll also say for the record that when you said you liked a horse in the eighth, I really thought you were going to go with Tango, 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 because that's a horse that's two for two this year. And if you toss the race, this horse ran three back when he wound up and also ran behind the eventual Breeders' Cup turf winner, you're left with a pretty darn good horse. I thought that was where you were going. But um, what I like about set piece, in particular, this particular race, that added 16th of a mile. Just look at the mile in a 16th race as he ran last summer at Churchill Downs. He wins an overnight race by four, and he probably could have won by far more than that. And I remember the wise Dan where he ran down some like at Hot Brown. It says he won by a half length. It says that he altered at the eighth pole. He darn near stopped. And this is a horse that, as Richard Migliori used to say about Artie Schiller, you can't ride safe. It's a horse where you sort of need to just fall back and work out a trip. Now, is he pace dependent? I'd argue not so much just looking at the fractions because he has closed into races with opening halves of 48, 49. Mind you, if they go 50 and change, I don't like his chances And at four to five, even money, I can't say I'd bet him to win. I just think he's going to be very, very tough in this spot. But I can't fault you for taking a shot, especially since if Beacon Hill wins on Saturday, you're not getting nine to two on him anytime soon. Okay, Andrew, I believe uh, you said one of your undercard plays is going to come right next door in the grade three Chick Lang. Is that correct? Yes, I did. And this is a really fun race. Uh, This is a six furlong sprint three-year-olds going that one-turn sprint distance, and we've got a lot of really fast horses signed on for this one. Uh, Cogburn on the rail, Old Homestead, who is three for three. Shout out to Don Stevens and Delta Downs. That is where this horse started his career before winning a stakes race over a wet, fast surface at Keeneland. You've got a horse in Wayland Springs who got pretty darn good at Oaklawn. None of those are my top pick. We're going to go all the way to the outside, and Let's play a little game here, guys. Uh, you guys have your past performances and your pen? I do. Okay. Go for it. We can establish Little Vic is not a two-turn horse, right? 
I think that's safe to say, yes. Okay, so let's cross out the Sam Davis, and let's cross out that optional claimer that was won by Skippy Longstocking, who went on to run third in the wood and is now going to run the Preakness. Cross out those two races. You're left with a horse that won first time out at Gulfstream, ran second to a really nice horse in my prankster, who most recently ran third behind Jack Christopher and Papa Cap a couple of weeks ago in the Pat Day Mile, and you have a horse that won like a really good one at Monmouth and gets wheeled back on very, very short rest in what I think is a sign of confidence for a horse that, judging by the layoff lines, I'm just guessing, has had his issues. I love the outside draw with this horse. And even though it's not like he rated a ton last time out, he was second at that first call, which shows that maybe, unlike a couple of these horses in this race, he doesn't need the lead. He's six to one on the morning line. I think that is a very, very fair price. And I think we could potentially be looking at a very serious sprinter down the line. I respect a couple of horses in here. Cogburn has a lot of talent. I believe I liked him actually a little bit first time out at Saratoga last summer. And there's a couple other horses in here that may be ones to watch moving forward. But I think little Vic is doing what he wants to do after maybe the connections got a little bit of derby fever early on in the start of the year. Six to one on the morning line. I'd gladly take that price if offered it right now. Andrew, are you at all concerned? Like you said, that some of the horses down to the inside that have speed could potentially be need the lead types. Are you concerned if Cogburn, Dr. Jeff, and Old Homestead all go balls to the wall at all out right out of the gate? Can Little Vic win this race if he's fourth, three lengths off the lead, or hung wide into the far turn chasing a speed duel? At six to one, I'd pay to find out, and I like the outside position far more than if he was, say, in the two hole between Cogburn and Dr. Jeff, where if he gets out sprinted and has to take back, the race is pretty much over. I like the outside post where Paco ought to be able to work out a trip, and who knows? Given his early fractions, maybe little Vic just winds up being quicker than everybody already. But again, the price plays a role in here because when you get a horse that has talent doing things it clearly wants to do, checking out on figures and coming into the race by all indications, doing really, really well, I'm inclined to take a shot here. So let's go with little Vic. And who knows, maybe we can uh, get a, that's what she said, double here with Beacon Hill into Little Vic, 92 into six to one, beat a couple of favorites. That's going to be like an $80 double, right? I like it. There's one horse in this race that I, I wanted to be a lot better this year. And and this would be the the spot where I would give him another shot to include in time. Yeah. Yeah, That's that's the the horse. Yep. Yeah. And then I, I just, I, I liked him a lot. I thought he, after his win at Oaklawn in January, I thought, oh, okay, he's going to take a step forward and he's going to be competitive in some of these Oaklawn preps this year. And he just, in the, in the Rebel, he had a great trip too. He was getting just a perfect trip off and he loomed up and he just, maybe he doesn't want to go that long. So the cutback could give him more punch. But Andrew, I like your horse from the outside with the speed. If I would want to use probably one or two others in, in exotics along with Vic, just in case they do go so quick, like Darren mentioned. But if he's that five to one plus, it's a that's a very fair price to make a, a win wager, make any kind of wagers on Little Vic drawn to the outside with Paco aboard in uh, the Grade Three Chick Lang. Yeah, Old Homestead is nice too. He he's 
He's a very nice animal You win a couple races at Delta Sometimes you don't know how good you are And then when you go over to Keeneland And you beat a group like that And you earn a, another very nice speed figure You you prove that you do have some class But he'll he'll definitely have to uh, show it again Against a group like this Let's see if we can get an old school uh, Just a, a little you know back to back Straight daily double here From uh, Beacon Hill over to Little Vic For Darren and Andrew And then I feel like I'm being played a weird Joke or some something weird is going to happen to me in race number Why eleven. Why would you but, ever think something but, weird is going to happen to but you? I, I hear the principal players that are involved in this scenario. I hear that Andrew and Darren both have plays in race number eleven, so I feel like there's like a trap door underneath me where I'm podcasting and I'm going to fall into like an abyss or something. Uh, DZ, what's going down in the Sir Barton race number eleven? A- Andrew, you want to count us down? Uh, all right. Okay. So just to give a little exposition for the very first time and possibly the very last time, that's what she said. Karaoke presented by at least one <laughs> fine person from Katina media and Churchill downs incorporated in three, two, one. Well, we're moving, well, we're on, moving up. on up, moving, moving on up, up to the east side, moving on up to a, to a deluxe, deluxe apartment. apartment. In the, in the sky, the sky. <laughs> <laughs> I love this I love this well, We but, both love Mr. Jefferson here yeah. Especially at that 6-1 to one price Darren you can take it away from a tactical Standpoint I'll take it from a standpoint Of grabbing your pen and your past performances And crossing things out as we go Yeah I just looked at this race And I thought there's a lot of horses That that want to be forwardly placed that that, And also that are stretching out Golden Eyes is a sprinter That is is stretching out with speed Uh, B-Dawk is a sprinter Stretching out with some speed Good Skate wants to be forward Uh, Unikey is a horse that is stretching out With speed Uh, On the far outside Rugs from post 10 Probably has to go forward All of that seems to set up for what I imagine Will be a fairly contested early pace. And Mr. Jefferson, uh, who is second race back off about a nine-week freshening, went a mile and an eighth in the Tessio uh, over at Laurel. And I thought ran just a bang-up race to get beat ahead uh, by Joe, who is not running in the Preakness, but is actually uh, running in the Murphy on the turf, which is interesting. But if you if you go through you know, this horse's past performances, he can lay close and pounce. He can rally and really pick things up in the stretch. I think that's going to be the situation at play here. Um, second race back off the form cycle with a bullet work since the last race for Michael Trombetta, the same rider back aboard. Uh, I'm looking for, for Mr. Jefferson uh, to mow this field down here uh, at what I think is going to be somewhere close probably to that six to one price, unless everybody is uh, singing the theme song for the Jeffersons all weekend. Ooh, that was very, very well done. Fellas and Andrew you were going to Sort of point out that the company that this Horse has been keeping a little bit And I'm also going to point out the fact That more than half of the races This horse has run are completely Irrelevant to what's going legit Excuses so here's Where we're going to go with this we Can all concede that Aqueduct's main track is quirky There are horses that just do not Like that track let's assume And I think it's a pretty safe assumption Given the fact that his races there were 4th feet and 10 lengths, 6 feet and 10 lengths, and 9 feet and 21 lengths, that this horse just does not like Aqueduct. Let's cross those races off on your past performances. Based on the fact that this horse ran twice on turf as a 2-year-old to next to nothing going on there, 
we can assume that this horse is not a turf horse. So let's cross the turf races out. If you do that, you are left with a horse that has three races on the sheet. A win at Colonial by two lengths, a win going two turns at Laurel, winning by a length and a half, and doing everything but winning in the Federico Tessio when he came from way, way back in a race that didn't have a lot of pace to it, beating the third place finisher by five lengths and losing a head bob. You're not left with a lot of problems with Mr. Jefferson. Second off a layoff for Mike Trombetta. I like the fact that he comes in off of a bullet drill. There's a lot of pace signed on, and I think we are going to get that six to one morning line price. Ethereal Road is going to take money. B Doc is likely to take money off of a big figures performance at Keeneland. And I think Uniki is also going to take some money, despite the fact that he has not gone two turns yet. The figures with that one show that that one might be a little bit of a runner. I respect all of those horses, but Mr. Jefferson at six to one, that price hits me as way more than fair. And despite the fact that he has not won a race since November of last year, I think on Saturday, he finally gets a piece of the pie. <laughs> and by the way, Gino, to add to what Andrew has said about the aqueduct races, I, I even, I'll even take it a step further yep. that it's beyond maybe not liking aqueduct because his Remsen was not awful. I think in the Remsen, he probably ran to his ability. He just ran against Mo Donegal and Zandon, who are superior horses. Very true. On January the 1st, he caught a sloppy seal track that played really, really weird that day, to the, the, which makes it a complete toss-out. The day that he ran in the Withers, that track was deep and tiring and awful. And I thought he caught, in addition to maybe a track that he might not love to begin with, two very strange surfaces in the Jerome and the Withers that I think also knocked him completely sideways. Uh, so I think, to add to Andrew's point, He's got some really well-covered-up good form that doesn't jump off the page. And when you put that all together with a likely contested pace scenario, you get a horse that kind of squeaks through the cracks here at what's going to be a pretty favorable price. Don't forget to get your pre-sale tickets for the DZAC Experience. Darren Zocali <laughs> and Andrew Champagne live here each and every week. The soothing sounds on That's What G Said podcast. Right on, that was right on, right on. very, very well done. <laughs> and this horse is extremely live. These are the types of horses that I like to play too because you have a horse who comes off of a good effort. So you sort of know where this horse stacks up from a class standpoint. You have a lot of muddied up form and you went through the multiple excuses for a lot of the races and he feels like he should take a nice little step forward here second off the the short break uh peaking for this race mr jefferson is a very very nice pick four pick five type of horse uh big stable duel games this weekend too if you're someone who plays into some of those this is a perfect type of horse because it's six to one it's exactly the type of horse you need right around that five thousand dollar average to build your lineup so this is a, a really fun middle price horse mr jefferson race number 11 the sir barton uh some strong endorsement from both andrew and from dz so fellas let's uh turn the page on over to the preakness is uh, we do not have a huge field So we can go through um, every horse And kind of just give a positive or a, a negative Or if we may be using them or not And the Preakness is going to go as race number 13 On Saturday over at Pimlico Just after 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern time Starting with simplification from the inside 
Darren, I kind of think he's the bet in this race if he's around five to one. Um, he he to me is a horse who I don't really worry about the short turnaround with him. He's he's run in a lot of races where he's come back in three weeks or a month, so he's not been one of those horses who seems like he needed a lot of time. He's got a good foundation to him. He's pretty darn versatile, and he can save a whole lot of ground. I just don't have very many knocks on him. If they go kind of quick early, he could be in a really good spot down there. So I, f- I feel like he's going to be in an, all of my exotics. And if he's around five plus to one, I'll probably be the be warming up to him the most. I, I have two knocks. One is playful and the, and the other is a bit more serious. The playful knock is I liked him in the Derby and had he won. Uh, and there was a brief moment in the stretch where if you picked him up at the right time, it looked like he, he was. was he was moving. Yeah. And you thought he was the horse that was that had a chance to come get them where the multi-race exotics to this horse were playing were paying gangbusters. So uh, the playful knock against him is damn him for not getting up. The serious knock against him is if you go through the derby and you try to do your trip handicapping with the exception of the winner and Tawny Port. This horse had the best trip in the A pretty race. good trip. Yeah. He yeah. didn't have a lot of trouble. He got nope. the setup. He got so I know it yeah, shows that's... I know it shows seven wide at the quarter. That wasn't he was wide on the far turn. That he was moved. they hit the top. Yeah, he moved to the outside coming off the turn. It didn't cost them anywhere as close to three and a half lanes. He stayed out of trouble. He was clear. He was comfortable. He got over the track well. He followed the right horses. He had every opportunity. Uh, to to crack the top three and even win this race if he was good enough. And he just was not quite good enough. Now, for my money, look, I liked him in the Kentucky Derby because I thought his Holy Bull effort was was really solid because he had a terrible beginning that day. He had a rally in, in against horses that were sharp, and I thought he ran well. The Fountain of Youth, I know there was an incident turning for home in that race, he was not losing no matter what happened there. He was under no urging whatsoever coming to the quarter pole while inhaling horses to win going away. And the Florida Derby, he broke so alertly that they put this horse right off the flank of Classic Causeway. And Classic Causeway stopped suddenly down the backstretch where even though it doesn't show in the past performances, and this is why, folks, it pays to watch replays. This horse did lead in between calls. And he got immediate pressure pressure from Papa Cap while leading with less than five furlongs to go in the race. That's not the trip this horse wants going a mile and an eighth, a mile and a quarter either. Uh, I think he is a likely candidate to hit the board. I think he has to take things to another level based on the fact that he couldn't parlay that great trip into a top three finish in the Derby. Uh, And Andrew, I do fear that there could be some wise guy money at play here where the people that say, I don't want to bet Epicenter. I don't want to bet the Philly. Where am I going to go? No, that's oh, and that's what it is too. It's yeah. You, let you, me get to the horse that really ran well in the Derby, who just missed, and that's the part of it. That six to one. I'm not saying that that's unfair value, but if he's like nine to two, I totally I think agree. You, I think you need more than that. Five five was my line. Five five was my baseline. I wouldn't want to take less. Six feels fine. If he's seven to two, no, thank you. But I think that Darren was sort of hitting on it for for me at least. Andrew is like when I pro- do the process of elimination in this race, there are like four horses who just are not on my radar whatsoever. There are probably two that might be a little shorter than if I were wanting to play this race individually. I'd want to play, and I wonder if 
maybe have some worries about early voting and epicenter of those two getting involved early and and maybe even Armaniac. And so if that's the case, I'm maybe looking for someone a little bit off. And I'm not really that high on secret oath. We'll get to her in a minute. Tell us what you think about simplification and, and his chances here. So everything that I mentioned about breeding less sturdy animals and whatnot, we need to give simplification is due Mm -hmm. if for no other reason than he is making his sixth start of the season in the Preakness Stakes, which is a warhorse type campaign compared to some other horses in his generation. The problem here is I think he's hit a plateau and I think the Kentucky Derby was a best case scenario for him. I am in agreement with Darren on this. I think he might hit the board. I think he might show a little more tactical speed from the rail. He might not have a choice. The presence of John Velasquez is a plus. If you're telling me he could run second or third, I have no problem believing that. Can he make up three lengths on Epicenter when Simplification had the dream trip and Epicenter was up much closer to that ridiculous pace? I think that might be asking just a little bit too much. Number two in the Preakness field is creative minister who DZ was beaten a neck in his debut came back in a sloppy track at Keeneland broke his maiden won his second start and has shown progression with speed figures throughout three so he's lightly raced he does have some upside and he's hard to really knock you know this is obviously going to be an acid test for him you know what kind he's he's 10 to 1 what kind of a price would you need to play him do you, would you use this horse in your exotics tell us a little bit uh, what you think about creative minister i think he's a very talented horse um I, I i loved his debut effort where he flew from out of the clouds in a fast pace i know he took money that day he got beat a neck showed a ton of ability came back in a maiden special way to keenland on a sloppy track going two turns for the first time and won then went to Churchill Downs, third track in three months, mile and a 16th, uh, caught a dry surface that day and was the best against a field that was pretty good for an allowance field. I, I think there's ability. And this horse is bred to have ability as well because he's got a lot of siblings that could run. You take a look through the pedigree. Uh, battalion runner ran second in the Wood Memorial. Uh, that's a half-brother. Uh, Tiz Noble made $266,000 as a hard-nosed claimer who occasionally tried stakes competition. Uh, Dolder Grand uh, ran in a couple of grade three events. So there's plenty of pedigree in there as well. It's a hats off to his mayor, the damn Tambaz, uh, who was nothing more than a basically a $5,000 claimer producing those types of horses. Um, he could work out a good trip. Um, I'm not sure if he's really that much of a trip dependent horse, but if he's sitting mid pack and saves ground, um, I can absolutely see this horse hitting the board. He will have to take things to another level to win, but he's not that far off the best when it comes to speed figures. Yeah. He's a little bit light on seasoning, though. And you have to remember, though, here's one thing. I know it's not a 20-horse field in the Derby, but we knocked a lot of horses going into the Derby who didn't make their three-year-old their career debuts until March and saying, you can't take six to one on this horse. He's got two lifetime starts. He's got three lifetime starts. This horse is still running in an American classic against far more accomplished and seasoned horses, and he didn't make his debut until 10 weeks ago. So this is also a monumental ask. I do think it's an extremely talented horse. Could he run third here? He absolutely could. Andrew, what do you think about creative minister? My concern with creative minister is, do we know what he's beaten? Um, You mentioned, Darren, he took some money in his debut. 
Uh, a portion of that was mine. I loved him <laughs> in that debut race at Gulfstream. You can still see the workout on his sheet going five furlongs in 58 and three right before that race. Kenny McPeak does not work his horses very, very quickly. He works them what they can run. And if a horse gets a fast clocking, it's not because the jockey's been all out on. Well, creative minister was way, way, way back, comes flying. Now, top of the stretch, I think I'm hosed, completely and totally hosed. At the 16th pole, I'm thinking he wins by two lengths because of how fast he's going. And he winds up losing by a neck. Does come back, going two turns effectively, wins twice in a row. I like the figure progression that I'm seeing. From a buyer's standpoint, you see 76 to 83 to 92. He certainly does need to improve those in order to contend here, but it's a young developing horse. What's to say that he can't? I'll be very interested in seeing the tote board action for this horse because I could see him opening at five or six to one being the wise guy horse. I could see him opening at 15 or 16 to one and not taking any money at all. It's a fascinating case. And a lot of it depends on what you think he's been running against those last two starts. I just don't think he's been running up against a lot. And for me, he'd be one of the underneath horses on wider tickets. I think it's another case we're asking for this horse to continue rising enough to where he tops the best of his generation. Might be a little bit too much to ask. Fenwick, DZ. Fenwick is uh, 50 to 1. He's got, as, he's got about as much a chance as Rich Strike did in the Derby. You know, uh, and, 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 he, and he won the Derby, but I mean, I, I mean, look, it, I I, listen, like, like we said, crazy things happen in the Derby. Uh, this horse does have one race that came back with a really big figure when he went wire to wire at 21 to one in a maiden special way to Tampa. Uh, the one thing that this horse does have that Rich Strike did not have is that he ran against some of the Derby horses and got his tail handed to him uh, in the bluegrass stakes. Rich Strike. For all of his faults, and there were many of them, he didn't have a race coming into the Derby where he got beat 36 lanes by Zandon. Um, if this horse were to win this race, uh, I might give up trying to handicap these races. Yeah. Uh, he, he has as close to no chance as humanly possible. There or are equi- two, or equinely possible. Yeah, there are two in here that I, I would have. A, I would have a really hard time. Getting getting to on the win end. Um, I mean, a couple could get the the other two. There are two other long shots that you could you could see there being trips where it's like, okay, that that's how they won. Not that they were the most likely winners or anything, but be, with Fenwick and with Happy Jack, I just I don't know how they. I, I can't see the trip in my head that they they win it. Um, Andrew Fenwick. So I have nothing to add to what DZ said. Can I put the tinfoil hat on for a moment? Sure. Always. Okay. You, I mean, you're, you, you've got it on even if you didn't ask. Let's be, well, let's I, be honest. I just wanted, I wanted to be diplomatic. <laughs> Thank about you. It, I appreciate yeah. that. So the race two back, that maiden special weight race, came on Tampa Bay Derby Day. Tampa Bay Downs, biggest handle day of the meet. Mm-hmm. This horse had shown next to nothing in yep. four prior starts. Did run second in a maiden race at Belmont. That did not come back well. There was absolutely nothing on paper to suggest what we saw two starts ago was happening. This horse moved out of the barn of Steve Asmussen right before that race to the barn of a trainer that, according to the Daily Racing Forum, had run 21 horses 
on the year before the bluegrass stakes. And not only does this horse put forth a lifetime best effort, not only does this horse air over a horse in command performance that a lot of people had very high hopes for. Best made, best maiden in the country to this day. <laughs> this I just horse had a drop in my fantasy horse race. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This, this horse wins by more than five lengths at 21 to one. You guys remember a couple of years ago when the connections of a very, very nice sprinter by the name of Masochistic played games and entered him in a race on the Kentucky Derby undercard in an attempt to make a big win bet and score at a bigger price? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, remember that. I yeah. think there might have been something up with that two-back race to where I don't want to say they were holding them, but you don't go from buyers of 25, 62, 47 with a Hall of Fame horseman to an 88 buyer speed figure on the biggest day of the meet with the biggest handle that track will see all season long and not raise alarm bells with people who know how to read racing for him. I smell a rat here. The, the only thing that I would is my count. And I'm not saying you're so, wrong. Wait, you're are, right, you, you, saying, right. are you saying this horse is a lot better than we think he is? <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I, I'm saying all systems were go to that start day. back. And it, you can interpret that however you want. It, it was like uh, you were kind of hitting at it too. It was one of those bizarre racetracks that it was a, an, a sort of an off track. He got the lead that day and he, and he just sort of went on with it. There was no passing. So that figure may have been inflated, but I, I sent, I know what you're saying. When you look at the past performances, it, it does look a little, uh, a little intriguing. So that's Fenwick. He's your uh, your longest listed I shot. Say, I feel like we've talked more about Fenwick than any other podcast that's ever will. This race. That's what we get. That's <laughs> what you get on. That's what G said. You get the quality and the quantity as we get to the Philly Secret Oath. She comes in off the Kentucky Oaks win DZ. It's still pretty amazing that looking back that she was nine to two um, in that race, um, and she was very good. She was impressive. In her lone race against the boys in the Arkansas Derby, she ran really well and did not have a great trip and had to go very wide. She had a lot of trouble. Do you think she can win this race? Uh, how are you looking to play her, or are you not playing her? What do you think about Secret Oath in the Preakness? Well, can she can she win the race? The answer to that question is obviously yes. She's she's too talented a horse for the answer to that question to be no. Um. The one thing that her speed figures are are not far off of the the top contenders in here by any stretch. Uh, she shows dramatic acceleration on the far turn that uh, breaks the Phillies' hearts that she goes up against. She showed it in the Arkansas Derby against Colts. She simply couldn't sustain it in the stretch because of the amount of ground she had to make up. But again, that is the difference between running against Phillies and running against Colts. If she makes that move in the Arkansas Derby, despite the trip against Philly, she still wins. She does it against the three-row Colts, and she comes up short. So you need to take into consideration that this is still a Philly that is going against the boys. This is not a brilliantly fast Rachel Alexandra-esque Philly that can make the running on the lead and create her own racing luck. She is going to need to navigate through. Some not even like here. Swiss skydiver, right? Yeah. No, like you were saying, yes. she doesn't She's really not, have that type of tactical right. speed. She is going to need to navigate through some traffic here, which again, 
is more difficult to do against boys than it is against girls. The other thing that she has going against her is that she is a Philly that is now running back in two weeks, and she's never done that before. I know there's a couple of others in here that are doing that as well, but asking a Philly to do that against Colts, it takes a very, very special kind of Philly to do that. She is very special, but she is going to need nothing less than her A-plus game to win. And how I play her, Gino, and I'm not trying to cop out to your question, it will be completely dependent upon the value. Is she Swiss skydiver where she drifts and goes off at a price she's not supposed to? And for me, that would be anything like in the realm of seven to one if the money comes in all over the place on Epicenter and they pound early voting and simplification goes off four to one. And all of a sudden, you know, with three minutes or five minutes, the post secret oath is sitting on the board at eight, nine to one. That's one thing. Is she seven to two, four to one? That's something completely different. Andrew secret oath. The Kentucky Oaks is going to stick with me for a really long time. Those who listened to this show two weeks ago knew that I loved Echo Zulu, and I thought Echo Zulu ran a really nice race, all things considered. The three-eighths poll, Secret Oath comes up to Echo Zulu. Echo Zulu responds a little bit, and I'm thinking, oh, this horse might have something left. We might get, you know, get a re-break situation going. That's great. And then Luis Saez looked under the shoulder. Anybody that watches a lot of races knows when you see a jockey do that move, at that point around the far turn, game, if you, set, match. <laughs> if you have bet that horse, go to the window, wait for the race to become official. If you didn't bet on that horse, just stop watching. Uh, that's what happened. Secret Oath dusted that field. It says she won by two lengths. We can agree she was much the best in that particular race. Now, the Arkansas Derby, to me, is a little bit of a throwout because she had a terrible trip in that race and Cyberknife, the winner of that race had a perfect trip and won with that perfect trip. Mm -hmm. Still, it sticks with you a little bit because neither Cyberknife nor Barber road were close to epicenter. Secret Oath's got a couple of lengths to make up on epicenter, but she's my second choice in this particular race. I think she's going to go off as the second choice in the betting. I personally think you flip the morning line uh, between Secret Oath and early voting, who we'll get to next. And I think you've got a far more realistic expectation of her value. Can she win? Absolutely. She is going to need Epicenter to regress, however, in order to do so. If she's three and a half to one at post time, it, it, she's a fade for me. I, I, I just don't. I just, I, she's not, you know, like I said, we've seen her again. I know she had a bad trip, but again, when you're a Philly running against boys, that can happen when you have her running style and you have to overcome that. And it requires a lot of talent and a lot of ability, which she certainly has. But at, at three and a half to one, you, I, I could not play her in this spot. That's just, that's just my takeaway. Yeah. I'm, I'm it's funny. I loved her in the Oaks. And I don't really like her in this spot at all. I just don't. It's not that this is the strongest Preakness in the world either. She. It's just maybe a combination of, as Darren was saying, her her running style is partially why she doesn't have some of those monster figures. 
right? Because she's just not like a gonna run you off your feet type fast filly. So she's like Zenyatta. Zenyatta yeah. never ran 110 buyers. Exactly. No. Yeah. So so that doesn't mean she can't win, but it does make things so much difficult for her, especially in a, a maybe even in a smaller field like this. I don't. I I would want like f- at least for me it would be above like above five. I think I would add that would be like my line, and I I I wouldn't be bet- betting her to win in here. Can she win? Absolutely. But I I went in to do a little fantasy draft. We were having a fun one uh, with Matt DeSantis. It was and we picked horses that were in the Preakness and the Black Eyed Susan. So there were twenty two horses, and we did a we picked twenty of the twenty two. And I had three horses from the Preakness that I was I wanted to at least get one of them. And Secret Oath, it wasn't for me. It was. Either epicenter uh, early voting or simplification, I thought were the horses I felt the safest with. I, she again, she wouldn't shock me, but I I want to be rewarded if it is her. And I think you're right, Andrew. I I thought Swiss Skydiver was going to take more of the Philly money last time, but I don't think this race is as strong. No, and there's no, and especially with her coming off of a Kentucky Oaks win, where you don't have a Derby winner in here. And you've got like Epicenter And then after Epicenter None of these other horses are all that like popular Or were really like the top Top tier horses going into The Derby so that's where she will Probably take some support and that's my I guess that would be my concern with her Andrew Like what so where's your line for her what, What's your like value line on, on uh, Well I think she's Going to be seven to two and Also as far as you know Taking Philly money and whatnot. This horse may also take D. Wayne Lucas money, too. That's a heck of a story right there. Now, what I would need in order to better on the win end, I'd probably need at least the 92 she is on the morning line, maybe 5-1. to one. Yeah, makes sense. That's Secret Oath, the Philly in the Preakness. We move to early voting, who is a, a two-time winner, and his only defeat came when he was beat by a neck in the Wood Memorial. He was run down by Mo Donegal, who came back. And he ran fine in the Derby DZ. I think you were talking about how, you know, it's hard with some of these horses in the Derby in particular because it's such a, a unique race where you you, you don't want to take maybe hold it against horses like Simplification and Modonagal that they got great trips and they ran okay. You know, maybe they didn't win in a big field, but he he ran fine and he's a nice horse. I think he's one of the better three year old horses. So early voting has proved. That he stacks up and I think he The class should fit well in here You feel like he's just going to be winging it on the front end Oh yeah I think you have to Yeah I, I would be I would be shocked if he's not just gunning Right to the front um, I mean look his, well, I've said this before His best weapon is his speed It would be a sin not to use it Now that doesn't mean that we have not Seen that sin happen time and time again In major races um, And can they get in their head a little bit and maybe be a little bit concerned. We need an extra 16th of a mile. He got caught by a neck going a mile and an eighth, yada, yada, yada. I mean, all that can happen. But I, I still think that you have to realize that this horse's speed is his weapon. And you have to take advantage of that. Now, um, with Mo Donegal, who beat him by a neck in the Wood Memorial, ran fine in the Derby. Um, the chart line on Mo Donegal for me is a little misleading where it says, again, it says 10 wide. Again. That's where he angled out to at the top of the stretch. He started the far the far turn almost on the rail and progressively moved out as the turn commenced. He had a very clean trip. He didn't get stopped and started and stopped and started. 
and he closed past the tired horses. But no, I don't think there was any trip in the world that was going to get him ahead of everybody else. He ran fine. Uh, I just happen. I think early voting is an extremely talented horse. Um, he's very quick. He's fast. Uh, I think he's a dangerous speed horse here because he's fresh and a fresh speed horse on the lead, um, I think is, is a dangerous proposition. Now, Epicenter, for all of his triumph and, and all of his, uh, everything that he carries with him into this race in terms of past performances and how good he looks on the track and how good he looks on paper, he's not only wheeling back off two weeks, he's wheeling back in two weeks off a really, really tough race, uh, a race where he was close to an extremely fast pace uh, that saw him fighting all the way through the stretch. And now he has to bounce back in two weeks and run that race again. And that is not easy to do by modern standards. And I think there's, I don't think a horse like Armagnac or uh, is going to be in a position where he's quick enough to push the early pace. I don't think he's a horse that's going to be off of early voting's flank. And if he's not, and if they try to take things easy with Epicenter early and get him a little bit of a breather so he's not pushing the speed, I wouldn't shock me if early voting's out there winging by two. Yeah. And if and if he is, they may not. They, they you know they, they, it could happen where they don't catch him. And again, just like I said for Secret Oath, it'll come down to price. If this horse goes off five to one, he's absolutely going to be on top of my tickets in a lot of spots. Yeah, he's in every one of my exotics if I'm playing pick fours and pick fives just because of the the possibility of them with and and, and the other thing real quick by the way that I might no, want to mention. Chad Brown is exceptional at getting horses to peak in the spots that he wants them to peak. Skipping the derby by design to avoid what he thought was going to be an extremely fast pace and my god would only have been faster somehow if this horse was in the derby. He made all the right moves there. And now he's got him in a field with a lot of questions that he's the speed of the speed in a race that doesn't project to have a ton of early pace. This seems to be shaping up like Chad Brown is hitting all the right notes and making all the right moves. And it wouldn't shock me if at the end of the day on Saturday, we're saying he skipped the derby, he picked the right spot, he had the horse peak in the right spot, and early voting took the field wire to wire. So... You know what Mo Donegal's Derby running line says to me? Belmont winner. Had to drop that in there. Um, so, Darren, you hit on a lot of really good points. If Armagnac, or however the heck we're pronouncing this horse's name, I'm going to pronounce it about nine different ways between now and the end of the show. Armagnac. So Armagnac. Armagnac. <laughs> get, get, a, get a mag in there at some point. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Armagnac. Exactly, yeah. Um so if that horse wasn't in the field, early voting would be a standout to me. Because well, you think, would you be think he's quick speed. enough to push him? Do you really? I think that's his one way of going. I okay. think Armagnac, that might be two, I don't know, um, is two for two when he leads after the first point of call and 0 for three when he doesn't. He's got one way of going, and I think it's going to be very clear to Arad Ortiz what the plan is. And that, by the way... For so the brothers, there, they're going at it, huh? Yep. They're going to go at it early? For, 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 for those out there who think that maybe racing between the Ortiz brothers is not on the level, um, we'll see. First of a all, Andrew, think- just, just to speak to your point, because you, you cited the two races where he went wire to wire. Here's my contention as to why I don't think he's quick enough. The, two races, 
the, the two well beyond the short fields, the two races where he went wire to wire at Santa Anita, he hit the half mile in 47.77 and 47.78. And the two races where he had to go quick with quality horses in order to get close to the front, where they went to the half in 45.90 and 46.70, he couldn't get close. I don't think he's quality speed, and I don't think he can keep up with early voting. I don't think he's quality speed. I don't think he should be running. I'm thinking this was an owner decision rather than a trainer decision. And I think we're going to see why about six furlongs into the race when Armagnac is dropping like a rock and early voting is left on the lead with Epicenter breathing right down his neck, fresh rating off of that speed duel that's going to happen with those two horses that need the lead in order to run well. In addition to that, Early voting didn't have the easiest time up front fractions-wise in the Wood Memorial. If you take the fractions off the screen, though, he had a perfect trip. I mean, he was he was clear by two lengths turning for home. Darren, you mentioned that's the trip you think he might get in the Preakness. Mo Donegal came and ran him down. I think Epicenter is better than Mo Donegal. I think early voting is going to have some speed to his outside, breathing down his neck. And I see a horse that's going to be a fairly short price, though not as short as I think the morning line would indicate. Would a win shock me? No. Chad Brown is excellent at spotting his horses. And my God, you look at the form and you see 33% at some of the biggest circuits in the country. Like, oh my freaking goodness. But at his likely price, with Armagnac in the field, who I think is absolutely going, I don't think he's good enough to be around for when the real running starts, but I do think he's going to play a part in the pace situation. To me, he's a bet against in here. Talent-wise, he's good enough to win. If Armagnac gets loose in the paddock and has to scratch, I change all of my tickets and I change all of my mindset. But to me, this is the type of front runner that needs a perfect trip in order to beat Epicenter. I don't think he gets it. Yeah, I... My uh, my only counter, and this is funny. My only counter would be uh, what uh, Andrew Champagne's angle with Messier was when coming into the Derby. Maybe for Chad Brown, it wasn't as if they were completely dead set on the Kentucky Derby with this horse, That's and they were fair. using the Wood Memorial as a prep for you know for this one. And maybe he will just be a little bit sharper, a little bit fitter, and be able to withstand uh, an onrush of a of an epicenter in here. I mean, if I'm going to counter you, I have to use some of your own material. Hey, I don't mind that. It means you're listening <laughs> to some things that I wind up spouting on the show. <laughs> exactly. So right right back at you there. So we talked about early voting, and we talked a lot about Armagnac already. So let's talk about old Jack, who's right in the middle. DZ, can we make any case in here for Happy Jack adding the blinks? No, he shouldn't. I don't want to tell people where to spot their horses, I don't understand why he's in the race. I, I really, I really don't. This is the only horse from the Kentucky Derby who was far back with that fast pace, and not only did he not close, he didn't make up any ground, any ground. He couldn't pass Crown Pride, who was in a speed duel with Messier at the half mile pole. Uh, he barely got by Messier, who was also in that speed duel. He couldn't beat Classic Causeway. He couldn't beat Zozos, who was four wide chasing that wild pace. Uh, I don't see any scenario where, if you're the connections of this horse, why you would think this race would be to his benefit. I understand it's Calumet Farm, and they're going to run these horses 
in these races whenever they can because they're Calumet Farm. And Doug O'Neill certainly never shies away from a big race. You could put blinkers on, take blinkers off. You can, you know, have Lazarus himself talk to this horse and bring down Pegasus and give him a whisper or go in his ear. It's not going to make any difference. Uh, I don't care what the result of the Derby was. This horse has no chance. So, Andrew, so just just to be clear, you're not using Happy Jack. So no, no Happy Jack. So, <laughs> no. Would, would in, fa in, fa in fact, it, I, I won't say I would bet him to finish last because of Fenwick. And I do agree with you that Armagnac is going to be done at the six furlong pole. So my guess is if you asked me, where is this horse going to run? I would put the over under at seven and a half out of the nine. And with my take is he's probably running seventh or eighth in the race. I, so I, I don't understand why he's here either. Um, yeah, just to be completely honest. Now, if you look at his running lines, though, I'd argue blinkers wouldn't be the key. The only time this horse has won has been the one time he's run with Lasix, which you can't have in graded stakes races here in America yeah. anymore. Maybe this horse is a product of that weaker breed that needs Lasix in order to run well. The other thing that I'd mention is this is a stamina pedigree with Oxbow on top out of a tap at Mayor. I wouldn't have been overly surprised if they had decided, okay, we'll regroup and we'll go in the Belmont because there is some distance to this horse, and it's not like he's a closer with an explosive turn of foot. He's a plotter that'll run the same quarter for about nine miles, right? I would have had, I would have had no problem if they waited five weeks and said, we think the horse can run three miles. The Belmont is often won by strange horses, and they run him in the Belmont. I would have had exactly. no problem with that. But as far as this horse running here, I don't get it. The only way this horse would be even remotely a figment was if a situation similar to the Derby pops up where you see a horse with a two in the saddle cloth, and I'm thinking, oh, God, that's Happy Jack coming up the, the rail. Yeah. And instead, it's Rich Strike. And all of a sudden, my emotions go from relief that it's not Happy Jack, who all of us agreed was the worst bet in the history of the Kentucky Derby at his off price. And instead, it's shock at the fact that this horse that I don't know if we even profiled on this show, Rich nope. Strike, wound up winning the Derby. Absolutely but not. But any, anyway, Happy Jack is a toss for me, too. There was no Rich Strike mentioned anywhere <laughs> whatsoever. And in... Uh, I mentioned well, this, this. Somebody, somebody, somebody jumped on my Twitter feed, and they were like, "Darren, you're Mr. Turfway Park. How did you not have this horse?" And I just write back, "I love Twitter. I know, <laughs> I know. <It's> like, <laughs> come on, come on." Um, so as I was tell, telling you guys before, we did a, a draft, and because the draft had, there were going to be twenty horses drafted between. The Black Eyed Susan and the Preakness There were going to be two left over So I have I had what ended up being The last pick So when it came back to me I had my choice Between three horses Either Happy Jack Fenwick or One filly from the, One of the speed fillies from the Black Eyed Susan and the only reason Why I didn't pick her Missy Greer is because I already had Three other Black Eyed Susan fillies On my team so I basically I just sort of Needed another Preakness horse to possibly pick up some points if they finish in the top five, which how we do it. So I picked Happy Jack over Fenwick. Morning, so, morning matcha was taken. Uh, morning matcha was taken. The the yeah. final three horses that were left, and there were and the two that didn't get picked were 
Um, the um, Armagnac and, and Ar- uh, no, or, no, we're we Fenwick. Armagnac got picked. We're Fenwick oh, and wow. Missy Greer. Missy Greer, the okay. Philly in the uh, in the Black Eyed Susan there, because uh, there there were twenty two horses between those two races and twenty horses that got picked. So the only two. So I, I we joked. Those are that's your winner of the Black Eyed Susan and the Oaks. Fenwick. I would be, I, I'll put Missy it to this Greer. way. I will be more surprised if Happy Jack wins the Preakness than if Missy Greer wins the Black Eyed Susan. Oh, me too. <laughs> me too. I would have, and if it were in a vacuum, I think Missy Greer is much more likely a winner of that race for the way my like team was set up. I I I didn't want to have four horses in the Black Eyed Susan and only one in the Preakness. So I she's she's about ten times more likely to win. She's got about a two percent. Oh, chance sure. To win, Happy Jack has about a zero point two percent chance to win. Oh no, you're you're dead. You're <laughs> dead on. You're absolutely right. Now the only positive that like we were saying is for Happy Jack, can he run fifth, beaten fifteen lengths? I don't. I don't. I. I honestly, I don't even think so. I really don't. Me neither. I don't. And that. That's. That's where you know, if if the speed horses battle, and they all fade, and he just grinds past them. But I don't. That's the problem. Like that's. The, I can't. I was I can't joking. See, I can't see him finishing front of simplification, creative minister, uh, secret oath, early voting, or epicenter. Or I'll be honest with you. Or Skippy Longstocking. No, probably I not. I can't. I can't see him finishing in front of any of those horses. And that's. It's amazing because I probably would have said the same thing about Rich Strike before the Derby, and we can't we can't play this game from like a gambling standpoint because I wouldn't. Right. Happy Jack was twenty three to one in the Derby, and he really should have been one hundred and twenty three uh, to one. I, I'll be I'll be honest with you. If you would have if you would have given me, and I'm not saying this because you won. If you would have given me head to head Happy Jack versus Rich Strike, I would have taken Rich Strike. Oh, yeah, I would have too. too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I mean, probably... by the way, really quickly, if you are out there and you have bet on both my boy Jack. And Happy Jack over the last five or six years in the Kentucky Derby. I need you to do one of two things. Either stop betting for the sake of your own money. Or if you insist on betting, I want you betting on every single pool I am involved in. Why don't why don't you give me half the money you are going to bet? <laughs> we'll go exactly. out back. I'll kick you in the nuts. And we'll call it a day. <laughs> Oh, you're, oh God! I love this show. It's it's hilarious. And uh, old Jack. Let's see if Happy Jack Vegas vacation. If you have no can, idea where that came can from, can do it. Listening. That was yeah. <laughs> that was just fantastic stuff here. That uh, the dealer. Well, that's the the guy, yeah. the, the, t- the teacher from Mister uh from Clueless. Good luck, everybody from Clueless. The teacher. Ooh, big yeah. bet for a big man. Ooh, yeah. And he's also isn't he from the Princess Bride too? Yeah, I think. Um, okay, we talked about Armagnac already. Let's get to the final two in the Preakness. It's the favorite epicenter, DZ. I mean, he's no doubt right on the very top tier of the this group of three year olds. He ran a bang up race in the Derby. He, I was actually uh, when I saw early on that he was about five or six lengths back. I was like, ah, he's probably done. But then he quickly moved to sort of get himself back into striking range. And he got he ended up working himself out a really nice trip. Now he had to work hard at it, but it was a trip that he didn't end up having a ton of trouble. Uh, some horses in the Derby don't even get a shot. He got to prove that he is quality, but he did still get run down by a big long shot inside. I mean, it was a wicked pace. That that move wins the Derby almost every single time. That move that he made, he held off Zandin. Who looked like he was going to go by him? Pratt said, "I thought I had epicenter measured," and he fought him off. So, is he going to be even money in here? 
Yeah, he is. Um, which means you have to basically go into this if you like him, thinking that he's got a 50% chance to win. Um, and maybe that's close. I would probably say it's more around 40% when you compare it to the rest of the field. Uh, look, he's the best three-year-old where we sit right now. I understand he got run down by Rich Strike. So did 18 other horses. Um, he ran the best race by far in the Kentucky Derby. Uh, you're 100% right. 99 times out of 100, his move wins the Derby. And if that move gets caught, it gets caught by Zandon, who wins with that move 99 times out of 100. Uh, it was the most inexplicable, uh, anomaly-driven result of a Kentucky Derby and a perfect storm that you'll ever see in which, for Rich Strike, every hole opened at the exact right moment. Tawny Port, who was right in front of Rich Strike, who made enough of a move to bring him into the into position, moved to the outside, allowing the red seat apart for him in the stretch. And, and Sonny Leon made every right decision at the exact right time. If not for that perfect storm, we are coming into a preakness where Epicenter is the dominant three-year-old. He's won three straight races. He won the Derby as the favorite, and he's coming in here as a three-to-five favorite to win the Preakness Stakes. Um, and how would you feel about him in that situation? You would think he's 50, 60% likely to win. How does he handle the two-week turnaround? That's a question that we won't know until it happens. Um, I think it is imp it's impossible to dismiss his chances. There's nothing to knock him outside of how he responds to the two weeks off of what was a grueling Kentucky Derby. Um, but he didn't run a ridiculously fast number that he hasn't run before. I don't necessarily think he's prone to a bounce per se here. Maybe in his next start, if he runs back quick again, that's possible. He's the most likely winner of the race. If you're going to play exotics, you have to figure out a way to bet it so that you're not using him first and second with the other favorites and you got to find value elsewhere. But you can't really come into this race saying, uh, oh, Epicenter is not going to win. You know, let's be honest. He's the most likely winner of the race. The odds are going to reflect that. Wager accordingly. Andrew, if if I would have, if you would ask me before the Kentucky Derby or, you know, maybe after the Louisiana Derby, the game that you play, the who's the most likely winner of the Belmont, if, if we would have said that about the Preakness, I probably would have said Epicenter at that point. He just always felt to me with his running style, his kind of controlling speed. He showed he can sit off a little bit. He seems kind of push button. He's just kind of very cool. gun runner esque. Yeah, and he'll just kind of fight you. He feels like a horse who that he can just say, "Okay, go," and just make the move right, kind of quickly. He would have been the horse I would have picked as the most likely winner of the Preakness, and the field shaped up really, really well for him. I mean, he he looks like the the deserving favorite in here. You guys know that I love being able to be a contrarian. You know that I love putting the tinfoil hat on. I love saying things that some people think I don't mean just to get a rise out of you guys, whatever. Epicenter's a single. Um, I loved him in the Derby. His move wins not 99 out of 100, 999 out of 1,000 Kentucky Derbies are won with that move. And the fact that Sonny Leone aboard Rich Strike, made every single correct decision over the course of the last six furlongs of that race. It's one of the best rides, not just in derby history, but one of the best rides I have ever seen. Epicenter's supposed to win that race. Epicenter ran his heart out. 
And I don't think they'd be here with this horse if there was a chance he didn't come out of the Derby well. These are not connections that press. These are connections that run their horses when they're ready. They're not afraid to take their time. And when Steve Asmussen wheels a horse back in the Preakness off of two weeks, he's done it with Carlin. He's done it with Rachel Alexandra. Granted, those were both Hall of Famers, but won both times. Epicenter to me looms very, very, very large. The only hole would have been if he had drawn in between speed horses or been in a position where he gets the shuffle and he has to work out a trip. There's no speed to his outside. All the speeds to his inside. He's going to sit that perfect trip third behind the two pace setters, early voting and Armagnac. He's going to be a length and a half, two lengths off of it. And if he's ready, he wins. I think he's ready. I think he wins. Single and move on. Let's uh, get to the final runner in the Preakness, Skippy Longstocking, who was third behind early voting in uh, the Wood Memorial behind Modonical and early voting. Skippy Longstocking drawn to the outside in here, DZ. And I mean, as a three-year-old, he is, he's a nice horse. He doesn't really, there's, there's not a lot to knock for what he's done. He has a couple races that feel like he was overmatched. And that would just be my concern with him here. And that, you know, it, Feels like this group probably is a little too tough He's probably a cut below the top Three-year-olds I can understand why some of these connections though might look At this race and think my horse might Be able to run third or fourth in here You know it isn't that deep and Strong after you know Epicenter does seem like he sort of Towers over everyone it depends On where you think of the Philly and then Other than that you know you got a pace player Or two simplification is a nice Horse but he's nothing that terrifies you So I, I guess I can understand why some of these connections are thinking, hey, you know what? It's not the strongest Preakness field or deepest Preakness field in the world. Maybe we can grab a slice. Can Skippy grab a slice? So when you th- – this is the difference between vertical exotics and horizontal exotics. Uh, Andrew talked about how for him Epicenter is a single, and I certainly understand why. Skippy Longstocking for me is the horse that is going to make or break the Preakness because he is the horse that I am going to key around in the vertical exotics. And what I mean by that is trifectas, superfectas. Um, This horse in his last two starts has taken two very big leaps forward in that you can see that he is starting to figure out what he is. His previous races at Gulfstream going the one-turn mile, he was too close to the pace, fast pace at that, wasn't the preferred running style that he wanted. Junior Alvarado, to his credit, figured that out, backed him off the pace on the March 2nd allowance race. He got a gangbuster result. Then they ran the horse in the Wood Memorial. He was about a half length in front of Mo Donegal on the midway point of the far turn. They were moving together in company, picking up the horses in front of them. Mo Donegal got the inside track, and Skippy Longstocking had a swing out four wide to the outside. It took him a little bit longer to switch his leads in the stretch after he lugged in slightly. And that was the difference between Mo Donegal closing to win the race and Skippy Longstocking closing to pass a couple and finish third. Now, I admit he's going to need a trip. He's going to need racing luck. He's going to need one of the speed horses and one of the quality speed horses to not fire their best shot. But I do think that if things break right, this horse has a very big chance 
to run second or third at what would be a very big number. Is a win out of reach? Probably. But in your exact your exact is your tries and your supers. If you're saying to me, Darren, give me the horse to build tickets around. If Epicenter is going to win, who can I put underneath them that's going to help out the exotic value? My answer to that question is Skippy Longstocking. Andrew, you know, I thought I was going to be creative by saying, "Oh, look very, at this!" I had two very strong opinions here. The first is Epicenter probably wasn't going to lose. The second was Skippy Longstocking has a really good chance to run third. Um, I don't know what's happened over the last two starts. It sure seems, though, like he has taken to two turns like a duck to water. He did have that perfect setup in the March 2nd allowance at Gulfstream where they went very, very fast early. A couple of the horses in that race turned out to be sprinters as opposed to horses that wanted to go a mile and an eighth. There were Mm -hmm. people that thought maybe swing shift is going to be something that was a Todd Pletcher trainee that had a little bit of steam. And instead, Skippy Longstocking rallies from nine and a half lengths back, wins going away. I didn't hate his Wood Memorial. I thought that was a nice race that he ran. And figure this, early voting, who had by all accounts a dream trip in that race, is going to be... No more than five to one. We can say that, right? No more than five to one. There are thereabouts. Mm-hmm. Skippy yeah, Longstocking is going to be four or five times the price. Doesn't that seem wrong? I think Skippy Longstocking has every chance to hit the board in here. My main concern is Safi Joseph shipping anywhere else. And I'll leave it right there. That is the field for the Preakness. So, uh, DZ, you gave us a couple best bets earlier in on the car. Just give us some of your final thoughts, how you're looking to play the Preakness overall. Yeah, so my my vertical exotics are going to consist of, obviously, Epicenter is, is going to be prominent. Uh, and then the whoever offers what I perceive to be the better value related to their chances to win between Secret Oath and early voting, that'll be the top part of my ticket. But I'm not going to really put them together. I'm not going to have even money epicenter with three to one early voting or seven to two secret oath one, two. I'm going to need a horse like Skippy Longstocking to get in the mix and split, split those runners to help spice up the exotics. So I will not put favorites one, two. Um, it's just not how I, how I play vertical exotics. So it's, it's going to be very cut and dry for me. Um, simplification is going to be a bottom of the exotic horse for me. Creative minister is going to be a bottom of the exotic horse for me. And then when it comes to the, the other big long shots, Fenwick, Happy Jack, Armagnac are complete tosses. So it's really real simple for me from a numbers standpoint, the value out of the four or five with the eight on top, with the nine second, and then with the uh, one, two, four, and five in the uh, third and fourth spots in tries and supers. Pretty straightforward how I'm going to be approaching this race. Andrew, uh, how are you looking to play it? Yeah, from a vertical exotic standpoint, I'm eight with one, four, nine. I think you need to toss one of the horses that's likely to take money. And for me, that's early voting. I respect early voting. I think early voting's got a lot of talent. If Armagnac wasn't in this race, I would think early voting has a big chance, not just to hit the board, but to win because he certainly looked like the controlling speed. But I think Armagnac is going to be sent on a glorified suicide mission. Hey, the owners have a Preakness runner. Great, wonderful, fantastic. By the way, one of those owners is one of the people that tried to shorten the Belmont. So read into that what you will. That guy wants to be there. Anyway, eight with 149 for me in vertical exotics. 
horizontally speaking, epicenter is going to be a single. And I may very well play a pick three that starts in race number 11 with Mr. Jefferson, Darren and I's best play on the undercard, hitting the all button in the 12th and then singling epicenter in the 13th to maybe extract a little bit of value from that one in case, hey, it's a turf sprint. Something stupid's probably going to happen. <laughs> maybe that's the way to play that particular race. I like that approach. Yeah, it is the old. Especially something. especially a turf sprint when you've got like four horses in there that are dirt horses. <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah. and, and by the way, I, I'm not going to go on. I'm not going to go on this point too, too much. From a wagering standpoint, I understand why they moved the dinner party earlier in the card because you are going to have a pretty heavy favorite in that race. It really stinks that that race isn't the lead in to the Preakness anymore. And I understand why they did it from a wagering standpoint. They wanted chaos in that late pick four. They've got it with this particular race. I don't even know where to begin. If Caratari doesn't win at nine to five, I don't know who does. And I don't think Caratari's a cinch either. So it, I get it. I understand why they did it. It just, even altering traditions like that, the little ones, leaves sort of a rotten taste in my mouth. So when we start talking about altering the big ones, that's when my guard goes straight up. Well, it drove me. It drove me nuts when they moved the Breeders' Cup turf out of the penultimate part of the the lineup for those years. Yep. And I understood they did it for horses like Wise Dan and Goldacova. I, I didn't care. I, the Breeders' Cup turf was always the race before the Classic. When they moved that race into like race five on the program, it drove me absolutely nuts. So I totally hear you on that. And uh, you had to bring up Caratori, man. That Troy race at twenty four to one at Saratoga. I needed him that day, and I like him. I played him a few times. He's a nice little. Turf he ain't gonna sprinter. be twenty four to one on Saturday. <laughs> he, won't, he won't be. He sure, he sure as shit won't be uh, any uh, any other times, <laughs> fellas. Uh, DZ, first uh, tell us what we can expect from you this week. What kind of content are you gonna have out there? And then Andrew, uh, let us know where we can find some of your work. Yeah, busy week. Uh, I'll be doing the expert picks as always for for Belmont Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. The midweek betback special picks uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Um, Wednesday, there's a, a promo at Indiana that we that we had a promo for. That's also going to be up there. I'm going to be doing a uh, Preakness Black Eyed Susan preview video myself and Nick Tamaro. That'll go out through the uh, Twin Spire social media pages, and I will be spending Preakness Day. I believe we're recording this on Tuesday night. Uh, at Monmouth Park on Saturday because uh, we are entering threat level midnight in the politely stakes. Nice at, at Monmouth on Saturday. Uh, awesome. Five for five furlongs on the turf. So we've been waiting for a spot uh, that was five on the grass to try to get her black type. Um, this is it. Um, you know, there's another one in Indiana in July, but we basically came to the conclusion that if we were not going to try in a spot like this. Uh, with a lot of the big, uh, you know, connections are going to be at Pimlico, uh, where they have the very one stake, which is also a Philly and Mare turf sprint on Friday that we thought was going to lure uh, better horses than the Mammoth stake and maybe open that race up a little bit and make it a little bit weaker than what it should be. Uh, we thought that maybe this was an opportunity with, with her speed going five furlongs that we can get her on the board in a stake race and add to her uh, potential value uh, as a broodmare prospect, you know, moving forward. So, uh, Saturday will have some uh, interesting ramifications for me as a better and possibly as an owner. So knock on wood, all things go well there. Andrew, what's going on with you this week, buddy? Uh, a lot's going on this week. Darren's mentioned that he is going to be at Monmouth for the Preakness. I'm going to be in an airplane for at least part of the day. 
I am headed down to sunny San Diego, and I am going to take this opportunity to brag. My lovely girlfriend, Alicia, is getting her master's degree. She just completed an online program through the University of San Diego, completed it with a 3.9 GPA while being an elementary school educator during the pandemic. Uh, can we get applause here? Very impressive. Very uh, impressive. Uh, yeah. and, uh, yeah. and, and Andrew, you, Andrew, you know what? You? And Andrew, she has the time to put up with you on know, top of right? all of that? I know Andrew, that's you know the what, biggest achievement. Yeah. You, you know what you know what she's doing, right? What's she doing? Moving on up, moving, moving on, on up. <laughs> <laughs> that that is well that in the business is what we call a callback. That but looking at the looking at the card, I believe the flight leaves just before the ninth race. So both of my best bets, I'm gonna be in the air for and hoping like hell Southwest Internet is stable enough to where I can at least watch the races on my machine. But we'll see about that. At any rate, I'll have a lot of content before the race up on playfected.com, which is Katina Media's horse racing outlet. I've also got a couple of articles up on Katina Media's other play sites. I did something on Play Maryland that talked about the Preakness infield. Yes, folks, Pegasus was mentioned. You're going to want to take a look at that. That's on playmaryland.com. Did something for Play New York as well, but if you want everything that I do in one neat location, follow me on Twitter at, at Andrew Champagne. Instagram and Twitch is at 142 Winners. And by the way, next month is the Alameda County Fair when I will be doing some seminars on the weekends for them. Two months until Saratoga, boys. And we're getting uh, we're getting into the summer months already, and we are heading to the Preakness. This weekend, a big thank you to DZ and to Andrew for always helping us out, always being so gracious with their time, whether it be racing, any kind of sports, or uh, or old wrestling rewatches, which you hear each and every week. Andrew, give us a reminder again, where are we headed for the next old wrestling rewatch? Sure. So we're trying to get back to our usual programming, and when prompted to get a show ready for this coming week, I looked at the current state of affairs in professional wrestling, and much is being made of AEW's super show with New Japan Pro Wrestling called Forbidden Door, which is coming up next month at the United Center in Chicago. This has been done before. WCW and New Japan Pro Wrestling came together for Starcade 1995. Some of the best wrestlers from New Japan came over on the WCW soil. The matches were inconsequential, and it's a little bit weird hearing them talk up this big, huge series that ultimately means absolutely nothing. But these are the types of shows that you run when you have a cooperative relationship with a company that's halfway across the world. On the good side of things, you get some really good matches. There's a fantastic match that we'll take a look at between uh, Eddie Guerrero and Otani, who had some really tremendous matches in the 1990s and was just ahead of his time in Japan. Unfortunately, there's also another really good match that we can't get to on that show because Voldemort's in it. But if you can stomach watching a Chris Benoit match, he has a really good one with Jushin Liger on that show. And there's a couple other good matches that I'm really looking forward to rewatching there as well. Starcade 1995 for next week, boys. Good stuff, DZ. Thank you. Good luck to you this weekend, Andrew. Hope you crush it out there. And uh, 
That made me laugh. These two fellas, they're going to be moving on up. We're, if, <laughs> if you hear, if anyone, you see that horse win, I hope that song is playing in your head. I hope you you at least sing that song to yourself uh, after these two guys set it in oh, motion. I'll be singing it in the San Diego airport when I oh, look yeah. up my Twin Spires account and I see the payoffs and I see Mr. Jefferson paying fourteen forty. I will be dancing in baggage claim. Dancing, <laughs> I tell you. There we go. Make sure to stay tuned. We'll finish up and uh Continue on dishing out some best plays Throughout the card and we'll put a big bow On everything give these guys a follow They're going to have great content all throughout Preakness week and don't go anywhere folks Lots more on that's what G said Thank you to Andrew and to Darren for Helping out there and dishing out some of their best plays And before we get into our next conversation We want to let you know about one of the longtime sponsors of that's what G said podcast Cindy Carava Full service realtor Cindy Carava Her website C-I-N-D-Y C-A-R-A-V-A dot com Cindy Carava dot com And she can help you out in many different ways Like buying, selling, leasing She can connect you with vendors If you're looking for home improvement Gardeners, landscapers, painters All sorts of great people that she has worked with In her own homes Maybe you need help with the loan getting pre-approved. She'll connect you with a lender, someone who can make that process a lot easier for you. That's her job. She wants to make things so much easier for you. She's going to take a lot of that stress off of your plate. She's going to check a lot of those boxes that you're just not quite sure what to do. Let Cindy take care of it. One of the kindest and most genuine people you'll ever meet. She focuses in on... Uh, San Gabriel Valley in North San Diego County But if you need help wherever you are Locally contact Cindy She will put you in touch with someone in your Area that she knows that she trusts Maybe you're just curious to see how much Your home is worth she'll do a free market Analysis of your home's value Check out reviews of her On Yelp and Zillow and that Website shows all of her listings And some of the former projects And, uh, and um, thoughts from Some of the people that she's worked with CindyCarava.com That's the place to be We're going to continue on the Saturday racing Over at Pimlico Up next it's Matt DeSantis Our good friend who we uh, we speak with uh, At least uh, once a week Mainly a couple times a week And Matt is going to be heading out to the Preakness So we had to talk with him about the Saturday Stakes races We're going to go Saturday Pimlico Races 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 We give some thoughts on each of them And uh, we spend about 45 minutes Taking you through the uh, the stakes portion um, Of the uh, the late stakes portion Of the Pimlico Saturday card So thanks to Matt for hanging out And hopefully we can lead you to a few winners Kick back and enjoy Oh it's Preakness weekend And we're going to talk all about the big Saturday We're going to talk about races 8 All the way up to the Preakness on Saturday With our good friend Matt DeSantis There probably hasn't been uh, A week within the last Year plus where I haven't had a This guy uh, a conversation With Matt for at least a few hours I'm sure many of you have uh, Heard him on uh, this podcast Before or you've seen us on The Friday morning live streams We do this weekend in Stable Duel Or anytime there was just random big races Here and there we would do random pop-up Streams all over the place Matt has been producing some incredible content all throughout the last year. He is one of the best stable dual players out there, hands down, and uh, very lucky that he's become a very good friend over the last uh, year, year and a half or so. Matty, how you doing, buddy? Doing awesome, Gino, and it's been so great to have those conversations with you over the last year, whether it's about stable duel or the big weekends that we have and the big races that yep. are taking place. So always enjoy talking horses with you and just enjoy talking life with you, too. Yeah, we, so, have a, we have a good time. Yeah, absolutely. So thanks for having me on. And this is going to be a lot of fun to talk about a big weekend up here in Maryland. 
we uh, we normally hang out with our buddy Barry on Friday mornings and this this weekend in stable dual live stream that so you can uh, hang out with us if you want every Friday morning, 10 o'clock a.m. Eastern time, 7 a.m. Pacific time, and we'll give out some best bets for Friday and Saturday stuff. Uh, we'll tell you all about the big games going on for the weekend at Stable Duel, and we'll always be looking for prices. That's the one thing you're going to get from all of us, because in, especially in Stable Duel, it doesn't really help you if we're telling you horses that are like way over the average to spend. We want to try to help you with horses that maybe we find that are some hidden gems or horses that we think may get bet down and you can find some good value. Sometimes it's races where there are scratches or, you know, just races that feel like they're really good to attack. So um, you hit a big stable, do- uh, stable dual milestone this week too, didn't you? Oh, <laughs> yeah. I, I got to the platinum level. Look at you. So yeah, what I are, know. What are the top dogs there yeah, in the, yeah, uh, in the so, stable dual world? But, man. Yeah. I mean, what I'll say is like for people who obviously we love playing stable dual, but, it's one of those things where that this weekend in stable duel, even if you're not playing the game, still great because, like you said, it's no chalk zone. We're giving mm-hmm. out prices. Yep. And and even if you're just playing at the window, if even if you're just playing on the, your, your TVG app or whatever, hey, these are good horses to use. We're giving you eight yep. to one, 10 to one, 12 to one morning line mm-hmm. horses to think about and, you know, can make you a little bit of money in the process. Yep. And these are the horses, like you said, the ones that everyone's trying to find in their pick fours or pick fives mm-hmm. a lot of the time, too. That maybe if you're only having a few bucks left on your account, you can go, but two bucks or five bucks or 10 bucks to win on a horse that's five, eight, 10 to one. And then boom, that's a yeah. nice way to start building your bankroll all up. So we, uh, we have a good time every Friday morning. One of my favorite parts of my week hanging out uh, with, uh, with Matt and with Barry. Now, this is a big weekend coming up in the world of racing with the Preakness, the second jewel of racing's Triple Crown. And now Pimlico gets the spotlight for this weekend for Friday and for Saturday. Matt, we did our second uh, fantasy horse racing draft. I was calling it the Matt, uh, the Matt DeSantis, uh, fan, the uh, extravaganza fantasy <laughs> horse racing draft with yeah. uh, you two, with me, you, Barry, and then Caleb also, our other our other buddy who uh, who's helped us out. And we had a lot of fun there, so... We were talking about it a little bit last night when we recorded. This weekend gets a little bit more of a local flavor because of sort of the way the stakes race is set up. Sometimes you'll have a lot of big horses run on the undercards Oaks Derby, and then maybe they'll come back a little later in the year or at the Belmont. And you get some solid races, but these these are sometimes some different faces, which is kind of cool. Even on Friday, uh, a filly that you really like, that you've been a fan of for a while, is going to actually run in the the Black Eyed Susan, which has always been a very big, important race for a three-year-old filly. So just tell us about uh, one of the fillies that you like in that race, and then we'll, we'll transition on over to Saturday. Yeah, sure thing. So you're right. There are a lot of local faces. And for people playing names like Brittany Russell and John Robb, mm-hmm. these are names of big-time trainers in the Mid-Atlantic that you should be paying attention to. So when you see their horses pop up, Pay special attention to them. They always have them ready for the fire. But in the Black Eyed Susan, uh, the horse that I have just fallen in love with for really the last year has been Luna Bell. Uh, she's the second morning line favorite at nine to two in that race behind Adair Manor. She's won five consecutive stakes races. And the really cool part about this story is her jockey, Dennis Arujo, is someone who moved to Laurel Park from Charlestown and really wasn't picking up any mounts. And Luna Bell was kind of the struggling juvenile filly who seemed to have a lot of talent. They put 
Dennis on her and the horse and the jockey just seem to have this perfect connection and he can calm her down and they've won five consecutive stakes races. He's never lost on her, in fact. Uh, and so it's a really cool story. She yeah. is clearly the crop, uh, the, the class, I should say, of the uh, three-year-old Philly crop here in the Mid-Atlantic. And mm -hmm. really great to see her on the national stage, see if she can uh, give some of these big names a run for their money. Yeah, because it's a lot of the times at, you know, Phillies like Luna Bell or horses like this that aren't necessarily running in Florida, New York, Kentucky, California. If they're not running there, sometimes even the figure makers are a little low on their races, mm -hmm. right? They just, they're not as big names. We're humans. You see the names of races. You see the names of horses. You can't help it. Those figures are a little bit higher. They're a little bit faster. I know sometimes they're all based on times and stuff, but then they get adjusted afterwards. These horses, when they get the acid test, I love seeing if they're ready to take that next step. And she's yeah. one of those fillies where, you know, to be honest, it's a contentious group. Yeah. We, we, we went through the whole field yesterday when we mm -hmm. did the, the fantasy draft. You can go check that out on Matt, uh, Matt's Twitter at fail to menace. And you can see, we spent 45 minutes, an hour going through pretty much the Preakness and the, uh, and the black eyed Susan and how we all rate a lot of those horses that we mm -hmm. picked. We talked a little tidbits about each one and why we picked them and, uh, or maybe why we ended up with them is <laughs> with a few is, uh, is probably a better way of putting it towards the end. <laughs> Yes. But, uh, but <laughs> this this is a good spot for her in that it's not as if it's the as tough as the Kentucky Oaks, but she's yeah. going to be able to get a class test now to see can she continue to step up and really battle with the big Philly. So this is like a really nice stepping stone for her. Yeah, because if you would have thrown her in the Oaks, oh. you never know. But that yeah. would have been a tough spot because she would have four or five like really tough Phillies in there to deal with here. Like you, she is the second choice yeah. and she is right in the top tier and feels like she could get a pretty good trip the way it's going to shape up. Yeah, absolutely. There's going to be a lot of speed and early pace, I would imagine, in that race between Adair Manor and Beguine uh, and Missy Greer. And so, you know, it sets up nicely for a horse like Luna Bell, who comes from off the pace and kind of gives starts to make her move usually around the third and fourth turns. Uh, and really, it's funny. It'll be interesting to see how it happens at Pimlico because she takes advantage of that long home stretch at Laurel mm -hmm. uh, and to really unfurl that full kick. So I'll be interested to see how Dennis kind of navigates her around Pimlico. But uh, yeah, it's it, and I think, you know, for the folks listening, it's important to keep in mind, like if Adair Manor, who's the morning line favorite, was running at the Kentucky Oaks, she would have been double digit morning line odds. Yep. Uh, and if a horse like Nest, for instance, was running in this race, she would be like one to five morning absolutely. line or something absolutely. like that. So, yeah. you know, when you're, you're absolutely right, this is a good spot for Luna Bell. Yes, it's a step up, but this is not against the best class of mm -hmm. Phillies in the country right now. And then what happens is that if she runs well here, well, then, you know, okay, yeah. you can take another step you want. There's still really big three-year-old Philly races the rest of the mm -hmm. year. You think yeah. races that come up at Belmont, Saratoga, Pennsylvania, you know, towards the end of the year. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. you know, it's just, it's a good way to uh, take a shot because you're still local too. You don't have to go too far and maybe ship to where you feel like you maybe have a disadvantage. So lots of things play into her, I think, running really well this weekend. And you're going to actually be out there live this weekend, right? I'm going to be sweating and like 97, 94, uh, 90, something like that. 90, yeah, somewhere between 95 and 97 on Saturday, Ooh. about 90 Ooh. degrees on uh, Friday. 
Uh, I know, you know, for folks who kind of watch our videos sometimes, things like that, people know I like to dress up and have my little cap and have a tie. That's not happening. Like, no if you shot. see me at the track, I'm going to have shorts yep. and, like, at best, a polo shirt. Yep. Uh, and so yep. I am dressing for comfort this weekend Absolutely. and uh, I am staying as far away from the infield as humanly possible. Those are long uh, days. Those are too. very long days out there. And I'm a 41 year old man and I'm in air conditioning and shade. And that is what I'm aiming for. <laughs> so uh, that was a little look into Friday and the Friday feature, the black eyed Susan. We're going to move to Saturday and we're going to talk about the, the second half of the card and really all the races that lead up to the Preakness, starting with the grade two dinner party mile and a 16th here. This actually is a race that was changed and used to be one that led sort of right into the Preakness. I think uh, years back now, you will get set piece who comes in from a couple different grade one tries and is very, very classy. I think if you're trying to beat this horse, you know, just looking at the way the race shapes up at first glance, there's not that much speed on paper. That may be the way I think to try to find some value. If you're playing, you know, I think this starts to pick six uh, that that ends with the, uh, with the Preakness, which a lot of people play on these big days and anything else. So I, I looked at a price horse, maybe like Tango, Tango, Tango as one who, you know, especially in stable duel, right? And we're going to talk about these races on Friday and our this weekend stable yeah. duel stuff. But this is a horse who's 10 to 1 on the morning line, gets the inside draw, Gaff Leone's aboard. This horse has won back-to-back races in the first two starts at three, at four. So the first two starts now as an older horse have both been improvement, have both been nice wins, has shown a little bit of versatility but in this race where there's not that much speed and he gets the inside draw i think he could be like right up close and very very close to the lead in here so he was one that i was maybe looking at to try to spice this race up a little bit yeah i absolutely agree there's no early speed i mean there's no horse though i don't know if a horse will just like i don't know if they'll like one of the ponies to just like take the lead or something like that yeah like just somebody please lead because nobody in this field wants to go to the lead uh and so I think that actually hurts a horse like set piece that typically comes from mm-hmm. well off the pace and has yep. that kind of kick late. And so I would stay away from closers in this case. Me so too. I also was looking at horses that are going to be up front. Uh, and so tango, tango, tango is absolutely one of those horses that I had circled uh, should be sitting second, third, probably at, mm-hmm. at worst will not have much ground to make up kind of a stalking trip. Nope. I'd imagine for folks watching a couple, uh, you know, last or two weeks ago at Churchill downs, very similar to maybe to the trip Santine had uh, yep. sitting kind of just off the pace in that Absolutely. turf race and then moving. Uh, I think you also have to look, you know, not quite the chalk, but a tone is another horse. Very, that just- I prefer a tone to set piece, right? Yes. Just because they feel like they're going to get totally different trips. This horse should be naturally one of the fastest in this race. And, yes. you know, going now second off the short little break, wasn't beaten a whole heck of a lot and sort of a weirdish kind of trip. It wasn't the smoothest, yeah. but it, it wasn't bad. I, I think it's sort of like a must use in exotics for me in this race too. Yeah. And a tone is just a horse that I've loved you know, really has been a great stable duel horse, interestingly yeah. enough, because yeah. a tone's been this horse that is always for some reason, 15 to one, 12 yep. to one in these grade one and grade twos and always finishes like second, third, fourth, mm-hmm. like always, you know, from yeah. a stable duel perspective, always gets you positive points for like $500. Yeah. And, uh, and so a tone now is a five to two kind of second favorite in this race, but I think the race shape sets up quite nicely uh, for a tone. And uh, this is a horse that's just, like I said, it's very classy and, and just feel like we'll be able to have a good trip. 
English yeah. B at six to one is probably another horse that should be up near the early speed. Just a question of whether or not, uh, you know, if he'll be able to hold on. But uh, yeah, Tone and Tango 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 are the two that I'm really interested in using to start and off the pick six. Right before you, uh, you and I started talking, I had a conversation uh, on the podcast with Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali. They gave out some of their best bets uh, throughout the card. And we talked a little bit about the Preakness. And Darren was a big fan of Beacon Hill. And, you know, and just in like looking at Beacon's, Beacon Hill's races, he was a little farther back last time out because they went pretty quick early on. Mm-hmm. But in this race, he may not be that far back early. And no. he, he yeah. could be, he's making his second start now as a five-year-old. He's pretty lightly raced. He hasn't done a whole hell of a lot wrong in his career either. So if you're taking the approach in this race where maybe you're against set piece and you want to use a couple in the pick six, that'll probably be one that makes his way onto some of my tickets now, because that was one that I wouldn't maybe have been. That's what's great about having these conversations with some of your friends, right? That was a horse that I wouldn't probably have been cold on or necessarily, but it wouldn't have been one I would have dived in on. But now all of a sudden he mentions this horse, you sort of look into him a little bit more and you go, Oh yeah. You know what? This horse does sort of fit and, and, wouldn't be uh you know wouldn't be a shock yeah. not well. not at all and and what i'll say is that you know really that last effort was very unlike beacon hill you know typically mm-hmm. this horse is more forwardly placed you know yep. not quite on the lead but you know in the in a stalking position and kind of the top flight position and you know it's important to point out that was also the first ra- race off the layoff so Absolutely. Maybe a little slow and just you know getting getting kind of some of the you know rust knocked off and things like that so i think it's very understandable that you could excuse that first effort off the layoff and go this horse is going to show a different race shape you know this yep. time out and, and remember and camp form. hope got bet a bunch that day too oh, remember yeah. we did yeah. this we did the stream where we talked about the yeah. whole, that race that weekend yep. and camp hope has won three of the last four races too that's a sharp horse yeah it is that and so it was like you said sometimes horses are really fresh off a long layoff and then other times you're like a, just a step slow and you maybe are just really behind and you kind of need it you're just sort of if you've been you've been practicing quote unquote right and not in the game you know you've been training in the morning and it's a way different tempo all of a sudden it's a little quick and you're like three or four behind then you're in a spot and you got to back out of it and it's like oh no how we're ninth right now we're how did that happen exactly and exactly and he actually ran really well afterwards so he did just thought he was worth mentioning with joel that kicks off the uh the pick six on saturday let's move on to the ninth race it's the grade three chick lang always a really fun sprint race on this weekend for three-year-olds start. And it, there's usually like a, a later developing three-year-old in this race. That's, I think we saw Matoli in here in years past. And we've seen some of these horses that can take this race and sort of springboard it and run really, really well. Tell us a couple who you may be looking at in the, uh, in the chick lane. Well, it's interesting you use the word spring because I like Wheeling Springs quite a bit. Uh, yeah. Four to yeah. one in this race. So uh, this is a race that's going to have a very hot pace. And I think that's where if you want to go against kind of the favorites, that's why. Because yep. I think you're going to look at Old Homestead and Cogburn, who are the top two favorites. These are both need the lead type of horses that are going to try to wire the fields. Cogburn in particular is coming out of that number one post position. So, you know, he's going to have to shoot out of there. Got to go. Uh, Old Homestead doesn't know anything other than to go. So those two are going to lock up up front. And the nice part is Wheeling Springs is four to one is going to sit back a little bit behind that pace naturally Mm -hmm. sits behind that and then has demonstrated the ability to kick and get past uh, Cogburn like he did last time out. Yep. So, 
uh, I think Wheeling Springs at four to one is is a nice play. I mean, it, it, from a stable duel perspective, still a little pricey maybe, but I think from just like an average better standpoint, you're looking at the third favorite and you're probably going to get an honest price on uh, Wheeling Springs too because mm-hmm. old Homestead and Cogburn are going to take a lot of money. So uh, I, I think that's a horse that I identified. And then I'm just curious what's going to happen with Little Vic. I feel like if Little Vic sits... A That's, little bit, then I really like the value. Yeah, there. If, if he if he doesn't get sucked up into the lead then I think that's a very, very nice value play as well uh, because I like him to have been a very similar trip to Wheeland Springs. So those Little Vic and Wheeland Springs are the two I really looked at in this race. That's uh, one of the best bets. Andrew and Darren each gave out two best bets. That was one of Andrew's. Okay. Um, And so Andrew likes Little Vic with the outside draw a little bit. I I think, again, if you're playing the pick five that starts here or a pick six, he's one of those horses that I would have to use because if he can sit a little bit from the outside, he is super talented and he will be like five plus to one or so in a race where a bunch of other horses are going to take money. There's one horse. Gosh, I've been, it's funny. I've been chasing him now for a while, chasing (laughs) time. I I thought he was going to be a a really nice horse this year. And he may still be, Uh, he may be when you look at his past performances, a horse who just didn't really want to go longer. Mm -hmm. He ran that mile race at Oaklawn in January. And that was the race that I said, Oh, okay. He does look like he wants to go longer. He was favored that day. He sat a pretty nice trip. Sometimes you win impressively and they can sort of fool you and thinking they want to maybe go a little longer than they did because he actually was getting a really nice trip in the rebel and he didn't run that badly there. He finished fifth in a field of 11. You know, it wasn't that awful of a race, but that race hasn't really come back all that strong. And we don't really think that those races may have been all that strong this year that maybe that particular crop. But if you just cut him back now, to six furlongs. And like you're saying, there's going to be some speed in this race. He's not going to be as quick as some of the others. He's going to be more tracking in this spot. Now in stable duel, he's kind of a very nice horse who I think could sit mid pack, pass some horses late. He's got a little bit of back class. Just even though those races might not have been strong at, they may not have been the best three-year-old preps is a better way of putting it. They're still, stronger races than a lot of the horses in this field have been coming out of or have been facing, you know? Um, So I think chasing time is a very interesting horse to use in some exotics there. And then, you know, the the total wild card is old Homestead who sometimes horses like this are just freaky good. Yeah. Yeah. You just, you know, you, we just don't even know he, he was at Delta and it's like, Oh, okay. You know, he won by 11 at Delta. That's a bull ring track sometimes. And then he beat winners, you know, and it's like, okay, now you open your eyes a little bit more, but he heads over to Keeneland. He's in a, a sprint stakes race and he's nine to one. He's not getting a whole lot of respect. And he just, he dusted that field. And, and I earned... loved him that day too. That's the thing yeah. is I love that horse. Cause yep. I was like, you're you getting great value just because this horse is getting doubted because he's coming from down in, in, in a, you know, off circuit, so to speak, a secondary circuit. So he could just be a freak and he could just wire the field and just dominate. And so from that standpoint, from like a pick six sequence, I'd probably include him, like maybe include that horse a little bit defensively, but I'm not going to get beat by him. uh, No, No, I agree. I I have no, I I have five, six, seven, nine as like horses. I'm going to build some of my exotics around and it's Mm -hmm. nice and stable duel. I probably go with one of the longer prices, like chasing time because I think he's in a good spot and he probably is like the value to spice those up. But I'm a little bit worried about the trip Cogburn gets of yep. just being down there. That concerns yep. me. Like we were saying, he's a nice horse, but he's going to have to deal with maybe more speed than he dealt with last time out. Even 
I don't know, yeah. like old Homestead is pretty fast. And so yeah. is little Vic. And, you know, there might be even like lightning Larry right next door. Dr. Jeff, those horses aren't really slow. So <laughs> they, he could have to deal with a lot of pressure from the inside. So I'm a little cold on him. Uh, I prefer a few others there. I love these three-year-old sprint races. They're fun where you, uh, where you get a lot of different horses coming in from different places. That's the chick Lang. As we move on to the James W. Murphy, which kicks off the late pick four on Saturday. So this one's going to be race number 10, Matt. They'll go a mile on the turf course here. These are three-year-olds. What's interesting about this field is you've got Joe. I love, <laughs> I, I love the one name, like people names, one yep. names. I used to yep. have a friend who used to ask me like, how come there aren't horses named just Jim? I was like, well, right. one day there was, it was one day there was Jim and then it became Jim's whatever and Jim's this and then Jim's that and, you know, you know, and then the son yeah. of this. And so just seeing this horse named Joe always makes me chuckle. Yeah. He's a nice three-year-old and he won the prep race at Laurel that usually vaults a horse into the Preakness. Yes. In fact, the runner up in um or or into some of the bigger dirt races maybe yeah. right yeah. if you were going to maybe go to run like in the belmont or maybe you run in something the peter pan i don't know whatever it is but yeah. usually you go but but this horse is going to go now on the turf where he debuted on the grass but all of his success has been recently on the uh on the dirt so it's kind of an interesting move for joe here it is, but he's got turf pedigree. I mean, yeah, there, there's turf pedigree there in his line. So it, there's a reason to expect him to be able to handle this. And he's a three-year-old that's just really progressed nicely uh, yep. to it, Laurel. I mean, just ascending speed figures virtually every time out. Uh, was the Maryland Juvenile Champion uh, back in December and has really just built upon that really outside of that first debut on turf. Has only finished second one time. Uh, four wins in the other races. And so very, I, I, I like this horse quite a bit actually in this race and at three yeah. to one, I mean, he's probably going to get a lot of local money. Uh, but, and, and I understand people looking at the form and going, well, there's no turf form. It's there. It, uh, yeah. They just, I mean, it, class it, it, is there. Yeah. And, and the class is there and, and yeah, exactly. The class is there. The, the pedigree is there. I, the, the trainer knows what he's doing. This is one where you, you'd expect this horse to fire, even though it's on the turf. Yeah, I think irony of reality, multiple turf winning sib, uh, and just a, a lot of deep turf pedigree yeah. there. I mean, and, and and yeah, Declaration of War. I mean, Gufo is you know from Declaration. You know, is, yep. is sire. You know, that's his sire as well. So, you know, yeah. So, I mean, this is you know one of the best turf horses out there right now. So, and and listen, Michael Trombetta is another name that may not be familiar nationally, but is a is a great mid Atlantic really trainer good. as well. So knows what he's doing. He's very good on turf like this yeah. in particular, like long yep. on the turf. This is like bread and butter for him. Yep. And so I, I, I do like Joe quite a bit. And I also, I like you, I always think of uh, the Johnny cash song, a boy named Sue. I always yeah. think of this, like, a horse named Joe. Like, a horse I, just named love, Joe. I just love yeah, a good horse named Joe in this race. I'll tell you another horse that's going to get bet down in this race. And I don't know if I'm going to use him necessarily, but knowing the Maryland fans, crabs and beer is going to take on a lot of money. Oh yeah. People are just going to love that name. Yeah. Uh, and I will say that horse perked up on turf last time. That was mm -hmm. the first time you saw You did see a little bit of a, there's something to like there. Jamie Ness, another mid Atlantic connection, local connection point. Very good yep. rider wins a ton of races there. Yep. So, uh, but I, I like Joe quite a bit here. I think, um, you know, ready to perform as a horse that's coming back off a long layoff. 
we'll see how that horse fires necessarily. Uh, Riot House is another horse stepping up that seems to be like, like I said, a, a nice horse to maybe use, yep. uh, I think, in exotics. So uh, that's kind of where I'm at. But I, I like Joe a lot in this spot. Yeah, 710 of the horses that I think of the shorter prices, I, I, I'll I be using for sure. Uh, definitely Riot House and Joe. The one of the, the maybe the prices that might be a fun stable dual horse, I'll probably mention on our stream on uh, on Friday morning, is the number four, Wow, What a Summer. Yep. That Johnny V's jumping aboard. And if you look at this horse's races going long, well, his turf form is actually all pretty good. You can just eliminate the race going long on the dirt back in November. Mm-hmm. And then he came back off of a long layoff. He raced in April at Laurel. It was going five and a half. It just looked like a total prep to set up for this race. All of his races last year were not bad. He was just like right behind a couple of the better horses in here. And if he can just take another gradual improvement step forward at three, Johnny V takes the call, you know, he's 15 to one. And so for stable duel or in pick fives, pick fours, which this starts the late pick four, he might be a fun price horse to throw in on a couple tickets. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think so. And uh, that's always one where, you know, getting a horse back to its comfort zone is, is one of those things. And so going a mile on the turf seems to be a, a good fit there. This horse yep. never turns in a bad effort uh, no. when, when kind of in that spot. I mean, if you, like I said, just cross out the dirt effort and really you see nothing but hitting the board all the time and, uh, you know, has done it against some of the better horses uh, in the Maryland and mid-Atlantic circuits. So, yeah, I, I definitely like that play for inexpensive horse on stable duel as well. Wow, what a summer. That's in race number 10. We're going to move to race number 11 in the Sir Barton. So we've got uh, three-year-olds going a mile and a 16th in here. And we have, uh, I guess, the horse who set up the Kentucky Derby. <laughs> he did, right? yeah. Yeah. Ethereal Road, the number one, who by scratching out of the Derby, he ended up letting Rich Strike scratch in and win the Derby. And uh, Ethereal Road is going to show up here and he will take a lot of money. And he comes out of a decent fourth place finish behind a couple horses that might just be a little better than him, honestly. Like Tawny Port, Major General in due time, finishing fourth behind those three. They're all pretty solid. And, in, you know, in, in the bluegrass, he was behind Zandin and Smile Happy and Emmanuel. Like, it's not a bad group to be beaten behind either, right? Those horses are all pretty good. So this is a probably a lot better of a spot for him fit-wise and class-wise. I don't, I wouldn't want to take this horse at like a very short price and bet him to win or anything, but he, from a talking point and stuff, I think he makes a lot of sense in here. He does. And I think part of the reason he makes a lot of sense is because of the pace of this race. And so he can sit further back. He's on the rail. That's not going to be a problem. Uh, But you have two sprinters in this race and B-Doc and Unikey who are going to set a pretty aggressive early pace. Now, I actually, I think Unikey could stretch out. Yeah, I agree. I'm kind of cold on B-Doc. Yeah, I don't like B-Doc at all in this spot. No, me neither. Uh, and so, but I think Unikey has the potential to to stretch out. And if you're going to look at which of these two early speed you know if you sit there and go maybe you know we you get there on saturday and you realize hey there's a track bias and early speed is really the name of the game on the dirt and then i would say Unikey's kind of a horse that you should probably be paying attention to but yeah. uh, you know ethereal road's gonna have something to run into uh and and so i like that quite a bit i i you know aside from Unikey, the other horse that i was looking at in this race that i kind of like at a big price which is Brooklyn Diamonds. Absolutely, uh, is, I do too. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that's the number nine horse, and a ten to one, a thousand dollars on a stable duel. 
uh, broke its maiden at Oaklawn and and then went and stretched, went from six furlongs to a mile and a 16th, finished second uh, at a really pricey optional claimer at Oaklawn on a muddy uh, track. But this is a horse that, you know, from Uncle Mo, and it just is looks to be a very kind of classy horse. Well, his dam, gonna be just while you're talking pedigree, yeah. to piggyback yeah. your point, the damn delightful Mary, she, was a, she won six of her 11 uh, races. She was a six-time winner. She won her first couple starts. She was third in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies. Back yeah. in, in 2010, this yeah. was a really nice horse. She went up and she won a couple of stakes races at Keeneland. She won some race or at, at Woodbine. She was more of a synthetic horse, but she was fine on the dirt also in, in finishing third in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Philly. So this, this horse has some class. And I think, Matt, sometimes people see, well, they debuted for a maiden claimer. It's like, well, it's, it was a maiden $75,000 right. high price claimer. A lot of times, right. especially barns that, like they know they can just kind of, that's like the same thing. If somebody spends 75 on that horse, a lot of times, you know, I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. So I don't, right. I don't get too worried when I see stuff like that. No. And, and right. I mean, how many maiden special weights that are like 29,000 do we see all the time? So, I mean, sometimes yeah. you get better, yeah. you know, yeah, they slip one by. And and so I don't hold that against uh, horses all the time. So uh, I just think this is a horse that, like I said, should get a nice trip, has really good late speed. Uh, and so, like I said, sit, setting up that same sort of trip that Ethereal Road is probably going to look for in terms of sitting mid pack or a little further back and then kind of making a run into some speed, especially if there's too aggressive of a pace up front. But uh, definitely a horse of 10 to one that I'd be interested in using in stable duel and some other spots. Yep. Um, so the one ethereal road we mentioned, uh, mentioned Unikey mentioned Brooklyn diamonds. I like, I, I like where rugs is going as a horse. Mm-hmm. I just don't know if I like this spot in the draw. Like you mentioned with all the speed, he's yep. a horse who I might use underneath, but I'm in, and I just don't know if he gets hooked really wide and having to press a, a fast pace in here. The one worth mentioning that, uh, again, I, I will uh, give a little nod to uh, Andrew and Darren. They set me up, Matt, and people that are listening to this will have already heard. They had like a comedy bit ready for the show. They talked to each other before, and they when they told when they said, "Okay, we uh, you know, our, we got a, I got Darren had a horse in this race. Andrew had one yeah. in this, and then they said they both like a horse in the eleventh. I was like, oh, okay, cool. We'll just kind of go in order. And then we got to the eleventh, and they set it up and they start singing because they're moving on up, moving on up and they're singing together. And I'm just laughing. So they like Mr. Jefferson. Yeah. And we've talked about the way this race could shape up. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, you start to dive into his form and he was a runner up last time out in the, the solid prep race behind Joe. Mm Mm-hmm. Two starts back, he's in the withers behind early voting in a race where he probably just gets outrun and in a race that's on the on an off racetrack. His yep. his races in February and in January were both on an off track. Yep. You can eliminate both of those. He just doesn't like the slop. Then the race before that, he's behind Mo Donegal and Zandon. Right. It, so <laughs> Remsen, yeah. it's not, you know, you can find pretty good form here. You can find a horse that could get a nice trip in here coming from off the pace. So if you're playing those kind of pick fours and pick fives, maybe a horse you want to throw in, I think, what is he? Six to one. Yeah. On six the to one. Line. So, so that's yeah. another, those are those middle price horses that we're always looking for, right? Horses yep. that are, that are right there. And that's a, there's many good cases to be made for him. 
Let's get to the final uh, two leading into the uh, the Preakness. It's the Jim McKay turf sprint. Five furlongs on the turf. These races are always nuts because, you know, you just get big fields. One or two horses get shuffled early. They get a weird trip. Or there's just a Wesley Ward horse that clears the field. Right. right? And then just is like yeah. four lengths faster and better than everyone else in there. Well, you know what? A lot of these horses are probably like, hey, no Wesley Ward in here to just kind of clear and crush us in this spot. So. um Kiratori is a horse who I, I really like a lot. He's in great form. I needed him in the Troy when he was 23 to one and he ran second. He opened up uh, two lengths yeah. and he looked like he was a winner that day. Yeah. And he just lost to a horse named fast boat. Who is just a little better than him. Cause you can mm-hmm. see fast boats got him a couple times right on the wire again. Even when he gets a little bit of separation from that rival fast boats always just seem to have his number and always seems to have him measured. But, um, He'll be in a lot of the exotics for me. I mean, seven cents is obviously very logical, but the other horse who maybe is a little less logical and and probably will be making his way into my stable dual lineups is Hollis. Um, Mm. Hollis won this race actually when it was pushed back in October of 2020 Mm -hmm. um, when everything was going on with the pandemic. And then he ran in this race last year and he didn't run all that well, but after, but that race sent him to the bench for a few months. So mm-hmm. there was probably a legitimate excuse to why he just didn't really fire. He had trouble in that race also. So there were multiple excuses that we can use. And he's pretty good on the grass. His recent races are not bad. He's kind of been sharp sprinting there. And I think Hollis is one that I'll probably be using in some of my exotics. Who are you looking in, uh, at the, in this race, Matt? Yeah, I mean, Hollis, I think, is a, a huge X factor because he has been kind of an oil you know, on again, off again, type of a horse the last few races where you're not sure if you're getting Jekyll or Hyde. And so, you know, now he's making the surface switch and and you're right. He's had success on turf before the last two times on turf. You mentioned the one wasn't great. The other great two shaker town was also not great either, but that might've just not been, that was just not a great spot for him. And so you can kind of make excuses, I think, and valid ones uh, for that. and, And this horse could come back in a big way. Um, and so uh, Hollis is absolutely a horse that I don't, I don't want to get beat by a horse like that where I'm like, sure. man, like I should have had, I should have seen yeah. that. You Especially know, if they're not a short price, right? Like right. if he's like yeah. five or six to one, you're like, yeah. oh, I can make enough cases for him to, to bounce back. At least it's built into his price that he is kind of a, like you said, in inconsistent might not be the right word, but yeah. you know, he's capable of throwing in clunkers, yes. you know? And, and so you don't want to take a really short price or spend up a lot or, completely depend on him but yeah, yeah you know middle yeah. price or so it's okay absolutely and he's got i, I think he's got ray lou on him this time uh Love ray, yeah. and, and ray lou's great jockey so i i like that uh a lot uh i'll give you two others that i like in this spot which is smoke and jay and grateful bread uh who yep. are right next to each other and that's just seems appropriate right. uh that that those two are next to each other uh but you know they're they're a little bit different and that grateful bread i'll talk about him first is just an incredibly consistent horse. Uh, it just turns in. It's just like a metronome just keeps turning. You know exactly what you're getting out of this horse, which Mm -hmm. is like somewhere between an 86 and 89 buyer speed figure every time out on the turf, uh, which is rare to see quite frankly from a, a a sprint horse. Uh, but he kind of knows his lane and, uh, you know, is a horse that is, you know, seven for 10 hitting the board on the turf, five out of 10 of those are wins. So this is a horse that that definitely has ability. Uh, and, and so I, I do like this horse quite a bit in that spot. And then the other one, uh, Smoke and Jay, 
ran really well behind Karatari last time out at the Janus and, uh, you know, has run big figures on turf and, mm -hmm. and on grass, has not run on grass consistently, but seems to be able to hop onto the turf whenever he needs to and run well. So uh, those are two that are, again, both six to one, giving you a little bit of value there. And and I, I think there's something to like in both of those cases. I also agree. I like Karatari quite a bit. Uh, so I'm going to be using Karatari there. This is a race where I do feel like I'm probably going to go a little wider uh, on this race, uh, yeah. just because it does feel like there are a lot more options. Some of these other races, I'd probably go two or Short three enough. horses, mm -hmm. and, and these this one I might go four or five. Yeah, I agree. Uh, we I think we hit on most of them. Smoke and Jay was a good one because he said he's got a lot of upside on the turf. He hasn't been on it all that much, and every time he jumps back on it, he really runs well, and his figures are getting even a little bit better. Yeah. He wasn't all that far behind Caratori in a race where he had to come from out of it and wait a little bit more. If this race shapes up with more speed, uh, that's a good play there. And and uh, along with Grateful Bread, a couple mentions for Matt as we head on in to the Preakness. Matt, so not a big field, and we know Rich Strike, your Derby winner, won't be returning. So a little bit of a different dynamic with this one, but honestly. Winning or losing the Derby, the horse who's probably the, been the best three-year-old most consistently right now for this year has been Epicenter. Yep. And he shows up here, and he's very deserving of being favored. And from a gambling standpoint, if he wins, he's not going to get you rich. But if I were to have been asked, like maybe around the Risen Star or Louisiana Derby after he wins the Louisiana Derby, you know, what do you think of Epicenter and his chances this year in big races? I would have said the most perfect race for him is the Preakness mm -hmm. and just the way with his running style, he's going to be forwardly placed. He can sit off a little bit. He can make like an early move to the lead if he needs to. And I don't think you want to be dead last. You can make up ground if the pace shapes up to it, sure. but I feel like he can adapt. I feel like he's, you know, just even from a, a distance standpoint, he's kind of tested with a couple races that are even that Louisiana Derby is a little bit longer than what others mm -hmm. had. And so he has a few other races of foundation. So he's, He's not a favorite that I, I'm really going to knock in, in this spot. And so I think if you're playing the race, you probably want to pick of the the two or three, you know, there's probably four horses that'll take a lot of money in here. Yeah. You probably just don't want to be using all of them in your exotics. You're probably going to pick one or two of them that you're chucking out and yes. maybe one or two that you're using. Yes, I, I would absolutely agree with that statement because the way I look at this race, I know what I'm going to get out of Epicenter. Yeah, It's just an incredibly reliable horse. Two, three, and four in terms of early voting, secret oath, and simplification. I could make an argument that any of them could potentially win. I Absolutely. could also make an argument they could finish fourth or fifth. Yep. And that's the problem is I'm just kind of like, eh. And that's why I just yeah. keep coming back to epicenter here because mm -hmm. I, I, the worst epicenter is going to do is run like second, I think. And uh, yeah. so I, I just can't see this horse running poorly. I think the, the, the post position is going to work out just fine. I think he's going to get the trip that essentially he kind of got at the Louisiana Derby, except maybe outside instead of inside this time. But he's going to be sitting like third, I think at worst, behind Fenwick and uh, an early voting probably. And it's just going to, and you know, our, I think he's going to be able to clear our Magnac. And so, uh, you know, who's breaking to his inside. So I just, Epicenter is a horse I really like a lot. I do think there are some interesting new shooters though that do have a little bit of value underneath. If you're looking to try to yeah. you know, figure out how do you, how do you find value if you go, Hey, I really like the favorite up top, and maybe it's a race where you just feel so confident you single uh, epicenter in, in the final leg of your of your sequence. Uh, I, I do think a horse like Creative Minister is a really 
intriguing horse. I mean, this is a horse that was a supplemental entry. The owners ponied up 150 grand to get this horse in the field, which tells yep. you how confident they are in this horse. Absolutely. Put their money where their mouth is, basically. Mm -hmm. And I think that speaks a lot to it. This is a horse that is my type. And you got you guys know this. Lightly raced horse with mm -hmm. massively ascending speed figures. Yep. Uh, and so one would, more ascending speed figure puts him right in the range. He doesn't even need to ascend no, all that much. No, I mean, last race was a 92. And if he goes to a 96, he's probably on the board. And yep. so uh, absolutely a horse that I, that I like a lot there. And then Skippy Longstocking, aside from mm -hmm. just an awesome name, yes. is uh, at 20 to 1. Another, you know, really inexpensive stable dual play. This is a horse I like a lot. Was sired by Exaggerator, who, of course, was a Preakness champion. That usually goes a long way uh, as well. And then it is a horse that likes distance. You know, its two best efforts were after getting stretched out to that mile and an eighth. Finished third at the wood, was making up ground on early voting. And so I could absolutely see a world where... Skippy Longstocking hits the board, you know, bottom half and, and third or something like that. So those are two horses that I would maybe consider using in deeper kind of exotic plays. But uh, this is going to be a fascinating race because I, I early voting is going to go to the lead. And I don't know if that's the best thing for early voting in yeah, terms of winning. It, and that's there, the, are, there are versions level. of this race where they go pretty quick. Yeah. Right. Where it's early voting. Or maniac, people are talking about the two week turnaround. This horse is not; it's not even going to be two weeks for uh, our maniac. It's going to be less than than two weeks for the horse yeah. who ran the day after. A lot of these horses ran on May the seventh. He ran on yeah. May the eighth. Yep. Um, and it's not as if he's gonna; he's not fast enough. I think I don't think to even really keep up with the horses in here. But he's not in this race to come closing. No. So, so that's what's really hard is that are they going to go so hard to try to get to the front that it's going to ensure a very quick pace? And right. if that happens, then Epicenter could be in a little bit of trouble just being caught up, even if he's sitting third there. It's like yeah. what happened in the Derby. It's kind of right. being kind of caught up close enough to a pace that's really, really fast. I keep, I think of the, I think I'm a little cold on the Philly in the race yeah. on the two week turnaround. And just with yeah. her running style is why I keep kind of, I liked her a lot in the Oaks. To me, in the Oaks, yeah. it was her and Nest who I were kind of like my top two. I thought yep. she fit really well in there. Yep. She doesn't have – she fits okay on speed figures. We're talking about Secret Oath here now. She has a couple races that would would be okay. And the race against the boys in the Arkansas Derby, she probably could have won that race. You know, she yeah. had legitimate trouble, yep. right? She very easily could have won that race. And so if she does, then maybe we're thinking about this a little bit differently. I don't know if I love the two-week turnaround for her and just – in a field like this, she's not the normal type of filly that goes and faces the boys. And I mean that with her running style, yeah. right? You think of like Rachel, you think of Swiss Skydiver and some of them yeah. recently who've had the success. They're a lot faster early. They can go out and make their own, make the lead, make their own race. We saw Swiss Skydiver make that early move, battled. She's sort of going to be at the, at the mercy of the race shape. Like if she's sitting back, is she going to be able mm. to pass this whole group? You know, maybe they go quick and it does set up for horses like her coming from off. But as yeah. we're talking it out and of the shorter prices, I don't know if I like her on the quick turnaround, needing the race shape and really having to kind of improve also in this situation. Yeah. And so, Gino, what I'm hearing from you is come on over to my side of the, the way, the, what, the horse that I've been pumping up for the last like four months I think this race sets up nicely for simplification. That's my guy. I just, I, I'm I bet, cannot. I bet. Yep. 
I just, I, you know, I, I feel like such a homer because I've been just hammering this horse for the last it's a spot. For him. It's a great spot. And uh, I just, From a I bet, love this horse. If yeah. he is five to one or above, if you're looking for a horse to bet in this race, you're not going to go bet epicenter to win. Cause he's just too short. You, you're going to have epicenter in your pick fours or pick fives or whatever exotics yeah. that you want. Totally understand that, but you're not going to be going and betting epicenter to win at probably a short price. You look around and unfortunately, I don't, I can sort of eliminate three or four. I just said, I'm not really that high on secret oath. Right. So I, I won't be playing her to win. I'm eliminating our maniac Fenwick, happy Jack. I, I, I wouldn't be playing them to win Skippy long stocking, maybe underneath. Totally agree right. with you. Right. I don't know if I, I think he could quite win this race creative no. minister. I could maybe even throw him into a pick four or pick five. Like I can start to get there. He needs yep. to be around the price. Now I'm looking at the rest of the group and I'm down to, epicenter early voting and simplification and the horse who feels like he's the most versatile saves the ground. If those two are sort of playing cat and mouse early and then maybe our maniacs involved with them, well, simplification is right behind. If they're not going that quick, he can show a little bit more in of all of the horses with the two week turnaround. I think it concerns me the least with him, Matt, just because We've seen him race back in like a month over and over again. He's not one of those horses who's needed six weeks or two months or a hey, world we'll skip this prep race and freshen him up for the next. He's been in all of the fights. I might be worried about him in the Belmont or like yes. down the line because it keeps yes. adding up. This is the spot that feels like it's a great spot for him. I completely and 100% agree. I, this is a horse I, I really, really like. And for the same reason, I mean, Alberto Sanyo has had this horse just running on a monthly basis. And I, I joked with someone the other day, I've seen five-year-olds with less, with fewer races. Uh, yeah. You know, this horse yeah. just, he runs, man. Uh-huh. He does not skip a prep. Basically, since the Mucho Macho Man has not missed one, you know, prep potentially nope. leading up to this for, uh, you know, the Triple Crown run. So I also am not worried about the two-week turnaround. He got to Pimlico really early. And so he's been on the track, on the surface, getting used to things. I like that a lot. Uh, and the versatility. you saw, I mean, and it happened by accident, too, because he was a horse that was kind of a need-to-lead potential horse, or people thought of him as that type of horse going into the Holy Bull. And what happens? He blows the break and he figures out, oh, wait a second, I can sit off and make a run and I'm I can do this. And they yeah. kind of unlock a whole new level for this horse. And that's really what saved him at the Kentucky Derby was, you know, Jose Ortiz, who was his jockey that day, gave him a beautiful ride and just held him way back uh, early. Didn't get up involved in that speed and then was able to make a charge late finishing fourth. But you're always just going to get a professional effort from him. And, uh, you know, Johnny V's got him in that inside post position. So he's going to have to show some early tactical speed so as not to get shuffled too far back. And so I like him to sit mid-pack here. Should be pointed out, three of the last six winners of this race has actually come from the inside uh, post position with last year's winner, Ron Bauer, War of Will in 2019, and American Pharaoh in 2015. So you can win from the number one post. It's not like the Kentucky Derby. Uh, and, and I think, you know, with the turns and the way the uh, racetrack is set up, simplification makes a lot of sense here. Yeah, you know, you just, like we did, we, you, will, you start eliminating, you start kind of going through each horse and who feels like they're the most likely to get the the types of trips they need to win this race at the, at the, the most appealing price. Yeah. And that's simplification to me by yeah. far. And yeah. uh, we land on him together, Maddie, let's get him home in the Preakness. I asked <laughs> you 
I ask you for uh, you know, thirty minutes, and you give me forty-five plus. Like all, like always, you and I, we like to talk. You know, we like always... to chat. We're two yeah, Italian we're... guys who like to talk and use we, our hands. Come on, we love you know? to talk. So we're gonna ramble on a little bit more. I know you are gonna have a great weekend. You're gonna be heading out there, and you're gonna be uh, doing a lot of. Con- you're gonna have a lot of content coming up yeah. this week too. Tell us yeah. uh, about some of the stuff that we can find and uh, and where we follow you on social media. Yeah, if you just follow me on Twitter at the handle at Fail to Menace, I'll be having articles from Odds Checkers US, uh, you know, giving, you know, all the graded stakes picks for Black Eyed Susan Day as well as for uh, Preakness Day. I'm also going to be doing uh, some uh, pick five sequences with Sarah Albadwi from Horse Racing Nation. Uh, obviously, this week is Stable Duel with you and Barry. So always a lot going on. So if you just follow me on Twitter. You can get all that content whenever I push it out. Matt, thanks so much, buddy. I really appreciate that. And I hope you have a blast this weekend. I want to see you. Uh, I want to see some videos of yes. you out there. I know that you've been secretly hiding the fact that you were Kegasis. I know <laughs> that, that you, at, we're going to find out this week that that, like, we're going to find out that it was actually you, aren't we? You're going to, you're going to be. You're going to release that surprise. I plead the fifth. I plead okay. the fifth. <laughs> we'll give Matt a follow. Great uh, great work from Matt, as always. And uh, thanks so much, buddy. Uh, I look forward to going back and forth with you all week. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Gina. Do not go anywhere, folks. We still have a lot more on this episode of That's What G Said. Thank you, Matty, for hanging out and uh, talking some Saturday Pimlico with us. Good luck to Matt DeSantis as he heads on out there. Give him a follow on social media at Fail to Menace. So we'll... Uh, talk a little more Saturday. We've got some Santa Anita best bets and then some Louisiana Downs full card over at Santa Anita. Three plays for you for Saturday. Let's take a look at May the 21st and let's take a look at race number three. I'm going to the number four Majestic Wind was in a race on April the 3rd going six furlongs against a optional 50 claimers sprinting on the turf and ran into a horse named New Park who's really quick and when he gets the lead he's tough to catch and he won that race, and then he came right back and won his next race. And New Park actually was stalking and down on the inside and was within striking range and loomed up, was about two lengths off, took a shot, but New Park just kicked clear and, and moved on again. And that race has already produced New Park and another next out winner. I think it's a nice spot here on the drop for Majestic Win, the number four in race number three. Seven to two on the morning line. We'll make a win wager at, at anything around... Uh, no, five to two is the line. I wouldn't want to go lower than that, and, and maybe even like an early exotic single. Seventh race at Santa Anita on Saturday. Go to uh, Mile on the Turf Course, a uh, non two hundred a hundred thousand dollar optional claimer. The number four Freedom Flyer comes out of a very strong race on November the twenty fifth. Couple next out winners from that race, and now he heads into the Leonard Powell Barn. And Leonard Powell is really good with horses. First time in his barn, he's really good with horses coming off of a long layoff. He's just a good horseman to get a new horse right and acclimated to his program, his system. Freedom Flyer looks very nice to me in here. Both of her wins have come on the Santa Anita turf course, and she shouldn't have any issue with a little bit of a layoff here. She's got some versatility to her. She's shown speed when winning. She can sit off the pace a little bit and pass some horses if need be. The number four, Freedom Flyer in race number seven. She is 7-2 to two on the morning line, and we would need 3-1 to one to make a win wager there. Of course, I like most on the card at Santa Anita on Saturday is in the 10th race, and that's the number 8, Overdue. I think this is the horse to catch. He's a class dropper who's been facing better in his last couple. He was running against Great Stakes Company not long ago, and now he's going to stretch out from 6.5 to 
where he drew the rail and he was sent, and he went sub-22 fractions to the first quarter going six and a half. Now he gets to the outside in a race going longer, and I feel like overdue could be a little sneaky on the front end. He comes out of a race where the runner-up Brand came back to win the Siren Lure Stakes next out, then finished second in the Gray 2 turf sprint at Churchill Downs on Oaks on the Oaks undercard. Overdue. Six to one on the morning line. Anything over four, we would make a win wager there. Couple plays for you on Saturday at Santa Anita. And while you're watching uh, the races from Pimlico and playing the Saturday Preakness card, you're also going to be watching and playing over at Louisiana Downs. I'll be uh, hanging out at Louisiana Downs on the broadcast there. I give pre race analysis for each race and then some post race thoughts as uh, we recap the race and talk about maybe some horses to keep an eye on and to play back next time out. So let's look at Louisiana Downs for May the 21st. They have a, a newer early post time on the weekends now, 1.45 p.m. Central Time. So race number one, they'll go 7.5 on the turf. Louisiana bred 12.5 non-winners of two claimers. I like the four in here, Dude Drop Kid, whose dam was a winner on the turf and was 7 for 11 in the money on the turf. If you excuse the race at Will Rogers in the slop last time out, this gelding broke the maiden, couple starts back, and it's not the strongest group in the world. You get Jose A. Guerrero jumping aboard, which is always a positive. I'll put the four on top with the possibility that they have a little upside on the grass. The one Grace Sloan, last time we saw this guy on the turf, he was a really nice runner-up right here at Louisiana Downs against Louisiana Bred Maiden 12-5s. So he's still got a little turf upside there also, and he fits really well in, in this spot. Now, now, man, the two is probably the one to catch, so... I'll play some 4-1-2 in the opener at LAD. In race number two on Saturday, uh, I went to the four once again. G don't know. What? I don't know? Okay, well, February the 24th is the race that I, I'm looking back at when he won against open $5,000 restricted claimers. After that race, he stepped up and faced first-level allowance company, and that those were Louisiana breads. This spot, this class level should be a lot better for him. Anything like that February 24th race, that puts him right there. That was at five furlongs at Delta, but he has one at six furlongs. And just looking those last two races, they were too tough. Cipriano beat 12-5 claimers next out. The four G don't know is the play for me. We'll put on top of the one perfect Paragee, big inside speed, Joe Foster, awesome, at Louisiana Downs off the claim. And then you've got Shane Wilson off the claim for the two, Lieutenant Benura. 4-1-2 in the second. Race number three, I like the number three, In Sky We Trust, who feels like he can get the really nice off-the-pace trip at six and a half furlongs. It's kind of a tricky distance, six and a half and seven, and I... I'm usually looking for horses that can be making up some ground here because a lot of times you'll have horses that might find it a a bit too far and they flash some speed and get a little tired. So In Sky We Trust is going to be the play for me from off the pace. I think Emerald Forest will be forwardly placed and he is no doubt the one they'll all have to beat. But with the likes of Secretary at War, a horse like Half Again who draws the inside, um, uh, Extirpator, who is also pretty quick. They might be going fast early. That's why I'm leaning towards In Sky We Trust. 3-5-4 in the third. 
Race four kicks off the pick four. They'll go a mile and a sixteenth on the turf course there. I'm looking at the number five, De Gold Room, who was just one for fifteen overall on the turf, but the the win came in his last start. He raced before that at Keeneland, Churchill, Kentucky, Ellis, Fairgrounds, Lone Star in circuits that might have been just a little bit tougher. And for this new barn, he won his first turf try overall and just his second start for the barn. That win came at the meet right here over this track at Louisiana Downs going a mile. This is a mile and a 16th. He had a good start. He sat second on the inside. He was tucked in a couple lengths off and he he's kind of backed up and got shuffled back to you know a couple a few lengths off and he kept inside and he just closed really well late that's the 5 the gold room the two horse indie tourist is probably the one to beat coming out of uh, tougher races was facing first level allowance company last time out was in uh, and he was in tight a little bit early on he was always buried on the inside and got shuffled he was actually favored in that race Indie Tourist. 5-2, 6, meet, uh, Meditate, and then the 1, Tiger Beach, if you were looking to go a little bit deeper. In race number 5, the 3-horse is the horse to beat. Ochita, third start off the bench, broke the maiden at LAD. We can go through all of her races, and they, they make a lot of sense. Her first 2, it's probably in a little bit tough. She then... Makes a lot of sense when she's in at Louisiana Downs. She breaks her maiden. She goes to Delta. Those races are interrupted by layoffs. You can toss the turf race at Sam Houston. Now all of a sudden things make sense. Legit traffic trouble last time out. I'm going to use the three and the five everywhere. So the five horse. The barn has won with three of their last 17 horses. Off a 61 to 180 day layoff. And they won at five to one. And at eight to one. Uh, they won... At 5, 8, and 16 to 1. So at, at big prices. Life of Saturdays makes a lot of sense from the outside. But I prefer the 5-3 sort of the, the horses to, to bet in this race than the 7 below them. Let's move to race number 6. Mile on the turf course here. Half Glamorous was a wire-to-wire winner on March the 27th. And that lone turf race before that on March 13th. She was a nice runner-up. That was her first start in four months. And you can look at the three races before that, and all of them she has legitimate excuses why she didn't run that well. And now all of a sudden, her form looks even better. I like the three half glamorous. The four, our perfect princess, is a, a nice price here to maybe use in some of your exotics in the pick four. Stretches out. Damn won a couple times on the turf. One first start on the turf going long in the Louisiana bread stakes at fairgrounds. One by seven. Multiple stakes winner, multiple stakes placed on the turf. Won uh, another six races on the main track. Dam earned $430,000 plus. The five, Blessed Anna, is the horse to beat, but she is not a win machine. Her recent form at fairgrounds would just make her really tough in here. Three, four, five, one, if you wanted to go a little bit deeper. The Joe Foster first start off the claim. In race number seven to close out the Saturday card, Maiden 12-5 Claimers. Louisiana bred fillies and mares, three-year-olds and up, five and a half furlongs, the distance on the dirt course. The number six, Keep On Dreamings, damn, is a four-time winner, and her debut was pretty good. She sat close. She was four wide. She was in contention at the top of the lane before fading. She comes back on 
March the 4th. She kind of got bumped around uh, a little bit at the start, and she was inside. She was up to battle for the lead with four others. She was close up, and she was pressing, and she just got pushed back a, a bit inside. That was a Louisiana-bred maiden 20, and she finished fourth and, and showed some improvement that day. I like the six keep on dreaming. We'll use the six along with the two. La Femme Jolie, who was a runner-up on March the 25th, and that race would make her the horse to beat in here. The first-timer, True Blonde Ante, the dam of this one, was a multiple winner and has produced a couple winning siblings. That's your seven-race car there at Louisiana Downs. Come hang out Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, racing at Louisiana Downs. I'll be out there helping with the broadcast each and every day, and you can find more information about Louisiana on social media by giving me a follow. It's me, Gino B. I'll post some videos and selections throughout the cards. We head on over and start talking wrestling with Chad Cooper. It's this week in wrestling with Koopa Loop as we uh, jump into the news. Sasha Banks and Naomi walk out. We talk about SmackDown, Raw, NXT, and AEW on this week in wrestling with Chad Cooper. Here it is, folks. Fight of the night, and trying to claim that belt once and for all. It's this week's wrestling recap. All right, calm down. And here he is, your hometown hero, your reigning champ, the one and only Chad Cooper. Oh, it's time for this week in wrestling with Chad Cooper here on That's What G Said podcast. Koopa Loop, we got to start with a lot of drama in the wrestling world right away as we found out that on Monday night, during Monday Night Raw episode of TV, Sasha Banks and Naomi walked out in the middle of, of the episode. They threw their women's tag team championship belts on the table. They were not happy with creative decisions that were going on. And in the middle of the episode, they left. And that actually triggered WWE to make an announcement during the show and then release an announcement on social media, which is not at all the type of thing they do. WWE usually doesn't ever get into specifics about what happens with people behind closed doors. They'll usually make a real quick blanket statement. So-and-so has been released. Uh, best of luck in their future endeavors, you know, something like that. But this was this was – a little bit different than something and this has been what everyone's been buzzing about the last few days who's in the right who's in the wrong was it sasha's fault was it vince's fault the writers did they this this is pretty crazy stuff man i don't even know where to begin with this it just shows you the state of not just professional wrestling but um you know pro sports you've seen you know professional athletes under contract you know, threaten to suit, you know, sit out and sit out and do this and do that. There's a lot, there's a lot of questions here. Um, to start with, this is not the first time, and I'm not taking sides. I, I have no dog in, in, in this hunt, but this is not the first time this has happened with Sasha Banks. Uh, she has been problematic in the past. Um, she's left WWE. Uh, remember, she, she went and she went MIA and then uh, traveled to different countries to try to do a reset. Um, I, I just, word has also come out too, Gino, that earlier today before we recorded this, that if not 
not if, if not just Sasha, but maybe Naomi too. Both were in the middle of contract negotiations and contract extensions with the WWE. So this could be playing uh, a large role in that as well. I, I just, I, I don't know what to think here. Uh, is it a bad look? Absolutely. Do you have to stand up for your rights? Yeah. Is it a point where your boss comes in and says, Gino or Coop, you're going to write a story or you're going to do an interview with this guy that trains uh, miniature horses or they, they're bringing a, a My Little Pony show or something. Yeah. You don't want to do it, but you got to do it. I, I, I don't know, but it, it, it's it's not a good look in my opinion. No. I, and I, I just don't know what it gets these two. I don't. I, Sasha Banks is a big star, right? So I can. And, completely... and that's my question to you, Gino. This thing has a lot of legs. Sports yeah. Illustrated, ESPN, and somebody asked this question, and I don't know. Maybe it's just the way that social media and sports reporting is now, and entertainment reporting is now. Does this prove that Sasha Banks is one of the biggest women wrestling stars in the world? Yeah, I think she is on that short list, and. So I have all these conflicting feelings, sort of like you do. I yeah. I understand if Sasha feels like she's not getting her fair shake because she is a big star. I think she is on the level with probably all of the other women in WWE right at the top. She's right there with Charlotte and with Becky and with all of them. And she hasn't quite <clears throat> ever been treated that way. There have been a lot of little things that have been, I think, frustration for Sasha. Like she was in The Mandalorian, which was a really big show, and they weren't even promoting it. You know, and like talking about it at all. And anytime a wrestler goes and does something that's like a reality show or something like that, they'll promote the heck out of it. So it was it was really weird there. We like you said, we know that Sasha has had already left a few times. And the one thing in reading about Sasha is that she was a lifelong wrestling fan. She loves wrestling. She's grown up forever and she is really passionate about Wrestling so yeah. she she wants to make sure she protects herself and the stories because she wants them to come out really good And so they asked her and Naomi, you know, we're gonna we want you guys to be the tag team champs We'll make it, you know, we'll give you a good run and so that then they said, okay We're gonna go all in and they were doing a really good job with the tag team titles and they seem like a good team And now all of a sudden they wanted to do some weird thing where they have them both wrestling opposite champions and probably both losing, but not doing anything with the tag titles while they're doing this. And Sasha, you know, so the creative, and, and we all know that Vince can be crazy with the way that he rips up the show, the notes the day of, and he changes things. All I think all of that is fair. My only problem is sort of what you were saying, Coop. I have been on situations. And I've been asked to do a lot of things on a broadcast or live TV or you're in a spot or here and there. And you, unfortunately, once the show starts, you got to do it. If the show has started, you have to go out and do it. And then you can leave before or after or tomorrow or whatever. But when the show is going live and you're supposed to do something and then you leave and all the people in production and all of these people are sort of depending on you. It's not just a Vince thing. That's the thing I didn't like about it at all. Um, if they would have left earlier in the day, I'm fine. They got time to call audibles and change things or whatever. It's not it. I just don't like the way that that's very unprofessional. Like you said, I, don't show up. Okay. That's one thing. But when you're there and it's the time of the show, 
I don't like leaving in the middle of the show. That that's the one part that I just didn't like. And, and you that's that's a that's a really really good point to look at it. And hey, look, I respect the Sasha Bank protecting the gimmick, right? Uh, I, I I mean, look, I, I'm going on 48 years old. I was introduced to professional wrestling at yeah, God, probably three or four years old, and have been just addicted to it ever since. So I and, and you and I talk about this every week one of our biggest complaints with professional wrestling is the storylines and the old school it's not there anymore but you know what at the end of the end of the day professional wrestling has evolved as much as much as i crap on aew for not doing this storyline and and doing this but that that holds true with a lot of of what's happened to professional wrestling over the last decade or so, it's just the landscape is different. There's different things. Uh, they're not sticking with champions very long. They're not sticking with this very long. So I, I understand that. But leaving, you know, just just leaving and saying I, I, I'm done is 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 a tough way to prove a point. But I'll tell you this: it, it shows it shows her popularity because all of the major news outlets, like I said, Sports Illustrated, ESPN. And when ha- when has has WWE ever had to come out and say something like this? Now, it's never. I can't they, ever. They, I can they, never they remember people, this. But yeah, they have new people in the front office. They're, there's a, they're a bigger machine now, but they usually protect the business pretty too, uh, pretty well too. This is uh, this is really really interesting to see which way this goes now. And I thought it was really interesting that Becky. Called them out on Raw to Adam Pierce. He said, "Hey, late. They left the building, and he kind of looked at him. She went, "No, really. They left the building. Yeah. <laughs> so what are we gonna do? So it is. Uh, we say it week in, week out. We may be okay. There's not the mark. Uh, the the we're not in the middle of the march. The to WrestleMania, and we're there's not this. They're not that. Man, give it a couple of days. Professional wrestling will always, always throw you a curveball. How about how about this one? How about a couple of minutes? Stephanie McMahon tweeted, "As of tomorrow, I am taking a leave of absence from the majority of my responsibilities Whoa. at WWE. WWE is a lifelong legacy for me, and I look forward to returning to my, the company that I love after taking this time to focus on my family." Wow. Oh, and see, look, hey, look, Hunter, Hunter with with medical issues now. Stephanie, yep. uh, taking a leave, man. Like I said, just give it a couple of days. It's like here in Texas, Southeast Texas. If you don't like the weather, just give it a couple hours. It'll change. Mm-hmm. It, the the news ringer never stops here. So we'll <laughs> we'll find out more about that one in the coming days. I'm sure with Stephanie McMahon, who has become really like the public face of the WWE. Everything that she does with the media, with fundraising, with Make-A-Wish stuff, and with all the, the women's um, you know empowerment and the women's movement in wrestling over the last few years. So that's uh, that was very interesting. Let's dive back into what happened over the last week or so. So back on SmackDown, we had Riddle beat Sami Zayn. We had the SmackDown Women's Championship match, Ronda Rousey beating Raquel Rodriguez. We had the Women's Tag Team Championship match. Sasha and Naomi beat Shayna and Na- and Natty, which feels like five years ago. You know, just a, just a week ago with everything that's <laughs> happened si- since then. And uh, Butch beat Kofi when they open the show, and and Sammy's out there with the Bloodline shirt. You know, and he's going. Isn't that just fantastic. 
Oh my god. And and Riddle and Orton are there and they're talking and and they're they're trying to get Sammy to basically, you know, to to say to say that he's like the brains of the operation of the bloodline. And and Sammy keeps going, you know, you know, I can make decisions for for the bloodline, right? Like we're close and you know, and he's going with this new like I'm the locker room leader thing, which is just <laughs> makes me laugh every time he does it. And he's just wearing the bloodline shirt too, which is so fantastic. And so they get they end up having uh, Sammy versus Riddle, and uh, Riddle gets the win. As uh, I thought, this was a lot of fun and a kind of a, a fun, creative way to to kick off the show. With uh, man, Orton and Riddle are over there. It WWE is sort of in a in a they're lucky in a way that like Orton, Riddle, Cody are kind of helping them right now with where. You know, they Roman's not around quite as much. They don't really have multiple champions. It's it's that sort of group of guys towards the top. They're they're kind of lucky that they have a guy like Orton who feels like such a big star that he can open shows and it doesn't feel like, oh, that wasn't that was lackluster. He's a he's one of the all time greats. You know, I sound like a broken record, unfortunately. Um I, I, I just have never been the biggest Sami Zayn fan for the longest. And I, I just he, he kind of drove me nuts with this conspiracy character. If you remember a couple of years ago, he would come out with the signs. But man, oh man, I tell you, with Johnny Knoxville and now into this, this guy has won me over where I I, I want to buy the guy's T-shirt, uh, you know, cheap, cheap pop here uh, WWE shop zone. Um, I, I just think that he's incredible, and I'm not saying that he didn't have this any, you know, you know, years ago. It's just I, I'm just now realizing, and I, I just this guy, what he does is such an incredible heel. The Bloodline shirt coming out, I, I just marked out. Me too. I, I started you know, laughing immediately when I saw. It's like he's wearing their freaking shirt, you know, and he just walks out. It's just. <laughs> It's the locker room leader stuff, and him and Riddle had a fantastic match. They did. And and Riddle was really good, and you said it. Uh, We're in a weird zone right now where we don't have two dominant brand world-type champions, right? Whether Roman is kind of hurt or he's just kind of hanging in there. You know, we saw him later in the show. Um, Kudos to these guys that have stepped up, and we'll talk about you know, as we did last week, what Cody's been able to do and stay hot, he, he's doing it on one brand. And I tell you what, you've got to put Sami Zayn up there in the upper echelon right now in the WWE on the blue brand Absolutely. on Friday nights. He's doing Absolutely. work, man. He, he is filling the same role that The Miz has filled for a lot of years. That's you know? a great point. That's like a just, great point. Like, he... He's you don't ever think he's going to really win these matches and stuff but you don't you don't care. He's so entertaining and he makes you so like you wanted to see him get punched all over that you can put him in slot him in like a world title spot and and it's okay. It's it's sort of it, it fits fine. Like you could put him anywhere on the card and that's sort of it he reminds me a lot right now of what the Miz was doing and and then KL's wearing the Sami Zayn shirt on Monday, you know, which was funny because <laughs> they're old buddies. So that that made me, that popped me there too. Um, so yeah, Riddle, and I, I don't like always doing this because we and it's it's inevitable that we always end up comparing AEW to WWE and stuff like that. But 
when Sammy and Kevin were getting ready to, you know, to possibly leave WWE when their contracts were up last year, and a lot of people said, "Oh, those guys are just going to go immediately to AEW. They're going to want to go there and and wrestle, you know, and have like these better matches and and wrestle against better opponents or whatever." Just when we get to the show and we recap this week's Dynamite, stop then and think and watch these shows on Monday night and Smack and SmackDown on Friday. Look at how much time on TV Sami Zayn is getting And then compare that to what you think he would be getting on AEW When they had five minutes for a main event match Because they try to squeeze so much crap into the show That nothing ends up breathing And it all ends up getting shortchanged a little bit And so while everybody looks and goes Well, yeah, maybe you get a little more creative freedom in AEW You're never going to be having these kind of funny 15-20 minute segments on National TV with 2 million people watching you After you just had a Everybody thought oh Sammy's so embarrassed Sammy had millions of people all over <laughs> Seeing him for the first time at Wrestlemania Because of the Knoxville stuff and all the Jackass stuff KO yeah. was in the main event With Austin And, Austin, right. and yeah, you know yeah. Kevin Owens wouldn't be doing all this Ezekiel stuff unless he loved it He's really good buddies with, El- with Elias They're friends and he gets a kick Out of this you can tell that they're into it And that they like it and so Man, I see these two guys too, and I think these are guys that everyone just assumed was going to leave, and they're in really good spots right now. They're getting a lot of TV time, and they're so entertaining. And, and it proves time and time again you don't need to hold a strap to be in an important or a feud or 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 be in a five star match. And uh, you know, at the end of the day, whether these guys are super super nice. Uh, or they're assholes. Uh, these guys have have egos, and when you go to another company and things start slipping, regardless if your pay is good or not, it's like signing with the Yankees, and you know you're in the bullpen and you're not really used a lot, and you're just there. You know you you start squirming a little bit. But kudos for WWE for keeping these two guys here and just sending them their careers, you know, a, a lot of these guys resign and that's it. You know, it's kind of like, they're just struggling along. They're there to put people over. Not these two. Uh, no. These are main event worthy guys right now that are having, look, you tell me, Gino, wouldn't you love to be in their positions right now? Oh my gosh. Raw? Heck yeah. Each of these guys, I'm positive that the moment they walk back in from out there, they just start laughing. Absolutely. They're having Absolutely. a blast with what they're doing. You can tell the way that they are doing it, how much they put into it, and how fun. So r- kudos to the to the both of them. Kudos to Sammy. Riddle gets the win here. We got uh, an impromptu SmackDown women's title match. Uh, Ronda wants to be a fighting champ. She cuts this kind of a – her promos are just so bad when she comes out, though, and she's <laughs> – you, she, like she yeah, just doesn't have the like flow of you know that the pace and the tone of how you're the the speed that you're supposed to talk. She just sort of talks like like she just comes out there like she's just talking at a party to people. And it's like you gotta you gotta cut a promo. You, you, she, yeah. you would think that she would at least know the promo from from having to build the fights, but that's like she just comes out and she'll grab the mic and it's like. So my mom was always talking about this and that, and it's like what. <laughs> like, you know, it, it, it brings up the the two old. I, I'm a massive Seinfeld fan, and for those who don't like it or don't know what I'm talking about, just fast forward ten seconds. I, I, it's just there's two parts to 
Seinfeld, there, there's two episodes. These pretzel are it's Kramer. These pretzels are making me thirsty. He gets this part in this movie, and he don't know which word to put an emphasis on. And then Jerry is supposed to go to Dr. Tim Watley's Thanksgiving or Christmas party, and he's trying to dissect the way George said, "Oh, Jerry is coming." And Jerry, goes, oh, did he say, "Oh, Jerry, Jerry is, is coming, coming," or did he say, or, "Oh"? Jerry's coming. <laughs> you know, so, but yeah, I'm, I'm these, right on here. These pretzels, Look, I, they're making me thirsty. I mean, they all, they all take their turn yeah. saying it. You know, George says it, and then says the, oh, these pretzels, they're making me thirsty. They all do the, oh, man. That's so, that's but you know great. what? Here's what's interesting about this segment. I really, really like this about Rhonda. I, don't, I like that they don't save her for pay-per-views. I thought it was an interesting match that they made Raquel look very, very strong. And I read a couple of different reports on this because I wanted to get a couple of different takes. And both of them said the same thing that I thought. I, I, we knew Ronda was going to win, but if you really de- you know, dissect this match six, seven minutes, however long it was, she really struggled to beat Raquel here. Now, I don't know if this is going to be her M.O. I don't know if I'm looking way too much into this. I don't know if they're really getting ready to push Raquel and they think really high high of her. You know, but Ronda didn't get a lot of offense here in this match. But I do like it that they're bringing her out on Friday nights and she's defending that title. I do like that a lot. I thought this was good. I did. I, you know, I joked about the promo when she came out at the beginning. But I, I, I thought this did very good for Raquel. And... Like we've said with Ronda, Ronda's strength is in the ring and looking like a badass. And so when she's talking over and over, she kind of feels like not as big of a star. When you see her fight and wrestle and have matches like she had against Charlotte and the good interaction here with Raquel, it's much better. And, and I agree with you. This this seemed like pretty deliberate to for, to, for them to let us all know that they like Raquel. Hey. And you know up. what, Gina? I, I like I, it, we're going to get more of Ronda defending the titles because right after this we had a segment with multiple uh, WWE female superstars Shotzi, uh, Aaliyah both came up to Adam Pearce like hey I want my title shot hey I want a title shot so hopefully we're going to get that and we can see some of this talent that we haven't seen in a while I really really like this man I just tell you Smackdown to me I've always said it I, I love me some NXT but if, between the two big flagships Shows, man, I love me some SmackDown. It's an easy watch. It really is. It is it's smooth. It's very smooth. We got the uh, Baron Corbin attack on Madcap Moss. He put him in a stretcher and uh, he he wrapped a chair around his neck and he smashed it with the trophy. So yeah, they had to be. Uh, we came back from a commercial and and Moss was being stretchered out with a neck brace. So it looks like they're continuing this. Which, I mean, the the beatdown. Was intense. I'll say that. I thought the beatdown like came off good. I just feel like we've been going here for so long with these guys that they could use something fresh. Like Madcap especially could use something different than this, and maybe this this will tweak his character a little bit. Maybe it'll force him to be a little bit more serious. Not you know where he can still be funny, but he doesn't have to be such a a joke. All the time and maybe this maybe this is what they were going for but I just I don't want another few more months of these two guys No, what, what is the old saying here? It's kind of long in the tooth. It, it just I, 
you know, it, it's been going on too long. I, I like the new aggressiveness with Corbin, um, but this probably should have happened months ago. You know, maybe this probably should have happened before WrestleMania or before something else. Um, you know, maybe Moss is hurt. Maybe there's going to be change. I, I would like to see Corbin say, hey, look, I'm no longer happy, Corbin. You know, um, you people did this to me. I, I, I'm back to my old ways again. And it'd be a little bit more believable. But I, I just hate how long it's taken us uh, to get to this point. Because I really think I really think that Madcap Moss has a has a bright future as I a do too. card superstar in this company. I really I, do. They just got to find the right character for him. I, I I agree. He's fine in the ring, and he's got a little something there to him. He plays well with the crowd. Just he does, and he's you good. know just he's good in the ring. Mm-hmm. Just tweak him a, a little bit. Uh, Sasha Naomi won the women's tag team titles. I'm not quite sure what to think of that now, knowing what happened on Monday. But they they beat Shayna, and uh, it was a good Sh- match too. They got it six was. or seven minutes. It was a good, solid match. You it know? was. And then we get uh, backstage. We got Drew Gulak and Ricochet talking. <laughs> it, it almost looks like we're going to be leading to maybe like a Gulak and Ricochet versus Gunther and Kaiser. Maybe tag match and I wonder If they're gonna point Gunther Maybe to the Intercontinental title If that's maybe where they're going in sort of That direction Um, Either way I will say we've been getting More Ricochet on TV and at least There's been he he's Been beating people that he should be beating And there's been a little bit more of him So they've been Doing better with Ricochet recently still Not as good as they could but just like A little bit better than they've done in, in Years and months past yeah, and, and look, Gulak had, deserves this opportunity. He was he was so good in the you know the few weeks since him coming out being in a you know a and and a commentator during the the Charlotte Ronda storyline. I I just thought this guy has a place on Friday night television, and I think they agree. You know, sometimes you got to look past how good the person is in the ring because we you and I both know five star matches don't make. Don't make for millions of viewers on television. We know that every Wednesday night, even when they have good matches, some of those segments are, are the least watched. But Gulak deserves a moment and a storyline, and he's got this. And, yeah, I'm with you on Ricochet. I like this. Um, he's getting more TV time. And I'll say this. Uh, Guthar is just a 100% loaded weapon for WWE, man. Uh, if you want to make that title significant, I'm not saying Ricochet hasn't hasn't been able to do it because they haven't put him in a lot of positions to make that. But he is so dominant and so yeah. good, and his presence is so over just overbearing, not in a bad way. Um, that would be a good direction to go in because then you could put Guthar up against other champions and uh, make some really good moments for WWE. Butch gets a uh, a W over Kofi. Okay, Butch is is winning. I don't, you know what? I, I don't mind what they're doing with him. We'll see. I'll, I'll let it go. Like he's in a good pairing with with Sheamus and Holland. Like it, it all fits for them. Let's see if they are able to you know let him get some wins. It's just I feel like they're kind of waiting almost for Big E. It's like yeah, with this feud here. because yeah. this feud has been forever now too. Like these guys have just been interacting with each other for so long. But it's just weird. 
yeah, and they're good matches. And and I, I know what they're doing with Butch. Like I told you, I, I'm a I was a big Little Rascals fan. You know, Three Stooges. I I, I used to have the whole collection on VHS. And I I remember Butch. He was a bully. He would beat people up. Then he would run away. Then he would get beat up. And then he would come back. So they're they're literally mimicking that gimmick. But I'm with you. There's only so many good matches you can get between uh, five different people before saying, okay, uh, it's time to move on here because it really doesn't help any of the five. We finished up with the bloodline and, um, and Orton and Riddle, RK Bro. They were able to make a match. It's going to be on Friday, right? The uh, unification match. Is this that is going to be get? interesting. Yeah, this is going to be interesting. Uh, I don't know which way they're going to go, but it's going to be one hell of a match and one hell of a main event. And I expect a lot of people to get involved, especially Sami Zayn. But <laughs> we, was... get, we finally get the unification match. I just like the way he goes. Wait a minute, Paul. Did uh, did did I overstep my boundaries? I, I was and, just about to like, say. Oh, Roman respects Sami Zayn, <laughs> <laughs> and he says, he says, okay, I just uh, um, I, I just want to make sure that I, I, I want, I, I'll do whatever I can to get my respect back. You know, I just <laughs> want to make sure Roman's not upset with me. And uh, yeah, and, and Heyman puts his arm around Sami. Says the tribal chief appreciates him, and so yeah, you're right. We're gonna get maybe Sami interfering, trying to. To to show his worth to the bloodline, so this is good stuff here. Really funny and stuff. Even see Roman and Sammy having a match or yeah, two. Yeah, absolutely. You know? This could you lead know? to a Sammy Zayn babyface turn back the other way. Even it very well could be. Yeah. So <laughs> funny stuff as we move on over to uh, Monday Night Raw. We've got Bobby Lashley beating Omos in the cage. Veer Mahan defeating Mustafa, but it feels like Veer sort of got a. Got some purpose now and that was more of a It wasn't like the squashes that he's been having It was, it was you know, stacking the odds against Mustafa You've got uh, Riddle beating Jimmy Uso You've got AJ and Finn beating Los Lotharios Alexa beating Sonya Ezekiel beating Chad Gable And then Asuka defeating Becky Lynch For the uh, number one contender spot So Asuka's gonna go on and face Bianca And this was the show that did get Shifted around a little bit when uh, Sasha Banks and Naomi walked out I thought the show was pretty good though to be honest Um, Most of it from from top to bottom Omos Lashley stuff it just This is something that we've never really been into They did the spot like the the spot from the St. Valentine's Day Massacre When the big show debuted against uh, and, and was there and he threw Austin through the cage And then you know Austin's able to get out So that was uh that was a spot we've seen. Bobby Lashley ends up winning and escapes the cage here. So uh, what would you think of the start? Well, I'll, I'll tell you this. Uh, yeah, we, we've crapped on this for a while, and this this has to be the write-off. Anytime you can – not anytime, but when you add a steel cage to a match, uh, it's intriguing. Now, there's a lot of disappointment that can come with that. No, you're not going to get blood and stuff from WWE cage matches. Heck, I'm st- – a fan of the old school blue steel bar cage for that the WWF used. I like those cages uh, that WWE used to use. I know a lot of people don't, but I, I, I like those. I'll say they pop for Lashley, and they were they were hot for this finish. So I'll give them that. I'll give them that. That Lashley has a has a has a lot of stuff behind him. A lot of people behind him. Uh, let's move past it. Where does Bobby go from here? I don't know, but I'll say this. 
the crowd got behind Bobby Lashley and they popped for this finish. It was it, it was a good start to Raw. I'm glad we got this over early because I don't think at the end of the show it would have been as good, even though it it, it was the exact same match. I, I agree with it you. It's better to start them off. Completely agree. Just get it. This wouldn't have been something that people would have wanted to wait. I think for for the main event. So a uh, good job there. We got the theory coming out and they set up. Um, you know the Miz as the referee again, and it it seemed like Ali was going to have a match against Theory, and then he introduces Veer Mahan, and then Veer and basically Miz and uh, Theory are all able to you know tack on and crush Ali here, and. We then get the uh, the returning Mysterios to make the save. So Ray and Dominic come back. They make a save. So I'd imagine we'll probably get some some you know sort of six man tag matches here uh, set up with probably with the Mysterios and uh, Mustafa versus uh, the other three. And Miz is just doing his part to try to make everybody hate and get get everybody over here. You know, Miz feels like he's a little bit above this this sort of tier. But I don't have a problem with this. It gives it gives a, a grouping of people. Something to do that don't have anything to do and, and I'm fine seeing them have Good matches like I'm I'm okay with Mustafa being in this spot it actually gives Veer a little bit of purpose It's And you know what it's okay for Theory too He's still young and it's fine for him to be like Interacting with all of them I don't, I don't really mind Most of this it's not like something I'm in love with But I think I'm glad seeing Mustafa on TV and I feel like there is A little something there with Veer You know First, with with theory, he, he, he's a good Weasley mid card champion heel, and this is fine. He he he's got plenty of time. You and I both said it, it's time for Veer to to get that next level of competition, and I think this is perfect for him. I'm surprised that the Mysterios came back, but now you can you know, and it got involved. Not surprised they came back. Surprised they they came back in the storyline, um, but it now it gives this you know. Another month or two to get more people involved. And, you know, I like it. And as much as we've joked and were ribbed with Veer Mahan's coming to Raw, hey, there's been a lot of bad big man in, in wrestling, especially WWE. I can say this, honestly, between, you know, Gino, I think there's a lot more upside. I like Veer more than I like Omos. I, I just do. Completely I, I just think agree. He's more, he's more intriguing. And, and we haven't even really... Heard hearing speak anything, I just think he's more intriguing than Omos right now. The uh, backstage, we had Becky, as you mentioned, tell Adam Pierce that the Sasha and Naomi left the building, and <laughs> so things changed. It became Becky and Oscar for the number one contender spot. We got Riddle versus Jimmy Uso in a really good match. Riddle's just been just been tearing things up in ring. This was fun. Riddle gets the win. And uh, and it's setting up their match on Friday. Again, really, really good match. Um, I, I, you know, I, I think you and I are both under the impression that these titles probably want will not be unified this Friday. If they do it, I would think they probably do it at a pay per view. I don't know if it's selling a cell or later, or if they don't do it at all. But we just continue to get quality matches from from these four guys and. Uh, you know, it, it 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 can get a little old, but 
Riddle and, and Orton, even though Orton was not here, I think Orton said he had a family obligation that, that he was not scheduled to be there. So it wasn't one of these things. Where's Orton? Blah, blah, blah. I, I just think Riddle and Orton, RK Bro, is so oh, you can put them with, with anyone and it would it would be a, a solid, solid segment. And I'm uh, looking forward to this this tag team title unification match. Just another solid single match with these two. Hell, I could see Riddle carrying one of the big titles, you know, in, in the next year too. or two. This this guy another massive star, man. We I really so I'm not positive that I love everything that, that they do they're doing with Judgment Day, but I like the combinations that we're getting now. I like what this did for Liv Morgan. Liv Morgan getting out in the ring and doing the two sweet with Finn and AJ. That was just a cool moment for her. I'm happy because we wanted to make sure that Liv didn't get kind of shuffled back down the card. So it looks like she's going to at least be paired with them for a little while while they're, you know, for the next few weeks while they're feuding. And for Finn, like this feels like it's. Finn and AJ together feels like it's way better than anything Finn had been doing for a while. And if you're not going to do much with AJ, like him with his, with Finn is way better than the pairings of AJ and Omos. Like I want to see now, I want to see Finn and AJ against RK Bro. Yeah, like uh, that's what, yeah. I want to see that for sure. And, and you called it. Kudos to you. I I think they're going with a uh, a mixed. Six man woman tag match at Hell in a Cell. I, I would, I would be shocked if they didn't go AJ Finn Live versus Judgment Day, and I, I, we we knew that Judgment Day needed something extra besides Damian Priest. Uh, Rhea was perfect. I wouldn't be surprised if we're not done yet. Um, Screwball. I, I, I don't think Live would turn. But I, I could see somebody else oh, joining Judgment Day. I'm not saying Luke's going to do it, but I think we're I think we're going to get another another person. Because Edge even said that, that, right? He yeah. said, "I'm adding. You want to come?" He I'm even adding. said, "AJ, you want to turn?" So maybe one of them does turn. Maybe it's Finn. Maybe it's right? Finn. Maybe it's Liv. Maybe it's somebody that we don't know. And I think that makes it a lot more intriguing here. But I, I love what's going on with AJ Finn. And uh, we were concerned. We were concerned with Liv with the beatdowns that she took from Rhea. And uh, man, it's all worked out. This uh, she's uh, Liv's had a, a hell of a last couple. Liv Morgan still rolling. Um, Alexa Bliss versus Sonya. Alexa gets the win against Sonya via pinfall. And Alexa's, you know, just kind of babyface with the doll. I I don't mind this version of Alexa. I'm sure we'll get more from her. Coming up and and Sonya will be Like a fine heel I just wish Sonya wouldn't have looked so weak against Bianca a few weeks ago that was my only Because she could be a really good Like heel in the women's division Sonya's Good in the ring and she she's Like she's done a lot with her character work Since she's been you know one of One of the the the, the backstage Like executives and so I I, I actually like you, you sort of even forget about this women's Division with a couple really talented women Like this yeah, you know, you you bring up another good point. You know, we saw Sonia just be this over the top, overbearing uh, authority figure for so long, and she's you know interjected herself in a couple of matches here and there, here and there, and got herself involved in, in the women's world title picture at one time. 
And it, I, I, I'm with you. I, I do like the fact that Alexa Bliss has new music. Uh, I, I do like that. That's a plus. I'm glad we got Alexa back. But, you know, to, to start her start her as Sonya off at the bottom again, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what good that does her. The only good thing is she's a heel that no one's really liked. But you know what the WWE does, man. When they when they when they bury you, bury you, bury you, it seems like you always hulk up and have a big comeback. So I don't think she's gonna be down too too long. I could see her in a number one contender type here sometime later this year. But right now it's a little wonky with her losing uh quick matches uh to Alexa Bliss. So uh Ezekiel and Chad Gable were uh we're in a fun match. It's funny because I know it's the same, but like Ezekiel is a better wrestler than Elias. You know, he's yes. like he's better in <laughs> ring. It's the same dude, but he's obviously taking more of a taking more of a focus at what he's doing in ring. And man, Gable, shoo, 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 <laughs> and just him and and Owens. Um, all of this is just hilarious. Like backstage. You know, always wearing the Sami Zayn Forever T-shirt, and so I, I just, I'm, I'm really entertained by all of this, and I, I know we're gonna have a little bit more, and I, I, I'm sure they've got a few more things up their sleeves, and this has already lasted a pretty good amount of time, and it doesn't feel like old yet. It still feels pretty funny when they come out and do this stuff. I, yeah, and, and again, kudos, uh, Gable, uh, Star. It's kind of like an unsung hero. You know, he, he was, um, we knew he had all the talent in the world. He's just such a small guy. And, you know, the old, you know, the old wives tell that, you know, the WWE, they don't like really small guys, you know, to be professional wrestlers or their superstars. But again, I, this guy is too hard. It, it, it's, it, it's, you can't keep this guy off TV. He's too entertaining. He's too, too good in ring. And this, the simple thing is shush is, is such a catchphrase now in the WWE that even when you hate him, the crowd loves to mock that. They love to say it along with him. I have no issues with it. I, I'm a big Chad Gable mark. Like, like that little guy. Like him. We got the Cody countdown. We've been getting this the last couple of weeks now. Uh, they're telling us exactly when we're going to see Cody counting down to the top of the, uh, I think, the 10 o'clock hour in Cody Rhodes. Cut a promo He talked about Seth Rollins He said he doesn't understand um, Why Seth is so upset He beat him fair and square And he says they're going to go for round three Hell in a cell At Wrestlemania Backlash And Seth just laughed Said I'll see you in hell So we're getting round three Hell in a cell Cody, Seth First two matches have been great This one I'd, I'd expect to be very good again And it feels at least with this feud, I like the way it's it's sort of changed a little bit. It started surprise entrant surprise match at WrestleMania, and then it went to, hey, I can beat you if I know you're coming. And then it, it became personal. Then Seth started going at Dusty. So it's they've elevated this feud along the way, and now it does feel ready and right for a, a Hell in a Cell match. So I thought this was fine, and uh, the Cody countdown apparently it did pretty well for them. People stayed. And watched, I think, the show um, a, a lot more deeper into the uh, episode. Yeah, and you know, 
it's hard regardless how big of a name you are how good you are in the ring to be able to keep people's attention especially in the professional wrestling world because they they will definitely let you know uh we're not into this we don't like it and they're very vocal about it on social media uh i thought we were going to get the payoff here uh at hell in a cell with cody and seth now my question would be to you is uh, Cody, the three to five chalk heading into hell in a cell. I I wouldn't see why he would lose at this point, uh, though nothing shocks me. I just don't know how much sense it would make if Seth Rollins went over in hell in a cell, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe you can talk me out of it. Is this, is is Cody the three to five chalk in, in the hell in a cell? I think so. I think he's got to be, you know, I think you got to okay. finish it off with Cody. And the only thing I'm worried about with Cody right now moving forward is just one thing that I always say Cody's hot right now. Yeah. Is in, is, are we going to be able to keep him this hot to WrestleMania if that's the plan? So maybe a loss maybe be wouldn't too bad here. No, you're right. Cause he's going to have to lose at some point, right? So rather do it in a gimmick type match, right? Mm hmm. And. Maybe it's something cheap. Maybe it is Kevin Owens comes in and helps set. I know something. Maybe right but where look, it's like on the flip side of this, Gino. On the flip side, Seth Rollins. I mean, how many more losses is this guy? You don't want take? him to have all of these losses in a row over and over and over again. Well, too, yeah, so. you, you have you have made you have ta- you you were talking me in to Seth Rollins being a live dog here when I go to the betting window, Gino. I know. I love Look at this. Look at this. As uh, we finished up Monday Night Raw with uh, Becky Asuka. And Bianca was getting involved a little bit. Asuka ends up getting the win. So we're going to get Bianca versus Asuka at Hell in a Cell. I don't know if that probably won't be in the cell. Just probably a match at the show. And I'd imagine there will probably be Becky with some involvement there, right? I don't think that'll be like a clean finish or anything. Maybe Becky gets pissed and then we end up leading to a... Either a three-way or bit more another Becky Oscar and someone else for Naomi. Uh, did Becky go home? Did she cry and say, "I'm not losing and I'm not putting Oscar over"? Nope. Where has Oscar been? No, she didn't. Okay, that's that's the first thing I wanted to say. Um, I thought you know last week I brought this up to you. Uh, and you called it. You thought Oscar and Bianca uh, were going to be the two. Uh, that went one on one for this title, and I thought, man, this is two faces here. Uh, yeah, we're we're not going to get a Hell in a Cell match, uh, but in order for this to work, uh, Becky's going to end up interfere, and we'll get a payoff with a triple threat with these three ladies. Um, and I'm excited about that because we we haven't seen Oscar in forever, um. And so you don't want her losing cleanly as soon as she comes back to Bianca. And I'm not, I'm not disrespecting the WWE Raw Women's Champion, Bianca. I'm not saying that. But let Becky get involved and DQ this match. Let it be schmozzy. Let her DQ it. And then put these ladies in a triple threat. Uh, then you, you got some real magic here you can work with. You know, on the march to SummerSlam, however which way they wanted to do it. We head on over to NXT. We had uh, Cameron Grimes and Solo Sokoa beat Carmelo and Trick. Last Legend beat Tatum Paxley in the breakout tournament opening round match. The Viking Raiders beat the Creed Brothers. Grayson Waller beat Andre Chase. 
We had Roxanne Perez defeat Kiana James Wes Lee and Nathan Frazier Ended in a no contest And Santos Escobar and Tony D in the main event Santos got the win over Tony D Man this crowd loves Solo Sokoa They love them some Solo Sokoa This was a really fun tag match to open things up Between Solo, Grimes, Trick and Carmelo Solo and Cameron get the win there And then after the match Solo takes the title and hands it to him and they kind of have a, a little stare off there So that's where we're going man Put that belt on him soon Because this guy is over right now Yeah he's a rocket um, I, For starters uh, Just overall I thought this week From start to finish of NXT Was a lot better episode of 2.0 Than, than last week's really uh, agree. version Not that I had you know, a whole lot It just seemed a lot better um, th- This was a Really really good And hot opener I uh, thought it was interesting that Carmelo uh, took the pin here. But you know what? Sometimes protecting guys and protecting girls are a little overrated in my book. You know, when you're in a hot match like this, uh, it, it's it's okay to get pinned. I think protecting people have, ha, has become a little overrated in professional res- wrestling. Now, look, yeah, there are moments. You don't, you don't want Ronda Rousey. Uh, Roman Reigns, you don't want certain people losing in, in, in certain matches, right? But, you know, Carmelo being the heel here, they could have easily, easily pinned Trick Williams. I, I thought it was really nice and refreshing for Carmelo to take the pin here, but I, I, I'm 100% with you. When we get Grimes, Sokoa, I, 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 you know, I'd like Grimes to go full here, full heel on him. Totally agree. I, I'm itching for this match, man. I, I, I assume that what's the next event we're doing? I know they announced a lot of stuff for NXT. I know there's a there's an in your house coming. In your house, I'd like yeah. to see this in your house. I'd like yeah. to see that one on one match in your house. I think so too. Lash Legend gets the win over Tatum Paxley. Here is uh, she is moving on in the women's breakout tournament. So a lot of these matches are probably going to be short. And you know what? Yeah. The, okay. This. This is sort of like that breaking ground show they were doing. I heard somebody talking about this. The one of these girls is in high school, still, yeah. literally in high school. So these girls are really green. They're not that. They're not women that probably should be having very long matches quite yet. This is a way to introduce you to them, and then to I think put Nikita over eventually is really the point of this tournament. But um, Lash Legend is getting better and showing more improvement, and she is a. Athletic freak She was in the WNBA So she's yeah. someone who They and she's got a good look to her She's got size So um, I think she's fine Like this was I had no problems with this It wasn't awful or anything We uh, we then move along To like Most of the show I'm fine with It's just the stuff with Braun and Gacy That every time it comes It's like uh, <laughs> really we're still going here And we had um, you know, like a promo in the middle of the show where the, the crowd doesn't even really want to get behind Braun because they just don't like this. It's not like they want to get behind Gacy. They're just sort of turned off by all of this. And then at the when, end of the show, where and, when and where and how in the hell are we just now finding out that Braun was left in the damn wilderness? I know a couple of weeks ago after his abduction. See, we haven't heard anything about that since. It just doesn't add up at all, man. It's I. This has been a bummer. Yeah, it has been. It, it, has it, been. 
it's made Braun. I, I hope this doesn't ruin him because he's he's just does not feel like is nearly as important or as big of a deal as he did those first few weeks of NXT. Honestly, when they rebranded, he felt like, man, this guy is a, a huge deal. So you know, in, hang no, on, Jim, go ahead. We go back to to that. Remember when he had an early loss to someone, and it was just really odd. I cannot remember who it was. What was it in the title match? Was it was it against Ciampa that Ciampa went over? Who did yeah. he lose? Yeah, it was Ciampa the first time. Yeah, it was the first I time did, Ciampa. I thought that was weird. I thought they should have gave it to him then. And then okay, we built him back up and he came out decent. I you know, him and Dolph had a good program. I just don't think that elevated Brian. To what they were hoping for, and I can tell you this: this damn sure has it. This and look, we got it again later in the night. And look, a stipulation, a no DQ. I uh, look, he's already beat you once, dude. What do you want here? I, I, I just there's a lot more people on this roster than hard, that are that are hotter and better than than your champion, and that's not a good sign because when this guy took off, uh, when we rebranded. Uh, we got past the why is that he named, you know, Braun Steiner or whatever. Uh, he might be, in, I, I think we're getting to the point where he may be in trouble, Gino. He, he might be. We got the, uh, so Indy said she's going to be, uh, challenging Mandy for the title. So she's heading there. We'll see if, uh, if that is maybe the, one of the next contenders, uh, for Mandy Viking Raiders versus the Creed brothers. We're. We're getting this sort of weird. It's it's the same weird stuff with uh with Roderick Strong, where you know he we're gonna get a turn some coming up soon. He brought in somebody else to the Diamond Mine, and Viking Raiders get the win here, and it was because of Roderick Strong trying to get involved. So this match was good. These guys are good, man. I'm I'm really really getting into the Creed Brothers here, man. Julius can go. Yeah, and, and I, I I'm. I'm totally okay with 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 them uh, not going over here. I know there are a lot of people like, oh, the Creed Brothers are already getting buried. This is not a burial. I mean, you're facing the Viking Raiders, who, look, are, are not the greatest tag team of all time, but they've been on the main roster for a while, and they're pretty good. You know, outside of the silly gimmicks they did with uh, the Street Profits, uh, these guys can go, and I like it because now we're building – a, a diamond mind is just collapsing uh, before our very eyes. And I, I, I'm totally okay with it. The Creed brothers are stars. And even if they, if you wanted to put split them up and do some solo stuff at one point, I think they've got the availability or the, uh, the ability to do that as well. I, I, I thought this was one of the better matches uh, of the night. I really like this tag match. Me too. I'm a big fan there. Uh, it looks like Tiffany Stratton and Grayson Waller may be getting paired up together. As, Why not? Uh, Everybody else is hooked up on NXT 2.0. <laughs> it's NXT. It's NX, It's Sex XT there. Uh, everyone going out for dates and everyone's getting horny. And Andre Chase, Grayson Waller um, went to Grayson Waller. But, uh, man, I got to get me enrolled over at Chase U. Yeah, I got to get me enrolled. Yeah, I want to commit. I, I, you and I both had to ha- have to have a commitment ceremony one day with the hats, with, with the, the hats, hats on we your show. Uh, and, and, you know, and there's no gimmicks there. We're we're, pick, we're picking up the hats and we're signing the contract. 
We I are like we are one hundred percent verbally committed to chase you. <laughs> I love it. I love it. We um we had Roxanne Perez versus Kiana James, and they seem like they like Roxanne Perez quite a bit. She gets the win here, five uh, sixteen, and and you know we we continue to build up the women's breakout tournament and. Most of the ladies that we've seen here, you you can see they're they're young, they're green, but they've got a lot of upside, and this is someone who they're definitely behind. Man, I tell you, I know you and I both agree on this with Nikita that she should win this tournament. Um, something's telling me they're getting real behind. They're get, they're really getting behind Roxanne Perez mm-hmm. from from the indie circuit. Um, very very young. I don't think she's twenty years old yet. Um, I would not be surprised if she goes over in this tournament. Um, I, I just think they're behind her. Um, as you said, we had someone else do it, you know, cut a promo, said they're graduating high school next week. And while in college, they're training at the performance center. Um, th- this is just crazy how NXT are, are finding the next superstar, but I would not be surprised if Roxanne Perez, um, um, Steals this tournament. I'm with you. Uh, I, Nikita Lyons should be the winner, but I would not be surprised if Roxanne made it to the finals and somehow uh, snuck s- snuck this tournament championship away. I believe she was known as Roxy. Roxy, and, and she yep. was the first ever uh, Ring of Honor Women's World Champ. And you're she right; was. she's only but, 20 from Laredo, Texas, too. Just 20 years very, old. Very young. Nathan Frazier versus Wes Lee was next, and uh, both of them were going at it. I thought it was was pretty fun. I will say, I actually did not. I hate Von Wagner. We both did. I had his guts. <laughs> I I just do not like him at all. I thought this spot was actually not bad because it was entertaining. What he did, he came out, didn't talk, and just looked like an absolute badass, and just threw these dudes like threw him on the table. If we get him. Doing this for like a month or two where he just comes out and just goes nuts on people and doesn't even talk. I'm I'm for it. I am for it. I like this. I don't mind. And and, and then it led. I just don't want to hear him talk. And 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 then it led to a, a kind of a funny backstage segment where. So what's the big man's name? The, uh, it, uh, Sangha? Sangha. Sangha. So, Sangha. That's it. Yeah, Sangha says, "Oh, you know, you know, he, he makes a comment. I don't think he was. He said about Wesley being, you know, a small guy, and then Wesley got all offended by that. And so it looks like they're gonna have a match. But I kind of liked what we got from Sangha. Like, I kind of just liked the presence and like the way he talked. And it, him and Veer right now, and looking at them, like I would be put buying stock in them over Omos any day of the week. Hey, sure, yes." 100%. First of all, go back to the the, the match. I, I, I'm really starting to like this Nathan, Nathan Frazier guy. Me too. I, like his interest. I, I, I don't know what it was. I don't know what it is. But I can get behind this guy. And I'm with you. I'm the same. When Von Wagner talks, he reminds me of Phil Hartman, Saturday Night Live, Frozen Caveman Live. Oh, yeah, I, well, how do I know? I'm just a caveman. I'm just a frozen caveman. <laughs> Yeah, this is what he probably should have been doing since day one. But you know what? You know what? It's easier said than done. Now that you know it, we we all go back and say, well, why weren't they doing this from day one? 
you know, well, sometimes they don't know it either. It's trial by fire. But this capacity with Von Wagner is, I'm not going to say enjoyable, but it's a lot better than what we've been seeing him since, you know, from day one when he buried Kyle O'Reilly and then he joined the Robert Stone brand. This was much, much better. It's a very good start for him, a restart for him. It reminded me of one thing that we missed on uh, Monday Night Raw, where they had Riddle in like the stoner room. Oh with yeah, the, yeah, with the smoke, yeah. which was great, and Riddle yeah. got to cut the promo there. What did you think of that? Oh, you, well, look, why hide it? You know, why hide the fact that the dude's a real stoner? I know. You know, I'm not advocating anything, but if you're going to allow one thing in sports. Just make marijuana legal. I know. You know, and, just and come on. I mean, fun we're with getting it. there. Yeah, yep. and just have fun with it. And I'm glad they're starting to embrace it. Now, look, we, we don't want to be out there and riddles. It's got these marijuana leaf T-shirts and everything, and we're vaping and we're doing all of that. No, but, but the... embrace it at certain times of his character, and, and, and it's it, it just puts him over that much more. So we got these families continuing to go to war. Tony D <laughs> versus Santos Escobar. We uh, we have the big brawl. And then, of course, you know, there's a, a lot going on. Tony goes for the cane. Then Legato took the cane. Then Dimes and Two Stacks take <laughs> Dimes and Two Stacks, which I love. <laughs> they take out Legato. Then Santos uses the brass knuckles to knock Tony D out. And so Santos gets the win. We're gonna. This is gonna end up being some kind of war games, right? Yeah, it's got to be. You know what I like? I, this is the silly things. I, I I don't even know if he really used brass knuckles. I didn't go back and look. He probably did because the NXT Performance Center where they take it's not very big, but the old phantom brass knuckles, the old phantom foreign object, right? I remember as a kid. I would see like Nick Bockwinkle, Ric Flair go to the tights and Ted DiBiase go to the tights and not have anything, but we think they do and they knock someone out. I, I just pop for it. And I thought the same thing here. I don't think it's used enough in professional wrestling. I love the old going to the trunks and getting a, a, you know, a foreign object and knocking someone out behind the back of the referee. I think it's a, I think it's a fabulous way for a hill to get a get a cheap win, I, I just the little things like that 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 excite me in professional wrestling. Loved uh, loved it. I really thought it was a, a good episode of NXT. As we move along to AEW, they got a little better ratings this week. They were up around yeah. nine hundred thousand, nine twenty. That on AEW, they um, did have a basketball game for about half, but the the main uh, the main. Um, Demo was uh, I guess pretty similar There were some positives on the show And some things that I thought Were just feeling like a show Where they tried to shove Way too much in here And A couple things just got really Really the short end of the stick Because of it and you could tell At the the last half of this show They were just trying to do So much You got two jokers Announced for the show first off And Tony Khan loves doing this AEW loves doing this they love having surprises And they love having the debuts But the problem is is When you do that right now You say you're going to have two jokers People are thinking Cesaro 
Johnny Gargano, still Bray Wyatt, you know, people like that. It's not as if Johnny Elite, John Morrison, is a disappointment or a downer, but he's not who people were expecting. And then you bring in Maki Ito for the women's Joker. So people were were probably thinking, you know, Ember Moon or Candice LeRae. I heard some people thought, you know, maybe Johnny and Candice as the two that come in. And so now I think that both of those just felt a little bit like, oh, eh, okay. You know, not that 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 was fine. And while the match was good to start, Johnny Elite against Samoa Joe, I love both (laughs) of these guys. Samoa Joe ends up getting the win. Apparently, I think this might have just been a one-off. Like, I don't even know if Johnny, if he's signed to a long-term All Elite deal or if it was just, oh, we need someone to come pop up and be the Joker, so let's bring in someone who everybody at least will know. Well, let let me start with that. If they did do that, this is a horrible way to bring him in, right? And we usually hear and see the, uh, the flyer, you know, you know, whatever you're going to call it. It's, it's all elite. It's, it's all elite. And and uh, look, I'm a massive John Morrison fan. Johnny Mundo. Loved him in Lucha Underground. Um, the match was fine. There were some slip-ups. It just seems like uh, we're just bringing in people for the sake of just bringing in people. And I don't like that. I like purpose on a show. Um, I, I yeah. I just don't know. I just don't know, man. It, it just felt like again. I, what what did this do? Was this better than having it just have been someone that's already on your roster? Uh, no, honestly, not like for what, me, no, because me, the match it, the match wasn't five star. No, and it, it wasn't, wasn't. It was just a short. That's that was the problem with a lot of this stuff. Is that it's too short? It was let these guys should be going a, a little bit more if you want to bring him in. And so now, like you said, you. Nobody's all that excited about Johnny Elite right off the bat. They're like, oh, okay, he They're lost in a quick They're match. And, and, and how many people on that roster that hasn't been used on Wednesday nights or Friday, and Friday are basically just in a, the taping of Wednesday nights except for you know a handful of live shows. Um, Where's Buddy Murphy in that match? Wouldn't you like to see the, somebody on the roster say, I'm the damn Joker, I'm taking yeah. this spot. And Alistair Black, my, Buddy Murphy. I would have behind that. And I no, don't know if Miro's Stuart, still anybody. hurt or not. Where's Miro been? I don't like all of it. Like, there's just so many people that that could have been that would have felt like just – if you don't have a big surprise for the Joker, then just don't do it. No, just let your roster do it. Just don't and do it. Don't. If you want to call it the Joker, that's fine. Let somebody on your roster take that spot that you're, that's, that's working YouTube matches. Show people in the back it. trying to get the spot, right? Hey, let me yeah. be the Joker here. Like, there could be a segment of people trying to. Bo- you like, know what? You, I wouldn't have watched it, but hell, why don't you just put it on dark or dark elevation and say, we're going to have a Joker match? Here's and the winner, dudes. yeah. The winner, the winner faces Samoa Joe. The you, uh, the winner faces uh, Britt Baker. This that is Wednesday a, from Houston, Texas. That Uh-oh. is a way better way of using those shows too. Show us things on dark and elevation that we may need to pay attention to for Dynamite, right? Absolutely. Then, Great. then like you'll get a, you'll throw it on in the background a little bit more. I, it was okay, it was fine, but just for. A live TV wrestling show with these two guys These two guys could be the main event Of most wrestling shows It could have been the main event of this show That's for sure And he just didn't treat it like it was a big deal Really at all 
post match we uh, we go backstage. Jeff Hardy is medically compared to uh, compete tonight. Uh, tonight, the Young Bucks go back and forth with him and the uh, and the, the Hardys and the Young Bucks go a little back and forth. <laughs> he said, "Stop with that Christian AF bull, man!" Like he said something. I was like, "What did he just say, Jeff Hardy?" <laughs> and then Matt said that they were like a uh, Hardy Boy cosplayers there. So I, well, I'm sure we'll get this match coming soon, right? The Young Young Bucks versus the Hardys. Yeah, I think it's going to be announced. Uh, you know, we got a big pay per view next week, and we've only yeah. got a handful amount of matches, right? So you have Double mm-hmm. or Nothing too, or whatever version of this. It's next weekend, Memorial Day weekend in Las Vegas. So you're going to get the Hardys and, and Young Bucks probably at that. Um, I, I'm hoping uh, it, it, it's something good, but it just, man, I'm just going to be honest with you. It, it, it's just. It's hard for me to see longtime WWE people move on to different organizations and them have the same type of pop. Uh, then they it, it, the same with Impact. You, we used to see them go to Impact all the time. They're just not saying they're not as good. They're just there's something missing here. I, you know, well, I, you see this star. And they're part of the reason why they were a star. And it, look, it's, I'm not saying it's just because, but it's the WWE machine that helps. They're not a star. There's not a star like. They're just there's, not. No. They're just not. There's it doesn't nothing seem as big. There's nothing that's comparable to what it's like when you're a big deal in WWE. It just Correct. isn't. And when they do it right, they can do a lot of things wrong. We will critique a, a ton of stuff they do. But when they do it right, what, like, Anyone that's looking over right now and seeing what's going on with Cody, because the rumors are that MJF is really pissed off right now, Chad. I would, I would be too. And that and that kid, uh, you talk about somebody, and, and <laughs> you talk about somebody that WWE could get behind and make him um, a global star. He doesn't. He right doesn't there. fit like we talk about people that seem like they're uh, they they're better in AEW than WWE. That dude is made for WWE. Yeah, he is. He's more of a talker. Not that if he's not good in the ring, but he grew up wanting to be a WWE superstar. He wasn't like one of these indie wrestlers that just wants to wrestle and go out on the indies and ah, I don't really care about WrestleMania. That dude wants to main event WrestleMania. Hey, you, and, you're not you're you're a gambler. Send yeah. me some boarding line odds that he that he goes to the WWE when his contract is over. And we'll I, come I, back right now. Him. I think it's I think it's more likely than not that he goes to WWE right now. Great, I one hundred percent agree. I think they will pay a ton of money for him, and I don't know if Tony can do it or. And I don't know, like, if you're Tony right now, you're sort of in a weird spot because you know your your family owns a football team, and so in in sports you gotta in sports like you'd kind of play hardball a little bit, right? You get you get a guy on a rookie contract, and you're lucky that you. You have them on that rookie deal for a few years, and then you know you pay them a little bit more. But sometimes you got to be careful because if you don't give them an extension during that, they get they get hurt, they get you know we're personal, and then they want to go somewhere else. So and look, and look, AEW has done everything for this kid, but what more could they do in a year or a year and a half in two twenty twenty four when this contract's up? Can they do other than putting the title on you? And look, how many people have had the title around their waist and have been 
Hangman Page was the second match of the night. Uh, um, I, I just think this guy bells, and I think he knows the upside, and he could become a global star in the WWE just because of his promo skills. I just don't know if AEW can can do that for him because no. this time next year, who knows? The ratings know. may be a six hundred thousand. I don't know. And he knows that when he looks at those ratings, he's usually the highest rated segments, and he feels like. I'm getting paid less money because, you know, he was one of the first guys that they signed at AEW right off the bat. And at that point, MJF wasn't the MJF that he is now. He's always had this, but he wasn't a bigger star than the WWE guys. And now you look at this roster and it's like, maybe Punk feels like a bigger star than him. Maybe. I mean... You bring up a very good point, and I think there's been even some some rumblings that he's been frustrated the with way the money, the, the money, and the way the show, the way the promotion mm-hmm. has been going. That he's yep. a more traditional heel um, wrestling storyline type guy. I, I just don't think AEW is a, is a good fit for him. I think the WWE is going to put a lot of zeros behind that offer. A lot I do of too. Zeros. I do. He apparently, you know, that he sees song, comma comma comma. Christian getting a lot of money Jeff Hardy yeah. getting a lot of money and Bl- Alistair Black, Keith Lee All these people apparently getting a lot of money And they're coming in And if, if it's more money than he's making He's looking at them going, what? How are- Sharing a bro- locker room or not At the end of the day, like I said These guys have egos And you, you're in it for yourself, man And uh, that guy is uh, He's a massive star And I just think he could be a global icon for the WWE I really do think that I am Okay, so this next match that came up on AEW, I I've got a couple problems with. There okay. are a couple there are a couple things I really liked. Okay. Okay. I think Takashita, he's he's actually good. Like he's got sure. a little something there to him. And and I think AEW does a really good job with matches like this that are kind of like the Raquel match that we just talked about with Ronda, yes. Yes. right? Where it's like they do a good job of making it seem like this underdog was pretty competitive with a top talent and makes you Sort of like, oh, I'm going to keep an eye on that one That's what they did with Wheeler Yuta Recently, too, right? It's like, oh, okay, we'll keep an eye on them They'll, They are going to lose, but we'll make them sort of look tough In their loss But my problem is This isn't the right time to be doing this With Hangman ha- Adam Page He's not the guy right now that you should be doing this with You have have If you want Takashita to get over More Give him a, a, a Moxley or one of those guys to have a match with in that situation. Your champ right now shouldn't be – he should be kicking the crap out of people along the way to set up to make him look so strong and dominant. And I just – again, I don't like what I'm feeling about Hangman Adam Page heading into the title match. He doesn't feel like he's the man. He doesn't feel like he's the top-tier champ. He feels like he's just – a lame duck coach getting ready to be fired And Punk's just got to take that title off him And run with it, right? 100% agree And I didn't like This is a hill move I didn't like Paige using the GTS To finish off to win the match I mean, dude, you're the champ Use your moves, what you got there I, This just uh, And then they just kind of stared each other down After the match uh, You've got one week To get me excited about this Uh, You've got one more live show next Wednesday And I don't think there's anything That's going to do to get me excited about it It's going to be the main event 
of your pay-per-view on a long pay-per-view because AEW is going to put a lot of matches. Their pay-per-views are notoriously long. Um, I, I, I just, unless, unless Kenny Omega comes back and we've already been there with that, I just see CM Punk walking out uh, as your new AEW world champion next next weekend. Swerve, Strickland, and Keith Lee pick up a win over the Work Horsemen and uh, <laughs> JD Drake, and so now these two guys are into the top five in the uh, the tag uh, division. So we're gonna get a triple threat. You know what? Is this where Keith Lee should be? No, I don't think so. I don't think he, you know. And it's funny when Keith Lee came in. It's one of those where you think he's gonna be a big star and Swerve Strickland too, but. At least they're on dynamite, which they very yeah. rarely are. Yeah. And it's it just doesn't feel like these three tag teams are your top ta- of the tag teams. That's that's my only concern with this. I, I think the match at the, that they set up, we're gonna have a triple threat tag team match at double or nothing. Christian, yeah. I love that Christian's like does all the talking too, and he's not. It's like you're setting this whole thing up. Like, what are you doing? You know what I mean? Like. You know what? We're probably. I think. I think we've got one from each working a triple threat next week. I think you've got what Jungle Boy, Swerve, and Ricky Starks will probably be be a very good match. Here's the thing: this is where Keith Lee and Swerve should have been uh, weeks ago when they debuted on Wednesday night television. Yep. That's all you got to do is use them, man. And because the crowd liked Keith Lee, he came out. He grabbed the mic. They were chanting for him. Oh, 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 they were going nuts for uh for Keith. And I almost wonder if we get something like one of the guys on Jungle Express. It, so is it is it Luchasaurus that's in the triple threat match? No, I think Christian Jungle. offered Jungle Boy, Starks, and uh, Swerve. Okay, for next Wednesday. I wouldn't be shocked if Jungle Boy gets hurt or. Okay. Something okay. happens where he can't wrestle in the match in the pay per view, so then Christian has to wrestle. Okay, yeah, like Christian has to be like the Freebirds rule, and he has oh, to jump. Yeah. Yeah. He he has to jump in there, and then they either lose the titles or something, and that and that meets because of Christian, and that leads to Christian Jungle Boy. I wouldn't be sh- there's something happening with Christian in here. Oh I, yeah, I think- he, he, he's turning. It, yeah, it's like going to a house show and they're saying, "Hey, Mike, the Freebirds are going to be here." And you're thinking it's Michael P.S. Hayes and Terry Bam Bam Gordy, but instead it's that damn Buddy Roberts instead of Michael <laughs> Buddy. Hayes. Like, oh man, play you Roberts here. <laughs> we want to see Michael out there strutting and <laughs> yeah, dancing doing around. Moonwalk, you know. Come just- on. <laughs> uh, so um, we uh, yeah, we got that match set up. For the triple threat next week of the singles And then the triple threat tag team match Set up for double or nothing Tony Schiavone interviews Red Velvet And Chris Statlander Just really quick Jade Cargill says it's funny that Velvet tricked the alien girl Into thinking they were friends Just These are little things that it's like is it, Was this even worth Putting on the TV No, it, it, no I'd rather see Jade in a ring for 30 seconds than these silly little segments. And we haven't seen her in a ring since what the Maria, uh, Schaefer, uh, Shafir uh, match. We haven't seen her in, in a while. So uh, not Maria, but Jade, I just, you know, we got her each and every week. Okay. We're building her up. She's not a five star. And then, uh, we're not going to matches anymore. She's just cutting these silly little promos. This was something that probably should have been cut. Yep. Wardlow, Takes the lashings 
is uh, MJF and Spears had him handcuffed and they beat him down, whipping him with the belt. Then MJF puts on the diamond ring and he nails him in the face. (laughs) And so as, as expected, you know, the, the, the heels get one over on Wardlow. I'm just kind of curious, you know, do you think when we get this match in a few weeks, do you think we're Wardlow is going to go over MJF and get the win? Oh, this is a sticky, sticky situation. They've built it up um, as Wardlow's got to, you know, it's going to be a massive pot because he's just been clowned by MJF for so long. But then again, I've brought this up to you a while back, and I just brought it up to you earlier about Seth Rollins. How many losses is MJF going to take? I know. You, know? You, want, you want him to lose this match. You, it's weird because you sort of booked yourself into a corner here. Yes, yes. You know, he, like MJF has got, like Wardlow's got to win. Sure. Wardlow has to get his comeuppance after everything that he's been through. But I mean, seriously, you, when's the last time is MJF uh, won a match? And don't you like? Wouldn't you want to maybe go back to MJF Punk for the title? If Punk wins the title, and then you could have yeah. MJF be the guy that goes back there. I think I read this or heard this somewhere else that maybe that's what happens is that MJF Wardlow is forced to still be with MJF for a little while longer, and in, in okay. something until the Punk, like something with the title. I don't know. I just. I still feel like this isn't going to be quite as simple as just Wardlow getting a win over MJF. You you bring up a good point, and and it's hard. Another thing, after you think about everything, uh, do you see somebody from that's not directly connected with all elite not being your world champion? You know, that's why sometimes it's a little concerning. Uh, that Hangman Page retains this title. I, 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 I I'm with you. I, I, I'm sold on MJ Punk winning this title and MJF. We going directly back to that and circling that storyline, which would be really, really hot. And if you've got Wardlow, even if you didn't have Wardlow around, MJF Punk for the world title is. I'm serious. It's a hell of a lot more intriguing right now than CM Punk versus Hangman Page. Hell. Hangman Page versus anyone for that matter. So I, I, I can see where where Wardlow doesn't go over, uh, but you're in a real sticky situation here now because MJF has racked up a lot of losses over the last year. A lot of losses. Remember Jericho Jericho buried him for mm-hmm. for the longest of times. Kyle O'Reilly, Ray Phoenix. This was actually a fun little match um, for for the time that it got and. Kyle O'Reilly is someone who I know pretty well. I've seen him wrestle a lot of times in person and announced a lot of his matches. He he's sort of goofy on the on the mic and with his his gimmicks. So he doesn't all the time get put up into the upper echelon, maybe of like as a main eventer. And you know, in NXT, it sort of felt like he was gonna be a guy that got an opportunity to to be a single star and never really did after Cole left. Man, the guy can go though. He can sure go in the ring, and, and so can Phoenix, and sure. and so uh, O'Reilly gets the win here, and now we're going to have, what's it, O'Reilly versus Samoa Joe in the one side, and then on the other side, who's it, it's Adam Cole, because Adam Cole gets the win in the main event against Jeff Hardy, and it's, uh, so we're down to the final four. 
I know it's Cole. I can't think about. Who, I'll find out right now on the who's on the side with Cole. But then on the other side, it's going to be um, after winning this match, Kyle O'Reilly against Samoa Joe. So who do you think now with with O'Reilly Samoa Joe? Do you think we set up to where it's maybe a Kyle O'Reilly versus Adam Cole finals, or do you think they have Joe go over in that spot? Man, I was talking to a buddy of mine last night, and I think we're revisit, revisiting O'Reilly Cole from NXT. I, I just think that's where we're going. Um, I just don't see, I know you've got the ROH championship on Samoa Joe, but Gino, at the end of the day, do you give a damn about Ring of Honor right now? Hell, it's not even a a promotion that's anywhere on TV. It's just on paper that this guy's the champion. I I just, I see, I see it Cole and and O'Reilly, man. I think, I think they're going to have the opportunity to get back in the ring with each other. And redo some moments. And again, I just stick with the all elite theme here for some of these big matches. I, I'm I'm betting it's Cole and O'Reilly. I could be completely wrong. I am most of the time, but I, I think I think so too. Cole. I think that I, makes the most sense. You could have somebody come in and cheat and help Cole or help O'Reilly win. Sure. You know, to beat Samoa Joe, Bobby Fish, or one of those guys. And then you got Cole versus O'Reilly. Because okay, so th- that's where I was off. Cole versus Jeff Hardy was already the semifinal. So Cole okay. is into the final already. So Cole That's what will, I thought. That's what I yeah. thought. So Cole will face the winner of O'Reilly Samoa Joe. So it's no doubt Adam Cole versus either Samoa Joe or Kyle O'Reilly there. And uh then we got Chris Jericho and William Regal. I didn't know if I liked this or not. I wasn't I wasn't positive. It, I just I laughed at it. Um first off, you know, Jericho took some serious shots at Moxley for you know Being a drunk and for <laughs> Being in rehab he took some shots At Regal for all of Regal's Alcohol and substance abuse problems through the Years and you told him he, he wasted A bunch of talent <laughs> he said that's Now I understand why the two of you guys hang out You know <laughs> he, he starts like going after Everyone in the group and just like ripping them One at a time and uh, And then finally You know Regal gets the mic and like kind of quietly says that You know You have the whiniest voice I've ever met He said I hated your guts From day one He said the only thing that I, I hated hearing Or that that bothered me more than your voice Would be like the screams Of a burning orphanage I was like oh my god <laughs> Wow And then he proceeds to tell Jericho that every night When they were on a show together When Jericho went out to the ring he would walk in to the locker room, go into Chris Jericho's bag, get his toothbrush, and stick it up his ass. <laughs> and the, what I what I did pop at was Daniel Garcia trying to be Marky Mark, and he's got this, and he goes, "Yo, man, that's disgusting. That is disgusting." But he's like. The way that he's playing this character, I I'm really starting to get behind Daniel Garcia, and we got the. The Jericho Appreciation Society the, For 10 weeks in recounting The worldwide leader in sports and entertainment And it just <laughs> This segment was kind of It was kind of goofy Like It was, it, it was But it did make me laugh a little there. bit though, man Yeah, and look, there's star power in there You know, I, I, give credit where credit's due I, you know, Jericho offered another stampede match. I, I, I'm not into that. We've seen and, that. And Moxley shut it down, right? He yeah. Was like, 
They, we ain't they, doing that bullshit. No, <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. And I think I think it was set up for, for them to pot that way or whatever it was. But thankfully we're not going there again. Cause I don't I we've seen that at the at the Jacksonville Jaguar Stadium so many times that you know people getting ran over with golf carts by Sammy Guevara and all kind of stuff. Yeah, let's let's not go there again. But there was a lot of star power in the ring. Mm-hmm. And you and I both said it. It it it's time for or what what are they the black combat academy what it, what is it blackpool combat club yeah it, it, it's time for them to stop beating these jobbers and, and move up and I, I and i think at least it's it's a little something newer to AEW yeah. but you had a lot of star power in the ring i, I was mm-hmm. fine with the segment it just it really went off the rails multiple times and i did laugh one thing we got to keep an eye on is that they were recording rampage last night following mm-hmm. the show and there was a really scary moment where it looked like Brian Danielson got his leg stuck in between the ring and like a, a like right like the side of the ring and they literally had to stop the match his leg was stuck in in a spot for a while the video is uh, was hard to watch and then he's kind of limping back to the locker room afterwards so Something that was just a kind of a really freak, scary accident. We'll have to keep an eye on um, if uh, if Brian Danielson is all right. The final couple of spots on AEW Dynamite. I gotta say, I I I did not like anything about this Maki Ito as the Joker. Yeah. One, yeah. it wasn't a great surprise, and then two, the match was awful, Bad. awful. Britt is like walking in the ring. She's going so slow and like telegraphing everything. It just looked like what somebody would be doing in their first few weeks. We know Britt is way better than that. She still yeah. comes off like a star when she comes out there. And then the post match with Tony Storm, Tony Storm actually felt like a pretty big star when she walked out. She had a good look. Sure. Yes. And and it, I I kind of think that they're going to have Tony beat beat Britt. It sort of seems like I I would. That, that would be best for Tony, and it's not great. I think overall for their women's division, just or just for Brit. Brit's the biggest star by far, but they need to make more stars. I think you got to put Tony over her, and then you got to rehab Brit a little bit. Maybe you turn her into a baby face, but I don't. I didn't like this at all. The Maki Ito stuff. It was just it. It was way too goofy. She's stepping on her toes and stuff, you know, well, and. and Brits just kind of swing in, and I just look uh, between you and I. I don't know how. Maybe a lot of the people in the Fertitta Center last night or Wednesday night in Houston knew who she was. There, uh, if you're if you're a, a generic wrestling fan, you have no idea who this lady is. And if you just go on Twitter or Google and type in her name. She's been in some disgusting matches where with guys and girls. It's just, it's not a good look. The match was terrible. It really made Britt look really, really bad. I don't care how much, how many fans pop for so-and-so in the arena on television where it counts the most. It really came off bad. This was a bad last half to AEW Dynamite. And it just felt really, really crappy. And it felt like they rushed things. It felt like Britt was just lackadaisical. And, oh, I'm just here to do this. I'm just here to do that. She's so great to look at. So good on the mic. This definitely set her back. I'm with you. I think Tony Storm is the way to go. 
Uh, she can't ill afford to be the next Ruby Soho for AEW. They've got to let Tony Storm go over. Absolutely. She does. She's got to be the one that goes over there. And it, things are crammed. They don't know. You know, you can obviously tell by looking at the clock that there's not much time left. Sure. And then here comes Serena Deeb. Yeah. Which is I like, know. what? In that promo. You have another week to push this match. Look, Thunder Rosa, your women's champion, hasn't been in a match since winning the championship from Brit in the still are the still cage match. Why just shove this? It it just, you've got another week. Again, this just feels like a major title in your company means nothing at all. And I, and I look, Thunder Rosa has yet to defend the title. I, I could see Serena Deeb winning this in, in, in Thunder Rosa's first title defense. I think we could see a new champion next week. I agree with you. I, I just I, I did not like the no, way that they, yeah, me they, neither. Me they neither. set up the end of this show at all. Adam Cole beats Jeff Hardy in a really rushed match. And yeah, it almost it felt like I think they realized like, oh shit, we don't have a lot of time left. So they have Adam Cole attack Hardy right. coming out of the entrance way. Right. So they have sort of like an excuse why the match doesn't go that long because, oh, Hardy was sort of beat up and he should have maybe not been medically cleared from last week anyway. Sure. And then after the match, they're like real quickly and then they put Sting's leg in a chair and they break Sting's leg or they they snap his ankle. <laughs> um, they take down Darby. The double they, super kick to, to Sting was bad, too. I know Sting's a legend. You know, and I know it's like Shawn Michaels and WrestleMania. Remember when he, he told Flair, I'm sorry, I'm about to super kick you. But it just wasn't executed. It, it like, like you said, this has been our number one. I, my biggest complaint with AEW has been the flow of the show, and it feels like a cluster F. And that reared its head last night. What This was have, one of the worst that I can better, remember it ever being, it, where too bad. it just, you can't have so much on the show that you get to the main event with five minutes left that you have a real quick match and then there's some more stuff after and then another you know three more guys come out and somebody's ankle it's like sure what do you remember you know it's like we take, we're taking notes and there's so much that it's like it's overwhelming and uh we'll see moving forward if aew will get themselves all set up for a big pay-per-view in a few weeks so next week koopa loop will be previewing double or nothing and uh, we will uh, be on the road to Hell in a Cell, getting closer and closer on our way there. We flew through another edition of This Week in Wrestling. My man, Coop Aloop. It's got a weird preakness coming up with no, uh, with no Kentucky <laughs> this, this yeah, week. It, Not yeah. her or anything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, hey, look, I, I don't care what the dirt sheets say. This is my favorite 90 minutes of the week. Okay. I know you've heard some things on the dirt sheets. You know, I, I, I want to be the first to say, Gino, this is my favorite, my favorite time of the week when I get when I get to to, to talk to Gino Bacola. Because that, we get to talk it all out. There are some things that you sort of lead me and I'm like, oh, yeah, you know what? I, I think what Chad said was right. Or we hit everything there. We're not trying to kiss anybody's asses. We we don't we're not sponsored or being being paid by any of these places to promote anything no. other than what we actually Feel what we think and what we'd like to see And so yeah I love it man it's always a, a blast Checking in with you my man and uh, Next week we'll we'll be previewing Double or nothing and we'll see what What's been going on in the uh, the saga that is Sasha and Naomi yeah And uh, again um, That it, 
not that it doesn't need promoting, but I enjoy all of your, your live social media shows. Uh, I, I've, I've taken a lot of advice and bet player props from some of your live stuff on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, I, I'm not a novice. I, I, I'm a novice gambler. I, I don't know hardly any of these guys in the NHL. I can't pronounce their names, but I can tell you this. I've, I've won some money on certain people uh, shooting more than two and a half shots on goal. And you know what? I'm starting to watch these game, these NH, NHL playoff hockey. I don't know anything about hockey, but they've been fantastic overtime, nine to six. And I've learned a lot from you and your guests betting on some of these some of these player props man keep up the good work i I really do appreciate it thank you so much coop uh love you brother you have a great weekend and uh look forward to talking to you in a few days you got it gino don't go anywhere folks a lot more coming up on that's what g said and uh coop loop's gonna be partying himself out at a a concert a, a, a little bit later on so you'll probably see chad cooper all over social media with the hanging out with celebs and uh and partying that's cooper give him a follow at the chad cooper Big thanks to Koopaloop for his weekly help on That's What G Said with This Week in Wrestling. We will have another episode coming out on Friday that'll go over everything happening in the NBA in the conference finals with Eric. We'll have some more uh, weekend racing with Sunday and then stuff into Monday. We'll have, uh, I think, Moon Knight episode 5 recap on that one and uh, maybe one or two other things. So if you're looking for more, it's coming on Friday. Good luck with the Preakness this weekend, everyone. And uh, we'll have a lot more content coming out very soon. Thanks for tuning in. Appreciate uh, your time each and every moment that you spend with us here on That's What G Said. Multiverse